egotistical, so unpredictable Here on the SNL Network Yes, that's right. The SNL Network is live on a Monday night here to finish our coverage of season 47 on our final by the numbers show of the season. This is always one of my favorite shows I get to do because we get to talk statistics. And back in the SNL stats days, you guys know how much we loved talking all about statistics with the show. And uh, we had an amazing season 47 postseason roundtable in case you missed that last week with some great panelists we broke down our favorite cold opens monologues live sketches pre-tapes weekend update moments hosts episodes it was about a two-hour podcast where we talked everything season 47 but the one thing that we didn't really get a chance to do last week was talk about each and every cast member who was on season 47 what their moments were that really stood out and statistically how did they do throughout the season and that's something that we're going to get to tonight we're going to talk about our cast power rankings we're going to talk about our host power rankings which we've been meaning to do every single by the number show but we haven't gotten a chance to do yet and then we're going to go through each of those cast members so it's going to be a long show whether you're listening live or after the fact i hope you are ready for a very fun discussion of everything season 47 and of course Joining me on this journey throughout all of the By the Number shows that we've ever done here on the SNL Network is Mike Murray. Mike, how are you doing? Doing great. Uh, we've had a really fun season with data. Um, if you check out our Instagram page, we put it all out there. I feel like we spared nothing. It's all it's all on the grid, so check it out. Um, you know, Full screen time, full appearances. You're not going to find more accurate data anywhere else. I, I always like, you know, it's... It's kind of like when you finish a puzzle, though, like when I'm all season long, I'm like not not excited for it to be over, but just like I want to see what the final results will be. And then so when it's finally over, you can kind of just like, you know, at least in my case, look at the spreadsheet and all the answers are there. And it's really a, <laughs> it's, it's a rewarding experience. Yeah, for sure. It's always rewarding for me at the end of the season as well to see who was in the most appearances, like who made the most appearances in the most sketches in a given season. I always find the single season sketch mark is something that I always take a look for. I like to see what the totals are at the end of the season. So I totally resonate with you, Mike, about putting that puzzle together. So, you know, Mike brought up all the stuff we've been posting on Instagram. And of course, uh, you know, such a large part uh, is credited to Nicole Rovine, who just puts all the work in to create these awesome graphs. So if you haven't seen anything that we've done uh, to put on our social media, uh, that is credit to Nicole, who just worked so hard on this the last couple of weeks. So Nicole Rovine joins us once again on the By the Number Show. Nicole, how are you? I'm good. And what's funny is when you were doing that segue to introduce me, I thought it was just a new Thing we were going to start talking about instead of introducing me i was like okay i guess i just won't get an intro this time but it was such a seamless you. it was su- <laughs> yeah it was such a seamless segue that i i didn't know it was one so i i'm very good i i'm excited i feel like we have done so much all season that kind of leads up to this it's so fun to talk about it kind of every six weeks or so but it's really fun to take everything that we've talked about all throughout the season and just like see all all the themes that we hint at and that we even we always say is this a theme is this going to become a theme and and now we're like we have all the data to make all the conclusions that we can about the season and we're like as as you both mentioned we've put out a ton of stuff on social media so i feel like that has given us the context it's given all of you listening the context to really have these discussions and and draw interesting conclusions 
for sure. So, Mike, before we get started, uh, with, and we're going to start with our host power rankings because I want to get into the cast for the rest of the episode after we do that. Is there any overarching thoughts on the data throughout the season that you just wanted to get out there from your experience? Anything about the cast, about you know, anything season 47 that you really think that the listeners should know about the data aspect of covering the season? Uh, it's a big question um, and not, you know, tough one to answer, but I think that as we go through the cast, we're going to see um, a lot of uh, what passed the eyeball test. And I don't want to uh, specify any cast members yet because we're going to have like, you know, a lot of fun doing that. But um, for, for this season, I mean, it, I think uh, data wise, it was really interesting to cover because I feel like we had more variables than last year. I feel like we'll look back and say season 46 was the COVID season, but this season I feel like kind of was because of, you know, that anomaly of an episode. It was a really uh, good test for me, for my mom model for the power rankings to see how they would like hold up with that Paul Rudd Omicron episode. And I was actually like really pleased (laughs) um, that I feel like the numbers really backed up themselves and uh, that made me happy because, you know, anytime my, my, my math is put to the test, I'm always like, is this going to be the one that like exposes a hole in the data or something? And it really didn't. It really strengthened it. Um, so overall in this season, I feel like we have, a, we have, I mean, we have 21 episodes versus 20 last year, 18 the year before. Um, so we have more to play with. And um, I just, yeah, I think it's, it's going to be fun to look at as a whole. But as far as like, you know, over arching things i feel like the absences stand out to me um absences from kate pete cecily um, most notably um and that really did affect the numbers and allowed for um some new faces to uh not only rise up the rankings but i feel like rise up the leaderboard for um you know everyone's favorites at home for sure yeah, that was definitely a big thing that was noticeable was just how many episodes didn't have the entire cast this season that, you know, it's really hard to get that feel of an ensemble when, you know, you don't have everybody all together. And then from a statistic standpoint, what we like to look at here is really how do those absences affect other cast members and who stood out and benefited from those. So, you know, perhaps we'll get into some of those conversations once we go through each cast member. Uh, Nicole, would love to ask you the same question. Is there anything overarching through your experience going through the data this season that you'd like to let the listeners know about? Yeah, I think um, to kind of touch on what Mike was saying, something that's interesting about this bigger ensemble cast is um, how I think (laughs) when it's so big, I I think that it's just kind of the only way to have the cast at this point in time so that people have the flexibility to go off and do other projects. I think that's the best for the show. It's the best for the cast members. It's just that mutually beneficial thing. I've made the argument that Pete Davidson's most most useful and, and impactful contribution to SNL this season arguably was his time off. It just brings more relevance to the show when people are in the headlines and, and doing things that are not necessarily at the show. That's arguably as beneficial and important as people doing putting in really good work and, and all those hard hard hours. Um, I know on the inside, it's, it's probably, you know, that it's, it's, the, it's, it's a little bit frustrating, but to, uh, for that to be true. But I think it is true that when people get to spread their wings, whether it be by having a social life in the headlines or just by pursuing other projects that are high profile and are seen by a lot of people, any of those things just make the show a lot more important to 
the the culture and just to, to people out there who, who want the show to be relevant um, or who don't want it to be relevant and are proven wrong. So yeah, something that's just so interesting to see with this huge cast also realized 21 episodes, 21 cast members this season, 21 hosts, you know, it's just, it's a lot of 21, um, a lot of lineup there synergy, but it's just interesting to see that it's, it's not the ensemble type thing of where everyone is working together. I, I rewatched the 2009 Taylor Swift episode with my friends a couple nights ago. And it's like throughout one episode, it's like you, you see almost every cast member interact with almost every other cast member in some capacity in a single episode, let alone a season where, of course, that's true. And we just would never see that today. We would never see every cast member interact with, say, 80% of the others every episode. Um, and I think we all kind of miss that sensation and, and that that sort of feeling about the show. But, yeah, for me, like, I, I'm, I'm just interested how, how the numbers show that of how like if somebody who's really similar to someone else is gone one week or for a set of, of run of, you know a, a certain period like certain people are going to go up who are similar um so it's just yeah stuff like that i, I think is interesting and, and to compare the, the historical context as well uh different eras where that would not be true where it's like if you miss one episode of snl when you're a cast member that's like such sacred time and now it's 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 different so it's cool to see the or not cool it's 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 intriguing to see that reflected in the the numbers. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, we always talk about the large cast and how that affects the overall feel of the show, but I think it's pretty rare. It's a really great point, Nicole. It's just very rare that we get to talk about how it affects the pairings that we get to see. That is one of the benefits of a small cast is you get to see different cast members interact with each other in all these sketches and you get to start to talk about, okay, I really like it when... As an example, Pete Davidson works with Alex Moffat, you know, just throwing it out there. And then, but we don't get to have those conversations as much because, um, you know, as Monette in the chat writes, uh, people seem to be divided into camps, you know, not just with the writers, but also certain cast members that work with certain writers. That's the style of the show now, as you see these pairings start to break off with each other. So I think that's fascinating to kind of think about from era to era. Um, but, you know, it's a conversation we'll keep talking about as we get through the show today. Okay. Let's go into the host power rankings from the season. So we're going to give you the 21 hosts from the season and talk about who dominated the power rankings from this year. And Mike, for the last time this season, will you just explain to any new listeners how the power rankings are put together? It would, it would be my pleasure, John. Um, the power ranking is a singular stat that combines appearances on SNL with their screen time. And both of those numbers. You know, obviously, you can see them with your own eyes. You can see how long someone's on screen. You can see how many times they appear on screen. So we count those. I count the screen time. And then they're both weighted. When I say weighted, I mean that if you are the lead in a sketch, like Kate McKinnon playing Colin Rafferty in the finale, that will be considered an A appearance. So that's weighted higher than or heavier than a like a C appearance, which would be, you know, one line in a sketch, or a D appearance, which is a voiceover in a sketch where you don't appear at all. And then the screen time is weighted heavier for what we consider prime time, which is between the cold open and a weekend update, because you are seen more if you're in the top of the show versus the end of the show. So we combine those two into one number. And so for each host that we're gonna see in the next chart and for each cast number we'll see later. There'll be one number above their column, um, and that'll be their average for the entire season. 
obviously with hosts, it's just their number for their one episode. For sure. And I also do want to shout out uh, our friend Matt at crack.com who spoke to Nicole, Mike and I uh, late, uh, I think it was last week at some point, uh, to go through the power rankings. And they posted a great article up on Cracked about, you know, which cast members dominated the power rankings and our opinions on some of these. So uh, it's a good uh, side piece to this current podcast that we're putting together tonight. Okay, let's start with the host power rankings. And we're going to go through these right now. And we're going to get Mike and Nicole's opinions. And we'll start at the top. Let's start with our man, Jason Sudeikis, at the top of the power rankings. So he, his numbers go off the screen pretty much. But he had a 464.52. That is a number one score for the host in the power rankings. Uh, and it, Like I said, I mean, we talked about this last week on the postseason roundtable. Probably my favorite episode of the season. Um, and then right after that, uh, John Mulaney comes in at 373.48, also above average. Number three would be Will Forte, 357.11, which was statistically a very weird episode of the show where the cast members were not a large part of that. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch comes in right at the end of the season to take the fourth spot, 331.42. Lizzo coming in next in fifth, 323.94. We have Billie Eilish up next with 313.85. Then we have Gerard Carmichael coming in in seventh place at 300.31. Natasha Leone, our finale host, comes in at 292.29. And then we have Jake Gyllenhaal at 290.2 in ninth place. And I believe, Mike, those are all the hosts that are above average this season, the top nine. Is that correct? That's correct. And um, Jason Zadakis, I think, has, you know, an what we might consider an unbreakable record at this point at 464 and he brings the average up 9.22 so the average wow. on this uh chart is is like around like 280 right it's unless it's far right there um and he it, without him it would be 270.94 so he brings it up a whole almost 10 points Yeah, for sure. That's just incredible. So, Nicole, let's talk about these top nine hosts that we see from this season, obviously, uh, from all different parts of the season and different, you know, backgrounds and different types of episodes that we saw. So anything that stands out to you here with our top hosts from the season? Yeah. Okay. So to reiterate, um, yet again, just to, to point out how insane the Jason stat is, it's still looks like it's going off the page for any audio listeners. It's just like he is so high up. But I also want to point out, that all of the hosts, number two through number nine, I think they were all 47B, right? They were all January and later, uh, other, other than Jason. Uh, Billie Eilish would be the Billie one. Eilish. Okay, right. Billie Eilish. Yeah. So, but, but just, just yeah. to show like how crazy this is, it took until the eighth episode of the season when Billy hosted for someone to like be even on where we are at the, the first half of these to even like be there. So imagine how this looked when we, we looked back at it in the fall. It was like Jason so high up. And then like before Billy came into it, it was like the next person was just like so much lower. It's just crazy. I I, like, yeah, I think it was uh, Kim Kardashian. Yeah. Kim was number two for a, a while until Billy came into it. Um, right. Now she's so, not top 10. Exactly. Yeah. So clearly the second half of the season put hosts more forward than the first half of the season, um, which is pretty interesting um, when you think about, I I think we had some more significant cast kind of absences in in the first half. Like we had Kate gone for a long time. 
Um, I guess we had Pete gone in the second half, Cecily gone a little bit in the second half, but um, it's, it's interesting. It, it shows that hosts were just performing better or, or put more, had, had more screen time, had more opportunities towards the front end of the show um, at the second half. Also, all of the hosts who appeared in their cold opens, with the exception of Paul Rudd, <laughs> um, is in this front half. So that's in terms of Mike's power ranking, something that distinguishes between just the pure screen time that we talk about and these power rankings that have more factors kind of integrated, um, is that when you appear in the cold open, right, that that puts you, you know, adds, adds a lot of brownie points, right, Mike? Right, just, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, what what we consider a pretty rare occurrence for the host to appear in the cold open. And then if they are, that means that, you know, right away they're, they're gaining screen time that the usual host wouldn't gain until their monologue. So they're like, you know, sometimes they'll get a one to three minute bump right there. Like right. Jason Sudeikis did. Exactly. Right. So then, I mean, to have Jason Sudeikis at the, at the front here and then Benedict Cumberbatch was in his uh, cold open. Natasha Leone was in her cold open. Um, so that's just a, an interesting thing that, um, we're seeing, yeah, we're seeing latter half of the season m- much more apparent on this front, front end. Um, what else do you want to just explain for anybody who's new also how the double duty hosts are playing into this, Mike? So Lizzo and Billy are one, two, three, four, they're five and six. So just how, how that kind of plays in since they're double duty and also where they are on this chart. Sure. And I, I did prepare a number um, if we were to consider them just a singular host, if we were to drop their uh, screen time um, and not include musical performances to level the playing field a little bit. Um, so right now we have Lizzo at number five, um, if we at, at 323.94. If, um, if I didn't include her musical performances, that would drop her to, to a 265. So that just you know shows that Again, the power ranking is all about assessing their impact on that show. And obviously, a double duty host has a gigantic impact on their show. Um, so that's something new that I did this year, actually, was to you know, not only do screen time for all the musical guests, but when it was a host, I was like, well, I want to see what it looks like both ways um, for the year end chart we're looking at. I was like, you know, it's probably it's more fair to consider the double duty hosts more impactful because they were. Um, Billie Eilish on this chart is also a 313.85. If I didn't um, include her musical performances, that would be a, she would be a 235.82. So that would drop them, you know, out of the top. And we see that um, normally is that when you do do double duty that like, I think they take it a little easier on the host. You know, there might be supporting role and more sketches or a more brief appearances because they have to change more. They have to get ready. They're really, you know, tossed around backstage more than the average host. Um, so it does even out a little bit. And, you know, they don't introduce themselves always. Lizzo did. Um, but, you know, different things like that factor in for sure. Um, but, yeah, that's a great question, Nicole, just because that that's for sure the reason that um, Billy and Lizzo are in the top there. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, just taking a look at these top nine, I, I just, like I said, the it's so interesting to take a look at the different styles of hosting episodes that we got this season. And I think that some of the most fun episodes that I had, and I know, right, because, you know, like I, I do the hot take shows, I get to see the audience reaction right away. I think that for the most part, a lot of these uh, people in the top nine had some pretty positive reactions um, from the community, at least. Uh, I don't think there was many uh, hated hosts that, you know, dominated their episode but then their episode maybe wasn't as good. So that's a really good sign. I would say that one thing that uh, one host that surprises me 
that he's so far up in this top nine is probably Benedict Cumberbatch, who I think had a great episode, but I'm, you know, I always think about how the host uh, works versus some of the cast members. And I really felt like that was more of an ensemble episode, um, you know, where, you know, same thing with like, you know, I didn't think it was so different than Selena Gomez. And I'm curious where she ends up on these rankings. Uh, but for me, the top three, super obvious in people that ended up dominating their particular episodes between Jason and then John Mulaney and then Will Forte. Well, I do want to say something interesting about um, Will Forte. And we, we can't we can't talk about this without saying that John is is a big, a big Forte head. Um, but what's what's really interesting to me is that Will Forte is actually... Forte. What is yes, Forte is John's Forte. That's that's right. Um, yeah. He has such a like a, a a fan community name just like waiting there for him. I think you you need to really, um, you know, the Forte heads, the Forte Forteers, gotta like really band together a little more. Um, sure. But anyway, he yeah, John's like uh, he John's already Forteing all the time. Anyway, so he's a lot higher on the power rankings than he is on pure screen time, um, which to me is I'd say a point like sticks out when we're talking about what, what we put, what we release week to week is pure screen time. So if you're wondering why this looks different from that, it just has more factors in, into it that, that Mike has worked super hard on and um, to give it a little bit more like nuance and, and, and depth to, to it, you know? Um, and so for Will Forte, he is a lot higher on here. And, and I imagine the main reason is that he had those, all of those MacGruber segments were individual. So they were all short, but they, they were, they, they added to the number of times he appeared. They added to just like, you know, all, all that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, that, that stands out for me is, is like he, and just, we can't really talk enough about how exactly how you said, John, how statistically weird that episode was. And I don't mean good or bad. I just, yeah. I mean, what you said is it was weird. Like there, it was wild how it was very not ensemble focused. A lot of the cast time was not with Forte. A lot of Forte's time was with Kristen Wiig and it wasn't it, there wasn't as much it felt like um there were sort of two episodes you know that most it felt like most of the episode you could have put into two groups of okay here's a current episode of SNL and here's an episode that is out of the time machine from 13 14 years ago um and so that's just like a, a fascinating thing I think if, if we do these like retroactive by the numbers episodes in a few years if we could choose any to like analyze I, I would probably pick that one just because like in retrospect it's, it's going to be cool and as we talk about all these different episodes that one it, it's such an outlier in how the app the numbers add up yeah yeah just more okay. context on the will forte episode we're talking about it um will forte would be third uh, most screen time if we didn't include double duty screen time um right. so he's fifth as it as is um with the double duty um you know screen time for billy alish and lizzo and then, yeah, just a uh, shout out for the, the Kristen Wiig stat. If, if we considered her the 22nd cast member of that episode, she would have been, she had a 113 score, which, you know, we've done episodes where I've um, uh, talked about 100 plus point episodes for cast members are like, you know, really like top tier. Like that's, you know, if, you, if we ever wanted to make a best of, you know, I would probably go back and select every episode that someone scored 100 plus. Um, so Kristen Wiig was third of that episode. It was Will Forte as the host, um, Kate McKinnon at like 121 and Kristen Wiig at 113. So yeah, very weird episode because it was almost like a two-handed host or something. It was like, you know, um, Kristen yeah. Wiig was just like a through line of that episode. And then, yeah, the uh, MacGruber, uh, we, one other uh, little factor we do, it's, you know, it doesn't have a 
big impact, but it just for fun. And it's, you know, if, you know, if you're a big fan of the history of the show, it's a fun um, stat for you is that in the power ranking, we do um, consider recurring characters. So when we do the weighted appearance score, you know, after everything is totaled and percentage wise and all that math is done, there is like little um, bonuses for recurring characters. So MacGruber definitely got bumped up Will Forte a little bit. But yeah, weird episode, but I, it all makes sense that Will Forte has like a really high score. And then if we looked at the total screen time of the entire cast, it's the lowest of the entire season other than the Rudd episode. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay, let's talk about the bottom half of the, or the people who are under average in the host rankings. And we will tell you who they are right now as we go through the rest of them. Okay, coming in at number 10 in the rankings is Oscar Isaac at 278.65. Coming in number 11 would be Zoe Kravitz, 277.62. Then Selena Gomez, here she is at 265.28, number 12. Kim Kardashian, who was very high up at the beginning, uh, comes at number 13, 257.65. Number 14 is Owen Wilson, our premier, 254.34. 15 is Kieran Culkin, 245.99. Ariana DeBose comes in 16th place, 232.28. The famous Omicron Paul Rudd episode comes in at 231.03, 17th place. Rami Malik, one of the top episodes of the season, 217.07. The fans seem to love that one, but Rami Malik ends up in 18th place. Jonathan Majors, 209.83 in 19th place. Willem Dafoe, 198.59 in 20th place. And then Simu Liu in 21st place, 167.84. Once again, the average is 280.16. Okay, so from Oscar Isaac to Simu Liu, those are our bottom of the rankings. Nicole, what are your thoughts? I mean, the the, the Simu stat is so surprising and and sad and weird because um, I, I, I thought it was a great episode and, and more so than a great episode, I thought it was a great host run. Like I thought there were some episodes that were better than that one, but not because the host was better. I, I feel like in terms of host performances, it was top half for me for sure. Um, so I, it's just crazy. Every time we look back at, at, at these numbers, it's, it's wild. Um, and then just pure screen time, for, for that context as well, Paul Rudd had like a couple more seconds on Simulu. They both had like 11 minutes and change. And um, yeah, it's not that I'm upset that Simu didn't get enough opportunities. It's more I'm I'm kind of intrigued at how his successful run and how I thought he was a great host still looks like this on on the in terms of the numbers. And and I think it was uh, as we've talked about there there was that really great long sketch with the karaoke that was very much an ensemble piece where he had like a short but memorable bit as the finance bro. And then everybody in the cast got their turn. Um, there was one of the more memorable bits, the, the Simu and Bowen pre-tape happened towards the end of the episode, which which harms the the power ranking number. But of course, the, the pure screen time of it is, is the same. So there are all these, these elements to it. And at the end of the day, I, I think it was more kind of luck of the draw than anything. I, I feel like Simu was a very capable and good solid host and, and like he anything that was handed to him he delivered on it was just a lot of the sketches were more ensemble based um so yeah that that's just what's what sticks out to me um because i i would also in terms of hosts i'd want to see again i'd also put him in in my top half for sure out of these 21 so um i think this shows that not only do i want to see him again because he was good 
but I want to see him again because he deserves the chance. We have a lot of people rallying for a Paul Rudd episode next season. I think we should get people rallying for a Simu Liu episode for the same reason. He clearly had, has so much more to give than what we saw. Everything we saw was was great. So let's let's see more of him. Um, a few other notes. I mean, well, can I just uh, can I come back to you yeah. on the few other notes just for a second? Because I just want to ask Mike something before, yeah, sure. uh, like about some of the stuff that you were saying, which is really interesting to me because Nicole, you pointed out that most of the top 10 or top nine was from the second half of the season, right? Except for Billie Eilish. Um, and so and now Jason. if you include, and Jason, yes, excuse me. So if you include Oscar Isaac as our top 10, right? Which is really about half the season, 10 and a half being half of 21. Um, but two of the top 10 are from the first half of the season, 80% are from the second half of the season. So Mike, do you think that something changed after Christmas that would cause so many of the hosts to end up higher up in the rankings? Oh uh, yeah. Kate's return is a uh, number one um, for sure. Okay. That answers the question. Uh, I, I can give more context on the CMU episode if you want. Well, I just want to understand why does Kate McKinnon's return cause the hosts in the second half of the season to rise up the rankings? Um, it's not a singular factor. It's just a factor, um, you know, for at least, you know, making okay. a line of demarcation between like, you know, pre and post Christmas or whatever. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think a story of the season. Um, well, you know, first of all, I, I think the for how many first timers, I think there was like some great hosts this season. Um, and like, I look forward to rewatching um, a lot of them uh, when I'm not thinking about numbers the whole time, um, because there was like, you know, just, I was really surprised, um, you know, a couple of hosts I had never heard of and they were like some of my favorites. Um, and I put Simu in there because I had never heard of him and I thought he, he was like awesome in his episode. Okay. All right, Nicole, what other notes do you have about people in the bottom half of the rankings? Thank you for the, the interjection. I, I think that was, that was good. Um, what else? I mean, yeah, I think that like everything else, I, I would kind of expect Jonathan Majors to be in the Simu spot because that episode was so overshadowed by Not Taylor right. Swift, of course. Um, and yeah, that one, like he, all of my memories of that episode, I, of course, I, I remember everything because we analyze it to, to this to this intense degree. You remember degree, it like, all too well. Exactly right. Um, but like when, when I think about the episode, the first thing I think about is all too well, 10 minutes. The second thing I think about is three sad virgins and everything else is just sort of like a mush of things that I am remembering to analyze, you know? Um, so I would really expect him to be the outlier. Um, but what else? I mean, Oscar Isaac, that was one of the episodes that I was there live for. And I just, I think everybody loved Oscar Isaac. He's ranking really high every time we pull our, our social media audience, how, who people want to see again in season 48. Um, it's like, we get a lot of the, like the Jason Sudeikis people, of course. Um, we had a lot of Selena Gomez fans flooding those, those polls too. But like in terms of our internal audience, like of, for, for any first time host, non former cast member objective like internal audience that we're polling Oscar Isaac ranks really really high and for me from having been there in person I can attest that the energy was just like incredible um so I feel like when you're a host and you're a first timer you're not a former cast member who's having a huge like return home to glory like Jason should look like that he should be so high because that episode should have just been about him and doing what he deserved and getting his guest actor Emmy like yes that's just nobody else is being considered that's that's what needs to happen um but I think if, if it's not a case like that it's better to be in an Oscar Isaac spot than to be in like 
you know, even the Benedict Cumberbatch spot. I think like being really in the middle, just like that can be the best type of episode. We talk a lot about hosts who will give a lot of shine to other people or who will be in the center of attention and always in the A roles and things like that. And like the, the best episodes of SNL with the exceptions of the homecoming ones, like Jason, the best ones, 80, 85% of the best ones are like with hosts who rank around where Isaac Ross Isaac is ranking. So that's just like when we, we talk about numbers, I, I also want to point out that we're, we're not saying number one or number two or number three is the first, second and third best place to be. We're saying this with like the, the caveat that like the best episodes can be people can be hosts who rank all across this this spectrum. So I just want to kind of point that out as well. For sure, Mike. Anything else about the host rankings that you want to point out to the audience? Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, we, we did a stat. I can't even remember. I think it was last season actually, because um, we had uh, our friend Andrew Haynes. SNL has a cast on, and so I, I prepared a stat just for him. That was like, um, you know, how much how much how how high does the the cast score depending on the host because i wanted to see you know is is the host really draining the episode is he really you know is is are is he or she really the focus and and if so does that make for a better episode or a worse episode or you know let's chat about it um and you know we kind of determined that like you know a really long monologue or an appearance in the cold open or, you know, in Jason's case, he also appeared in Update. Um, you know, that's obviously going to make the host um, take away an opportunity for another sketch if the model is really long, like Mulaney's or Chappelle's. And it's, uh, you know, also if you were on Update, which is like Elon Musk was on Update um, and Sudeikis is on Update this season. Um, that's going to, you know, take away another opportunity for another cast member. So, you know, whether or not that's a good or a bad thing is um, definitely up to the to the viewer. But that was, um, you know, that's something that I, I'm definitely going to look at for this season because I feel like the hosts were put um, uh, forth more purposefully this season and it could have had something to do with the monologue. And Simu's monologue was the shortest um, of all the monologues recorded. And uh, actually, Sudeikis' and Simu Liu's screen time are the two that like I like actually like double checked like multiple times. I'm like is Sudeikis is really this high? Like, did I mess up? And is Simu Leo is really this low that I mess up? Because Sudeikis is 34 minutes flat. And Simu Leo's is 11 minutes, 22 seconds. So like literally triple over triple um, the screen time right there. And I was like, you know what? It was really just like um, the karaoke sketch. Nicole mentioned the short monologue. And uh, one thing we didn't, I don't know if we mentioned yet is um, it really hurts uh, hosts um, power ranking score if they're just left out of something. So Jonathan Majors and two and three sad virgins, and then Simu Leo and walking in Staten, which has in his episode, which is, uh, you know, over a four minute pre-tape that's long for a pre-tape. And it was, you know, a big part of that episode that he was left out of. So it doesn't happen that often, but you know, it's typically a pre-tape. It's very rarely a live sketch. Um, does happen once in a great while. Um, I think with Chappelle, it did happen, but that's that's just another factor of like you know if we're talking about impact of a host on an episode obviously if they're left out of something that's they're less impactful for sure i just realized i think so so simu is almost exactly or jason is almost exactly three times simu's screen time like yeah. almost, almost almost exactly, exactly. by a couple of seconds off of, of exact so that's just like wow 
Yeah, it's it's really crazy to think about uh, what a dominating dominating performance by Jason Sudeikis. Uh, okay, let's talk about the cast power rankings. And for anybody who's listening, uh, pay attention to these cast numbers because they're going to be very important when we talk about our ratings for each cast member this season and how they did overall. Uh, we've been going through these cast rankings throughout the entire season. So if you haven't gone back and listened to all our by the number shows, it's always really interesting to go through the cast rankings and see how they develop and change throughout the season. So let's bring up our cast rankings for the final time this season. And we will start once again with everybody who is above average. And of course, Keenan Thompson, who just had a dominating 19th season at the show, comes in first place this season at 86.66. Keenan also led the season in sketch appearances. Cecily Strong comes in second place, 74.14. She missed several episodes this season while doing the Lily Tomlin play, but she still had a very dominating season. I would only wonder uh, how much more dominating it would have been had she been there for the entire season. So it's interesting to talk about her season 47 because she had a very strong uh, appearance count as well. Colin Jost always dominates the screen time whenever he is a weekend update anchor, and he is there at 68.23 in third place. AD Bryant comes in fourth place at 67.69. Then we have Mikey Day rounding out the top five, 67.18. Kate McKinnon, who missed the start of the season, but then had a very strong rest of the season, comes in at 62.24. Chris Red, he's a guy we talked about a lot with his strengths and how he's developed the season, comes in at 59.75 in seventh place. Then Ego Wodum comes in next, 59.49 eighth place. Michael Che coming in at 52.75. And then Heidi Gardner comes in at 52.07. Okay, so those are the cast members that are above average. That would be our top 10. Nicole, thoughts on the top 10 cast members from this season? Yeah, we almost have Keenan looking like Jason looks on the host one. Just again, for any audio listeners, like Keenan's, Keenan's, uh, you know, step before uh, above the next person is is steeper than like pretty i think any other you know step on on here like it's it's a very steep lead and that's a testament of course to his consistency and and just always being really yeah just just consistent i don't think there's a better word for for the way the work he puts in at the show week to week um yeah this this is it's it's interesting i i always every time we do this i i bring up colin and i'm just amazed that a weekend update anchor who is pretty much never in other sketches is ranking so high. I think if we were doing this in 2009, we would like laugh at ourselves to, to think that that would, would be the norm that like a weekend update anchor in no other sketches would be at the top of the list when like those days were just so fundamentally different um, in terms of how much screen time people would get. I, we should, we should go back and, and uh, do that. But um, anyways, yeah, this is, yeah, the Colin thing always, I always like, it, it's just, it's wild to see. Um, I think, I, I think to your point, John, about Cecily, if she were, if she hadn't missed those two episodes, would she be even higher? And I disagree with that. I think that somebody like Cecily or even like Kate, when she came back for that Billy episode and had the biggest single, Kate had the biggest single episode screen time of the season out of any cast member, that first episode she came back. I think for Cecily, in those those episodes right before she left and even the ones right after, I, I think that more of her sketches were put in or she was written into more things, a combination of that. Um, 
And I think that that boosts her. If she, if she did not have that absence, I don't know that she'd be that high as much like, you know, the same, have like the same leader, higher lead, just because when, when people, when you know, someone's not going to be there and you know that they're tenured and beloved and longstanding, like the week before they leave, you know, they're, if it's between their sketch and something else, that's, that's the answer. So I don't think Cecily would be much higher without her absences. I think she maybe would even be lower, uh, which is just an interesting thing to, to talk about, like the the politics of, of the show and, and the, the dynamics with what gets in, what gets, what gets left out week to week. Yeah, those are, those are my, my notes. Okay. Mike, how about you? Anything from the top 10 that we should talk about? Yeah, well, let's, let's talk about Cecily. Um, uh, she missed episode 9, 10, 11, 12 completely. So posted a zero for those. And episode eight was the uh, Billy Alice episode. She popped in the cold open and that was it. Um, so, of course, all 21 episodes are, cons- are counted for all 21 cast members on this chart. Um, but Cecily's uh, number, her average would have been 91.58 if we didn't count the zeros. So she was stayed on course at least and posted like 75 eighties in those episodes she missed, you know, if she were, you know, were part of the cast those nights, um, you know, I, I think for sure her number would be higher. So could have been number one ahead of Keenan. And I think John, you'd agree that, you know, she'd at least be in two or three sketches that night. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, that just the answer for the, you know, for, for that number, it would have been, you know, an, 91.58 would be a really strong number. I mean, we look at how, how like Nicole said, how high Keenan is above number two. I mean, think about po- possibly four or five points higher than Keenan for number one for Cecily. Um, so even if, even if, you know, to Nicole's point that she, if she didn't really, you know, dominate the episodes that she, you know, the four that she missed, I could definitely see her being it for sure an 82 or 83. I mean, I think that uh, the interesting part of this discussion is if I was to ask which one of the people in the top 10 would you not expect to be in the top 10, and I had to think about it, I would probably think maybe Mikey, just because, you know, he's so not talked about enough. And that was, you know, one part of our discussion over the last month was how much of a utility player he's become. And uh, he's just so a part of so many sketches, but he's had such a strong end to the season that he just managed to get into that top five. And I think we should talk about him more uh, with our live chat here. Who's watching us. I would love to know from you, if there is somebody in the top 10 that you're surprised is in the top 10, because for me, that's probably the name that stands out the most um and maybe bowen who rounds out our top 10 would be somebody who uh you know had a had some moments this season but i wouldn't necessarily have expected uh him to you know crack the upper half but uh, good for him and uh, i feel really good about everybody in the top 10s season i don't think anybody I, I wouldn't say any of these people had a bad season but we'll quantify that as we go through the show um nicole is there anyone else for you in the top 10 that you want to talk about yeah, I, I would probably say Heidi. I think that her first half of the season um, was a little bit stronger than her second half. Um, I think that that maybe had, had to do with with Kate and some roles that like they they would have kind of if if it were a role written like it could have gone to either of them that kind of thing. So I do feel like in the memory of like I, where there's a little bit of the recency bias that we're all operating from as we analyze the season. So I think that for me the second half of the season. Um, I just based on that kind of thing, I, I, I would have guessed Heidi maybe would be like a little bit, a few, 
uh, kind of notches below. Um, but again, looking back on the, the first half of the season, she she had a lot of really strong moments. So it, it, it does make sense. And I think, again, like culminating in all the conversations we've had leading up to it, we're, we're picking things apart that are like, oh, right, that does make sense or, or this or that. So like a Mikey, I think at first – it's like if this is your first time tuning into a by the numbers show, you might be like, oh my gosh, yeah, Mikey Day, I guess he really is up there. Um, but it's cool to see after the the conversations we've been having about him recently that he really just fits so seamlessly into so many sketches that he he's he just he works in so many places in a very I I would compare it to to Keenan. Um Keenan, I think again, if you're not in analyzing the numbers, you might be surprised because he didn't have as many memorable roles as say a Sarah Sherman or um, other people, you know, further down or like a Kate or a Bowen. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's, I think that, that Keenan and Mikey are very similar that way, that they're doing so much more than, um, kind of meets the eye and they're, they're really, um, the, the part of a sketch, the kind of the, the glue of, of a sketch in, in a lot of cases. 100%. Okay. Let's talk about the bottom part of our rankings for the cast members this season. And here we go. We have a 11 through 21. So Bowen Yang actually did come in at 11. So 51.67. And he is the last person to be above average. Our average is 50.59. We're right below average. Like as close as you can be to the average is James Austin Johnson, who comes in very strong in his first season and really just showing off his chops. And we assume he will be an SNL cast member for a long time. So he'll have his opportunity to climb the rankings. Then we have Alex Moffitt coming in just below that at 49.94 so really those two as close as you can get to the average kyle mooney then next in his final season at the show comes in 14th place with 48.47 andrew dismukes we talk about a lot on the show and his writing and his sketch production uh he comes in at 41.5 in 15th place chloe Feynman is next 16th place with 38.96 we're definitely going to talk about her and the pre-tapes that she made as the season started to come to an end pete davidson in his final season 34.34 17th place sarah sherman comes in 18th place 31.49 then melissa comes in 19 31.26 hunky johnson 20th 21.55 and then aristotle at 12.56 21st place okay nicole anyone from the bottom part of the rankings you want to talk about yeah, I mean, well, first of all, just when you said Pete Davidson in his final season, I kind of got the chills for a second. I don't know if it's if it's really hit me, but it it, it was his final season. Um, yeah, I mean, the Aristotle number, of course, we're we're gonna talk about uh, that one. We we've been talking about all season. I think his his last place hood has has kind of his his last placement has become more and more um, apparent over the the season, and it the the lead that the second place had over him has grown. Um, so that is unfortunate to see. Um, yeah, somebody in the, in the chat, um, I think it was Eric said that it's, it's really interesting how that middle of the pack, there's, there's so much, uh, people are very close. Whereas at the top, there are these big steps between each person. And then towards the bottom, there are these big steps and then the middle third, really like there's, there's a lot of closeness and, um, that's, that's just cool to see. I feel like that's, how a cast should be is like there are a lot of people who maybe it's it's a mix of people who kind of sometimes aren't in an episode so much and then they have these really amazing episodes and then they're you know I, I think that's that's kind of what the the middle is is made up of um whereas the very top is more people who are just consistent in a more understated way like Mikey Keenan 
Colin Jost as well. And, and the middle is more people who are like, it's kind of ironic that it seems like the middle, everything is very gradual. So it seems like these are the people who are the most consistent um, on the surface when in reality, it's more people who are a little bit not as consistent, who are like, have really good episodes sometimes and sometimes they don't, which is just the nature of things. And um, it's a lot of people who really stand out when they do have a big moment and and in a big cast, like it, it, I feel like it's cool to see that when there are people who have good episodes and, and less strong episodes, it, it for a lot of these people, it, it evened out to just like on the surface being just a really solid cast member who just fits right in. So I, I, I'm kind of fascinated by that, like almost contradiction. I'm, it's not a contradiction. It's like a, it's an aesthetic contradiction. I'll, I'll call it that. Okay. Mike, what about you? Anything from the bottom part of the rankings you want to talk about? Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, there was, um, I'm glad you brought that up. Someone in the chat and then Nicole echoed it that, yeah, it, it is like razor thin in the whole middle of the cast. And I think that's a, that's, uh, I just want to say hats off to the writers or Lauren or whoever's making those decisions is that like for a cast that's this big, I think it's been, um, handled extremely well. I mean, if you, you know, if Aristotle or Melissa or Punky were here, they would say, Hey, I, I could have, I could have done more, but uh, for a cast that large, they they really like we we saw a lot of people in a lot of weeks, um, and that, the numbers definitely uh, backed that up. But yeah, I want to talk about Dismukes. Um, we're going to talk about him individually later, but uh, I just you know because this is my model that I've worked really hard on, and you know the the numbers have evolved a lot, and I uh, I think he he's definitely a uh, a casualty of the of the system a little bit. And um, we're lucky we have great listeners of this podcast who are really into SNL and they, they watch everything. They watch the cut for times on YouTube, not just the last sketch of the night. But, you know, uh, Will Forte, you know, has probably been crowned by many as the uh, previous like king of the 10 to 1. And I'm looking at uh, Dismuke's top appearances and I see, you know, mail-in testing service from the first episode. I see... Um, Declaration pitch from the Sudeikis episode, Steve's Beanie Babies from Lizzo, and Word Crunch when he hosted the game show um, on Zoe Kravitz episode, Kitchen Staff with Ariana DeBose, um, as well as New Governess with Ariana DeBose, Scattering Remains with Carmichael. So those are all like after update. And so, you know, the, the math does not tell what's funny. You know, I'll, I'll never, the, the math will never say this person's funnier than this person. It just measures. The, intan- the, uh, the tangible um, empirical data that we can see with our own eyes. And uh, Office Song with, with uh, Willem Dafoe, Tombstone with Joan Hall. Um, so um, I, I only skipped his update appearance and the Mulaney musical, which I believe was after update as well. Um, so, you know, things like that are definitely a hindrance um, for a more of a niche performer. And I actually like that in the model because. This is a model that should be staying up to the test of time uh, 10 years from now. And this is SNL. This is a very popular TV program that a lot of people watch that aren't super fans. And so I, I bet if you ask a lot of people, hey, do you watch SNL? And they said, yes, they might not know who Andrew Dismukes is. I mean, of course, we do. We love him. You know, we think he's a huge part of the show. But the average person would say, you know, Kate Keenan, Pete Davidson. You know, that's probably the three names they'd probably throw out. They wouldn't say Sarah Sherman or Andrew Dismukes, but that's, you know, but they're building a fan base based on the 10 to 1s 
and those later in the night um, things. So I, I think the numbers make a ton of sense, but those are numbers that when, as a viewer of the show, I watch every sketch, obviously multiple times to gather this data. And so I, you know, in my subconscious, I consider Andrew Dismukes probably a bigger star than he is, but the data says, you know, 41.5. I'm like, Oh, that's dead on. So Mike, where did Andrew Dismukes finish last season in the power rankings? Do you have access to that quickly? Sure. Yeah. Give me 10 seconds. Okay. No problem. Yeah. Cause I'm just very curious about his improvement from the last year to this year, because maybe it's not necessarily, I mean, James Austin Johnson's probably the exception to the rule, but you know, Sarah Sherman had a very strong first season. So I'm curious if maybe that's where Andrew was last year. Sarah had the 31.49 this year. Could Andrew have been closer to that? And then he bumps up to the 41.5 in 15th place this season. I would expect on the trajectory that Andrew is going, he's going to end up being over average by the time we talk about this after season 48. Oh, big time. And um, he's the, um, by and large, the most improved cast member. Um, so I was, I was holding on to that stat for when we talk about him, but he's uh, last season was 29.24 was his final season average. Now this season, uh, 41.5. So that's a, about a 42% increase. Um, wow. That's the biggest in the cast, um, especially because he was, you know, present last year um, and this year, you know, obviously the, the Cates and Cecilies who or AD Bryant who missed time last year. Um, but yeah, e- even then, um, Andrew's the most improved cast member. So going from, um, you know, what did I just say? 20, 20, 20, some 22 to a 41, like basically doubled his score. So, uh, we did a couple shows ago, we did, um, sophomore season, um, deep dive stats. And it just showed that Andrew's mukes is like, you know, like blowing up on the show. Yes. Um, so, you know, we can talk about these cast members and we always do so through the lens of the power rankings, but we wanted to try something a little bit different here for our postseason show and really use it as a case study to test out what the future of these by the numbers shows look like, because I think that we can analyze all the objective data and that is such an important part of what we do here. But at the end of the day, our analysis of the data is the thing that I think attracts people to watching this show. And you know, I always find that the chats themselves have, you know, during the shows have the most interesting feedback on the different power rankings, the cast members. So we're going to try something tonight. And we're what we're going to do is, is we're going to rate each cast member for the season out of 10. And the way we're going to do this isn't like Mike said, where it's okay, was this cast member funnier than this cast member? Because, you know, funny is subjective. It's hard to do that. Well, we want to take into account some of the data So the screen time, the power rankings, the appearances, think about all of those things, you know, who made impactful moments on the show this season. Think about the sketches that you saw throughout season 47. And let's talk about what the standard is for a great SNL season on the show. I think if you're talking about somebody who had a transcendent season on the show and we say, wow, this season was their season, like a Phil Hartman, let's say in season, I don't know you know, 14, 15, 16, he was putting up numbers that were just outrageous. That to me is like a 10 out of 10 season. Obviously, there are some cast members who produce one out of 10 seasons. I don't need to name them, but there are that do that through maybe no fault of their own, but that's just the case. And we want to document that a little bit and have some fun with it. So what we're going to do is, is we're going to go through each cast member, myself, 
Mike and Nicole will give them a rating out of 10. And we also asked the SNL Network patrons to give each cast member a rating out of 10. We will then take the average of those of four ratings. So each of our ratings are worth 25%. And then we will give the cast member a total rating for the season based on me, Mike, Nicole, and the SNL Network patrons. Okay? Guys, you ready for this exercise? All right, so let's do it. Let's start in, and this, by the way, we're going to do this in alphabetical order, regardless of repertory or featured players, because that way we can compare and, you know, not have any bias whatsoever when we're doing this. Okay, let's start off with our first cast member that we're going to be talking about. And I'll also put the ratings up on screen as we go. And we will start with Aristotle Atari. So this is a very interesting case that we're going to talk about here. Aristotle Atari his first season on the show came on, had some really big moments at the start of the season. We had Angelo. We had Laughing Tosh 3000. And remember, what we're talking about here is canon SNL. So we're not talking about anything that is cut for time, anything that happened in dress rehearsal. We're just talking about things that made it onto the show. Aristotle finished with 28 appearances in the season. That was 19th place out of 21. He was only ahead of the weekend update. Uh, anchors in Colin and Michael. His total screen time, 15 minutes and 38 seconds, was 21st of the season, so in last place. All right. Nicole, can I start with you on this one? Can oh, you- okay. This is big. I'm doing the first rating of the first cast member we're talking. Okay, okay. I mean, are you I'm, okay with this? Are you do you want to start? Yeah, I guess I'm okay. honored that, that you would trust me to, you know, I, I could just mess it all up right now. I could break all the rules. So I trust um, you. I would of, like to get your your rating out of 10. Tell us your thought process, how you're going to sure. go into these ratings. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So um what's so something about me that I I think people know, but maybe I think it comes off a little less than it's real. I'm I'm very um neurotic and and precise about things and it's it's like it's it's like a Jewish thing. It's an OCD thing. I'm I, I'm very like precise about things, and and um. So when 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 we wanted to do this, I I thought about it for so much. Like, how am I going to take an out of ten number and and really like be true to to my like you know fun and creative side of how I want to approach things and and rank things and discuss things, but also that person who like doesn't want to just throw out numbers without really thinking about it and and like. Uh, you know, just being being very precise, um, and so yeah. So basically, like in my mind, I'm thinking about it in different ways. I think we talk so much about like how it sometimes looks amazing when someone doesn't get a lot of screen time, but they get they rank high on our MVP poll a lot. Like that's like even better than getting a lot of screen time and not being memorable in so many ways. So like I'm, it's a lot of sort of. Um, it's it's a lot of like two two sides of the same coin the way that I'm thinking about this. Um, so for Aristotle, okay, the the thing for me and an, another factor, another factor is for me is like is a trajectory. So like if someone had a great first half of the season, okay, cool. But if they trended downwards heading into the next season, to me that's very significant. And that's unfortunately what did happen with Aristotle. I think we saw a lot more from him in the beginning and that, that kind of momentum fell uh, gradually and very notably in the the second half. Um, So because of that, I'd say the main reasons I'm going to, I want to think about Aristotle in terms of the the downward slope and the trend of his screen time of what made air um, just being 
um, last in the season. I, I think what really does hurt him is that his two counterpart rookies had the two best rookie seasons we've seen in recent memory, as we we posted today, rookie screen time chart of the last three years. So just by pure comparison, that really hurts him. And that's through no fault of his own. It's just, that was a lot of good timing and, and production stuff. And um, so, but it does hurt him. Um, and then also this being the biggest cast, it's a huge cast. So, so to have like the, 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 the comparison of having the biggest cast with being compared to two rookies who somehow, despite having a massive cast, still stood out more than any other rookies in recent memory. All of these things are working against him. And while I want those things to make me up his score, um, you know, out of like, out of just wanting, you know, understanding where it's coming from, it's still just an objective fact that these things played against him heavily. Um, And with all that said, I'm going to give him a three. Okay. So Nicole is going to give Aristotle a three out of 10 for the season. Okay. Mike, over to you for your rating for Aristotle for season 47. What a one to start with. I mean, this has been a storyline all year and it's been very worthy. Um, Statistically, let's, let's not, you know, let's acknowledge the elephant in the room. Probably one of the worst statistical seasons in SNL history. And I, I haven't hit it. I'm an Aristotle fan. Um, I've been rooting for him big time. Um, but like the, the numbers are really bad. I mean, 15 minutes, uh, 1538, right? Yeah, 1538 is his total. And that's, that's, um, that, that's like uh, generous because a lot of the screen time I remember doing for Aristotle. Um, if he, if he wasn't for four seconds in a Spider-Man suit, he was answering phones in the background of the um, Fox News Ukraine cold open, or um, in the background of the uh, congressional hearing in the Kim Kardashian open, where you know he could have been an extra. So some some of that's is uh, a good chunk of his screen time. So at all said and done, Aristotle had one, two, three, four, five. Um, oh, actually four um, appearances of a minute or more. And one of them is one I mentioned, the uh, background of the Fox News telethon open. Other one was the uh, contestant in the word crunch and then his two known um, appearances, Angelo and the Laugh and Toss 3000, which were in the Rami Malik and um, Jonathan Majors episodes, respectively. So... I'm going to give Aristotle a three as well. That's what I have down on my notes. And, you know, statistically, 12.56 is his power ranking score, which is real bad. Um, but I think that I'm, I have to bump him up, um, you know, from like a 1.2, if we're going by, by that, you know, out of 100 to more, to more towards a three, because I, I don't know if I've seen a cast member um, really capture um this underdog audience like he has way different than melissa um has been way different than um even punky a little bit last season um which you know are are underdogs we've rooted for for sure because i think aristotle brings an original angle um comedically and i think that he's somebody that if he came back you wouldn't be surprised because of his low stats but you'd be you'd be you wouldn't be surprised because you'd be like i feel like this dude has stuff to bring to the table 
that other cast members don't. So maybe he's not going to be the next Beck Bennett. Uh, the three of us did a, uh, a, a podcast before the season and we we're like, who's going to get the the boyfriend or the dad roles? And I'm like, ah, oh, this dude's like, seems like a good looking <laughs> guy. Like maybe it'll be him. It's not going to be him. I don't think um, Aristotle is going to be um, the, just the, you know, the straight man. But those um, eyes, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good looking dude. Um, but I just don't think it's going to be him. And I, he, you know, he did have the uh, Michael Che landlord, um, uh, Mr. Milos cut, um, you know, Angelo was cut a couple of times. So there's, if, if you are somebody who, who's bringing characters to SNL, I, I just think that's a huge um, sign of somebody who's fit for the show. And um, so I, again, ultimately very disappointing season. We, you know, look at the segments. He didn't stand out in any of the segments. Cold opens, pre-taped. He's not like a pre-taped guy. He's not a live sketch guy. He's unfortunately didn't find his, uh, you know, footing on the show. And that a lot of it could be doing, uh, dealing with our writer politics and that type of stuff. And like Nicole said, being in a giant cast and with two other like really strong rookies. But I'm giving um, Aristotle a three for this season. For sure. I... Honestly, this is the thing for me is that I'm kind of a harsh grader. Like if somebody really deserves to have a great season, I will give out a 10. But I think Aristotle had statistically one of the worst seasons ever. And the only reason that I wouldn't give Aristotle, there have been some bad seasons, by the way, in the history of the show. I don't think Aristotle has had the worst season ever because he had these like two characters that really resonated he got them on the show. It was his first season. So I'm not going to like say that, you know, you have to give that a little bit of a caveat. Um, but that's the only reason why I wouldn't give him a one out of 10, because I just think that he's not like he, he there was episodes where he just wasn't even there. I mean, he was in the building, but it wasn't like a Pete Davidson situation where he wasn't there for other reasons. Like he was there. He just wasn't being written for. For me, there was weeks where even in dress rehearsal, um, you know, we we couldn't, we didn't even see anything. So um, I like Aristotle. I like what I've seen from him. I think as objectively as possible, I hope they bring him back on the show, but I can't justify giving him more than a two out of 10 for this first season on the show. I think that's really where I feel comfortable giving him. I think there have been one out of 10 seasons in the history of the show. I don't think this is a one out of 10 season. But I do think that this is as close as you can get to being at a two. But like I said, we also asked our patrons for their ratings as well. And the patrons were a little bit nicer. So they decided to give Aristotle. Uh, their totals average came out to a 4.13, which will be you know added to a four for Aristotle. So that will give him a total score of a three out of 10 for season 47 and that's where aristotle will end up so mike and nicole definitely had that right and um you know i'll just say it again i would love to have aristotle back on the show next year and to get to see what he'd do i don't i'm not necessarily saying hey it's all his fault but we have to look at the season and talk about you know from the numbers perspective how this whole thing turned out okay up next we do have Aidy Bryant, who was there for her last season on the show, she finished up her run at SNL in her 10th season at the show. She came out fourth in total screen time at 95 minutes and 36 seconds. For sketch appearances, she was in eighth place at 62 sketches. 
there was a couple episodes where she didn't miss this season. Uh, let's talk about some notable moments for 80. I mean, the trend forecasters, how can you not talk about this new uh, pairing that she had with Bowen throughout the season? Uh, we also talked a lot of times <laughs> on the podcast about how her and um, her and uh, Sarah got along great behind the scenes and she really helped her. So, um, you know, this was a very fun season for 80 Bryant. Uh, there was also the mattress store sketch, which was one of the you know best sketches of the season, as voted by the fans that we discussed last week on the season forty six postseason roundtable. So I'm interested to know where you guys feel eighties Bryant's season rates. Mike, I'll start with you on this one. Do you want to give your rating for eighty Bryant? I would love to. Um, I'm really glad that the mattress store was mentioned because I had that um, in my notes. Uh, I'm looking at her appearances again. Um, just because I mentioned it for Aristotle, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't for 80. Um, 62 appearances, 38 of them were one minute plus. So it just shows the usage versus the actual gross number that we're giving you of how many times that they appear or give a voiceover or any capacity, 80 to 62. But like 38 of those, that means that like, you know, again, I've mentioned it before, how I click screen time. It's literally, is your body on stage or are you speaking? Um, so that's like, you know, I'm definitely as strict as I can to make it consistent as possible, but also, you know, generous if you're, you know, off screen and speaking. Obviously, that's you're, you're contributing to the sketch. And I, I want to talk about uh, 80 Bryant's range. I'm a huge 80 fan. I've never said it on the show before, but like one of my favorite cast members. So I, you know. I don't think my bias went into this because I'm I'm the analytical guy of on on this show and this is an analytical show. But um, AD Bryant's range I think is underreported. Um, she has poked fun at herself, and I I want to mention this sketch too, the '80s Dream sketch from the Oscar Isaac episode. Um, I love, especially now that we have the knowledge that it's her last season. Um, we'll talk about Pete, Kyle, and Kate as well when they come up, but. When a cast member really can pinpoint what they bring to the show, it means that they have an identity at the show. So if you can't really point to, you know, what you know, what do you, what exactly do you do here? Um, then I think that's a problem because SNL is a show of personalities, and I think AD Bryant has been um, an amazing personality. That she's been on the show plenty long enough, but I think that it, it hasn't been said enough that. She really does do it all. Um, I I think even more so than Kate McKinnon, and you know I'm I'm glad we got less Ted Cruz as the season went on. But um, '80s Dream, the mattress store, Mother's Day gifts, and then you know so she plays, of course, plays a mom, plays a teacher. You know, Home Goods, she played a mom. Mother's Day gifts, she played a mom. She did that in the Regina King episode last season. Um, but you know, pl- porch scene plays the Kate McKinnon, you know, nerdy friend and. Um, also the kids clash, which I think was, I, one of my, probably my favorite sketch of the Will Forte episode. Um, I thought she really stole that sketch a lot in the, whatever, in the, you know, pit of cream that she was trying to find a flag in. I thought she was like phenomenal in that sketch. And, um, I think, you know, she really had a reel in Lizzo a lot in that black eyed peas sketch. Um, so I think her, her veteran leadership in a sketch like that where Lizzo is probably having the time of her life and it shows. And we loved Lizzo because we were laughing along with her. But at the end of the day, if A.D. Bryant wasn't there, that sketch might have got a little out of hand. Um, and uh, yeah, and then the, the trend forecasters, she also played Mother Earth on Update as well. Um, but the trend forecasters, I think, 
was a huge gift to the SNL network by the numbers team because I, I, th- I think me and Nicole have related to those two characters because of just, you know, we have a very large computer that beeps loud. That's, I, right. that's how I feel my yes. laptop is too with gushing SNL data. So that was a gift to us and a great send off for AD Bryant. And I'm, this is, I, I don't know if it's my highest score, but I'm giving AD Bryant a nine. I think this is wow. an extremely strong season for AD Bryant. I think she went out totally on her own terms. And I thought it was a fantastic season for AD Bryant. I'm giving her a nine. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I sort of agree. I, I think this was a great season for AD statistically uh, in the top 10 for appearances and screen time. Like I said, she missed a couple of episodes. So you have to wonder what she could have done, even if she was there for the whole season. And, um, you know, some of the cast members who ended up leaving, like I really felt like it was their time. I think we've been talking for a long time about AD Bryant leaving the show and when she's going to leave. And she's been, you know, lumped in with Kate and with, uh, with Cecily. But, uh, I wouldn't have mind if minded if we got another season from Aidy Bryan. I mean, I really, really liked what I saw from her. I felt like, with maybe one exception, uh, we didn't really get this Kate Aidy pairing that we got, you know, for many seasons in a row. That I felt like we was getting like drilled into our heads. This time, I felt like the range of characters that she was producing was really great. I almost feel like there's some type of thing that happened where just like 80 walked into this season. She felt like, at least from our perception, that she was open to doing anything. She was open to working with anybody. And I think that's exactly what you want out of a veteran cast member. For me, I wouldn't say that this was like one of the greatest seasons ever. I think I'm going to land at an 8 out of 10 because I think that's a very strong season. I don't think it was the best season on the cast or historically, you know, a historically amazing season. But I think this was a very strong season for AD to finish out her run on the show. Nicole, where are you on AD Bryant? Yeah, wow, this this is an emotional one to to talk about. I also love AD. I think she's brought so much to the show. I I would disagree with Mike when when you said that you think that she I, th- I think it was that that the, about how she has more range than Kate. In my opinion, no one has more range than Kate. I, I think even in the history of, of the show, I guess Bill Hader is kind of coming to mind. But I really like yeah, the range wise, I that's where I disagreed with you. But I I love AD. I think she has brought so much to the show she has made me laugh so much and in so many different ways all all so for so many years what stands out that we've been talking about this season for 80 is the connection to the new cast and the new writers and the new era i think um i've said this before on, on the podcast when we do compare and we, we lumped in kate cecily and 80 and this this era that is wrapping up um is kind of will be will be known as their era in in a lot of ways and it is regarded as such um, and I think of, of all three of them, I don't know that 80 is my favorite, but I think she, not that we know Cecily's leaving, but I think if all three of them were to leave, 80 would be definitely the one I'd be saddest to see go because of these fresh dynamics that she's built at the show. And because I feel like we're seeing things from her that we haven't seen yet as amazing as Kate's goodbye. And I don't mean to talk too much about Kate while we talk about 80, but as amazing as Kate's goodbye was, it was a callback to something nostalgic. Whereas 80s was kind of more sad because it was like, oh my gosh, it's a new character that it's only your third time doing it. And we could get so much more out of this if you stuck around. So that was 
sad. It was very bittersweet that we we saw her do a character that we, you know, in, in a parallel universe, that could have been like a Stefan level in terms of how much we saw those those characters at the desk and and the merch and how it would transcend the show and and go to bed bitch and, and all those things. And I, I still think it will, but um it did make me sad to think that um if she had even stuck around one more year, I, I think that that duo would have just been massive, massive, massive. Um also another another thing more specifically is I just love 80s partnership with Celestia M. Celeste is one of my favorite writers, probably of all the writers the one who is listed most often on the sketches I find to be my favorites week to week. Um, I've loved their work on the show and I I've loved a lot of the collaborations they've done with 80 specifically. I think um, that's like where I just find 80 doing so much fresh stuff is like working with Celeste and Bowen um, and Sarah. I wish we'd seen more of them on screen, but I know behind the, the screen we've, there's been a lot of them working together. So all that said, so many great moments. There's, there's this nostalgia factor, the sadness for me that I, um, I, I feel like there's more, more from 80 that I feel like we could have seen. Maybe that's a function of her having joined the show. She, she was definitely one of the younger cast members ever to join, not a Pete Davidson level, but she was 25 when she joined. Um, so I feel like now if she had joined the show later, like, on a different timeline there we're just yeah that's that's it I, I keep saying the same thing i think there's more we could have seen from 80 um but she made me laugh a lot 80s dream was one of my favorites of the season trend forecasters between the pop culture obsessedness that i am and the numbers stats report obsessed that i am I, like th- those characters spoke so much to me more than like maybe anybody this season um in terms of like oh that is me that is me um it's it's amazing so um just i love her i'm going to miss her so much and um i think i feel like it's the it's the yeah i i think we there there was more that we could have seen perhaps in terms of like um i don't know you know what the more i talk i i had an 8 in my mind but I, it's a 9 for me actually I was really going to give it an eight, but but she's a nine. I'm very, I'm more, it's fun that we're doing this really on the spot. Cause I'm like, oh wow. Like I'm very moved emotionally and I, I want to give her a nine. So it's a nine. <laughs> yeah. Th- this is interesting. I mean, and that's why I love doing, talking about the stuff on the podcast. Cause I think it's fun to convince each other. It's fun to discuss the arguments. I mean, I, I gave 80 an eight. Mike and Nicole gave 80 a nine. Let's think about what the patrons or Let's talk about what the patrons gave 80 Bryant and, you know, taking into the patrons, uh, all of the patron scores, uh, they ended up at about a 7.44. So that's like pretty much as close as you can get to reaching up to the eight, but she does get a seven from the patrons. So that will bring her average two and eight for the season, even though uh, Mike and Nicole gave her a nine. So, uh, you know, eight, an eight season is a great season for AD Bryant. And I think that, you know, we're going to remember her having a very strong season as we go. Okay, let's talk about the next cast member that we want to talk about. And let's talk about Michael Che and his season on the show. So, um, you know, it's it's interesting always to talk about Weekend Update anchors and talk about, you know, compare them to previous seasons on the show. Obviously, Che was in, he was in a sketch uh, earlier this season, but really beyond that um, was just on Weekend Update. So his sketch appearances were only at 22. I believe it was a pre-tape that he was in where he took his bag and went home as if he was ready to quit the show, um, which was very funny. Uh, he was eighth overall in screen time at 77 minutes and 29 seconds. 
Uh, let's talk about notable moments. I mean, this is going to apply to Colin Jost and Michael Che, but they both passed Seth Meyers in weekend update anchor appearances from this season. Um, you know, it's, uh, during the season. So really, for me, uh, that's very monumental to talk about their longevity on the show. I don't think that I had a moment this season where I was like, wow, Che is hitting on all cylinders. But I think he had a very solid season as a weekend update anchor. I know that I would, I would probably say that the most I've enjoyed him was his back and forths with the trend forecasters a little bit. But I haven't really gotten much from him to me that could justify me putting him more than a 5 out of 10. I think this was like an average season for a weekend update anchor. And I think that's probably where I'm comfortable landing today. Nicole, let's go to you next for your rating for Michael Che. Yes. Sorry, remind me what, what or not remind me because it happened 14 seconds ago. What, did, what was your number? I'm going to give him a 5 out of 10 for the season. Okay. So yeah, I, I feel similarly to you. I think that with with Michael Che, we don't have as much on the surface to work with in terms of different things that have happened. For me, what what comes up is the jokes that he told at the desk, the way that he interacted with guests at the desk. And then also I'm gonna factor in, well, I don't know, we're we're making the rules as we go, but how do you feel about factoring in writing credits, John? I think it's fine. I think it counts. I mean, yeah. I don't. I mean, it's yeah, a little unfair because you know we don't we don't no nobody even even there you, you don't know exactly who wrote what joke and what line. But you know there are themes to take from who is who is credited on which which sketches and things like that. So yeah, for for Che, I would say there weren't a lot of memorable moments for me on screen. I agree. What what I liked his interactions with the trend forecasters, but I think that was through the work of AD and Bowen more so than Che. I think he was sort of like the the comic relief and the prop. Literally, it was him and, and a couple miscellaneous props that became the butt of the joke at the end. Um, and I don't think that was really him being funny. I think that was like AD and Bowen and Celeste and Allison Gates and, and, and people who were involved with those. It was them being funny. Um, and then some of the sketches that Che was involved with, at least as far as the writing credits are concerned, were some of my least favorites of the season. I'm going to bring up the the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp cold open. Not for me. I, I didn't like it at all. And you contrast it to the Roe v. Wade one the week before that was Colin Jost written. And, and that one, um, you know, it's not that I really loved having, you know, a, a, in, in theory, like a, a guy writing about the abortion one, but really like it, it couldn't have been better to me. So I have to give Colin credit there. And, and just for those to be back to back, week to week, um, the way I, it just, it, it's a, for me, it's like a, a forced comparison to be made between these two head writers is knowing one was heavily involved with one cold open that I was so touched by. And I thought was just very smart and, 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 the, and tonally appropriate and, 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 and quirky and fun and whatever, um, versus one that was like, I'm pretty sure my least favorite of the season was the, the Amber Heard Johnny Depp one. Um, so yeah, he didn't bring, um, much for me with that said, um, this is kind of unfair and a little bit not canon, but you know, the shows that I did go to live, I, I, I love 
that Che is the one who warms up the crowd. I think that it's very clear that he, um, at least if, if you could argue that he is a little bit checked out and every, he has all this press where it's like, I kind of, I want to leave. I wanted to leave for five years. I never want to leave. It's sort of like all these different things going on and, and he, that he says that are contradictory. Um, with all that said, whether he's checked out or not, I, I think it's clear that he, um, you know, enjoys at least the crowd in person, um, making it more enjoyable for us, setting the tone for the, for the night, every show, two shows a night, you know, dress and live. He does that. Um, so yeah, all, all of that said, um, I'm going to give him a five as well. Okay. So a five from Nicole and, you know, Nicole, you did hit on something right before we head over to Mike, which is just, um, I think that Shay's approach to a lot of things is just taking this subject and being like, but what else aren't we thinking about it? Or what else do we have to talk about if like, if this is happening, then this is happening. And that doesn't always work. Like sometimes it's brilliant when he takes this other angle towards things, but other times it doesn't always click. And I I wonder if this season was a little bit more missed than hit with some of those things. Uh, Mike would love your opinion and your rating from this season on Michael Che. Sure. I I think uh, Michael Che is a case of we won't fully appreciate him until he's gone. Um, I I like the voice that he brings to the show. Um, I think update might be getting a little stale and might need a change. Um, you know, clearly we just, we're in, we're in the, the, the tenure of the administration of the longest serving um, update anchors with him and Colin Jost. So clearly we've, we've seen a lot of these two and I think they've really evolved into like a total force behind that desk. I remember when they started, I, I did not think they were very good together. They like, it, it was a little rough to begin. And I think now I think they're like total pro as they look like they invented the weekend update. Um, Michael Che got 31 minutes and 43 seconds less than Colin Jost this season. And I just had to throw all that out there because it's my most FAQ as the SNL staff guy. It's just crazy. I mean, it's over a half hour more screen time. Um, but you know, if you watch the show, you would not, you would not think so because Michael Che is so present um, in those segments and he's always commenting and reacting to Colin's joke telling, which I think is maybe his signature. If, um, you know, if you look back at, you know, Neil and McDonald, Quinn, uh, you know, Tina, Amy, all those people, I think, you know, Michael Che's ability to just elevate someone else's joke when you can't even see him, even him laughing at (laughs) Colin's transitions or things like that, I think gives him points. Um, as far as his writing this season, again, we don't have the full, you know, um, full grasp of what he contributed to. But, you know, he, he did contribute to the Jasmine and Aladdin um, infamous sketch with Pete and Kim. The Prince oh, auditions. So yeah, I mean, you could say that he's, wow. he's uh, he had a hand in this um, for sure. Um, so, you know. I, you know, I think that was a decent sketch, but I was, you know, has more ramifications off air than on air. Um, also the ladies night sketch, uh, with him as well, um, and skims. So he was, you know, heavily involved in that, that episode for better or worse. Um, the trivia game show with Lizzo Prince auditions with Rami Malek and, uh, the cas- casino proposal with Sudeikis, which I think was one of Keenan's highlights this season. I really liked Keenan and that sketch. I thought he was really funny in that. And the new Gen X pre-tape, pre-tape with Willem Dafoe, which that was great. Um, so, you know, we'll never know. Um, him and Jost and Anna Dresden, um, Allison Gates, they probably have written jokes for so many sketches that they didn't put their name on. Um, 
I'm going to give Michael Che a five this season. Uh, I don't think it was a great season for update that might have been hindered by we didn't get any joke swaps. And I, I know that's like their signature. So Christmas and end of season, we didn't get that. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that Michael Che did get to interact with Bowen and 80 on those uh, trend forecasters. Um, just because like just seeing Michael Che with props was always funny. Um, so he's going to get a five because I, um, because it just, it was just right down the middle for me. Um, I did love him though. in the inventing the inventing Chloe pre-tape, I mean, he was in there for like five seconds and I thought it was great. Me too. So, um, last season he was cut from the Kyle Mooney, like Valentine's day sketch. And I was just bummed because I just love when Michael Che, um, is in a pre-tape or, in a, um, or even in a sketch, um, just because it's like, hey, like you know, show that you actually care and are, are are involved because we all know that you love the show as much as you you know say on Instagram that you're gonna leave. Um, so yeah, I, I think I'm a big Michael Che fan. He's one of the few edgier voices on the show that can you know make people cringe still, which I think the show needs. Um, whether it's your brand or not, I just think that you know Michael Che is a very valuable voice on the show. Um, as far as ranking, yeah, totally easy for me. Five. Yeah, I mean fives across the board for Michael Che from Mike, Nicole, and I. The patrons were a little bit higher on Che this season. They averaged out to a seven for Michael Che, which gives him a six total for the season, which I think is totally fair. I mean, I think you can make an argument that he is a five or a six. So I think that makes sense for Che. It's always interesting to talk about these Weekend Update anchors and compare them to Weekend Update anchors of decades past, especially when they are also head writers. I think Che has probably had better seasons at Saturday Night Live that I would rate higher, but I think that this was an average season for Michael Che, and that's why the rank ranking reflects as such. All right, up next, this will be a fun one <laughs> to talk about. And let's talk about the season that we had for Pete Davidson or the season that we didn't really have for Pete Davidson because part of it, he wasn't there. And he finishes in 17th place, both in sketch appearances and total screen time. So 42 minutes and 50 seconds. He was only in 32 sketches, most of which were you know pre-February um let's talk about some notable moments for Pete Davidson I think you can you know talk about his story arc on the show as um you know what happens when Kim Kardashian comes to host the show Pete Davidson obviously has this very famous sketch with Kim where they kiss and uh you know these things end up sparking they end up you know becoming an item and we find out through the media that they're together and then it's you know it's, it's basically on from that point is how much longer will Pete Davidson be there then he has this amazing pre-tape during the Omicron episode called An Evening with Pete that I think most people felt like was the proper goodbye to Pete Davidson, but it wasn't. And he was there for the rest of the season, at least credited. And uh, we finally do get him back on the season finale where he gives his for farewell to Lauren Michaels and everybody who has watched him on SNL for eight seasons. So Nicole, how would you rate Pete's eighth season at the show? Okay, so here's where we're going to get interesting as far as what what these numbers mean. And I I love our screen time data. I'm very I I I love being rigid and making decisions based on objective numbers, things like that. But something I've been saying that every time I say it rings more true about Pete Davidson is that the most 
influential the, the the most that he gave the show this season the 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 best thing for the show was when he wasn't there it was when he was in the headlines every day um that's for the show like snl really needs that it needs cast members who i said this earlier tonight i it needs cast members who are off doing other projects that make them more famous which in turn makes the show more important because it has cast members who you know from other projects and it needs people who are in the headlines, like who are relevant in that Hollywood, you know, zeitgeist of, of who's who and who's uh, doing what, um, you know, who's sending pictures from bed with uh, to Kanye West with Kanye West's ex-wife. I mean, that sentence is like insane. Um, and like that makes the show that 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 for, for people like us who are going to watch it anyway and analyze it anyway, um, everybody in the chat right now, for people like us, it doesn't matter but it does matter for us because it it make it brings more people to the show and it 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 puts more people here who want to engage with it the way that we do and want to talk about it and and um and I think that's really important um I think if I were at the show you know if I were a cast member or a writer or a crew member or or someone who does the cue cards um anything like that I I would like have resentment about how somebody who was really on his own terms um, was more important than a lot of people who were there all the time. Um, that That's like a, a weird thing to reconcile is how can someone who put in way less work than most people actually have contributed way more to the show and, and to the zeitgeist. Um, that's frustrating, but it's true. It's, it's, it's just the way that it is. It's really how SNL has always been people making headlines and, and being celebrities and rock stars and things like that. That's important to the heartbeat of the show. Um, and also on a more objective level, like he owned the pre-tape category. He had the most screen time in pre-tapes of any other cast member. Um, and that's important. He had a lot of really memorable moments that were pre-tapes, which as we talk about, it's not the heart, the beating heart of the show is the live stuff, Saturday Night Live, but the future of the show is is in large part, it's, it's a lot of pre-tapes and it's a lot of like, more high tech stuff. And Pete Davidson, both his own talent and, and, you know, the people who work with him, he got big wet to work with him, you know, big, big star that we all knew about before. <laughs> um, big wet star. Exactly. Um, who went to my high school, who I, I will bring that up every time. <laughs> um, a few years above me, I did not know him at the time, but now I know him if you're listening. When he was a um, little wet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or when he was medium wet and I was um a lot younger than him. Anyways, so he had so in addition to all my whole rambling that I I resent the way I feel about that cuz I value, you know, support like P. Davidson joked that like like the fact that he could barely show up to work and yet be so successful is like kind of insane. Um but in terms of all that, like he gave us a lot of really good pre-tapes. Um his partnership with Chris Red, I'd say was stronger last season, but they still did a lot of fun stuff together. Um he he did a lot of a lot of good stuff, um, and he helped the show. So I'm uh, gonna say I'll say a six. Wow. Okay, I wasn't expecting that from. Uh, okay, so a six. Okay. What the way I was talking? Did you think I? Yeah, I thought you were gonna go lower than that, but that's okay. That's we got lower than that. The way I was talking. All right, it's a six. Yeah. All right. Okay. So Nicole is going with a six. Michael, where are you gonna go with Pete Davidson? Um, this is a really tough one to, to uh, grade. I think you can definitely subtract points and add points very easily with Pete, where with everyone else we're talking about, it's, you know, very macro and just looking at, you know, 
the sketches and looking at the data where Pete, it's like, um, I think, I, I just think one of the funniest stats I've come up with this season. And now I have a complete stat on it is that, um, pre Kim Kardashian, Pete Davidson averaged three minutes, three seconds per episode. Very pre Kim Kardashian hosting or pre Kim Kardashian dating, dating. Okay. Okay. Like confirmed dating. So this is like, um, from the premiere through Willem Dafoe. Uh, okay. if my memory is correct. Willem Dafoe is January 30th. Um, and you know, Pete like confirmed dating Kim, uh, early February. Um, you know, they were seen together before that, but you know, Pete was still showing up to work and stuff. Um, post Kim Kardashian dating, uh, 42 seconds per episode. So there's like hardly a more stark stat of the season than pre and post Kim K for Pete Davidson. Um, I think that we can't talk about Pete without that pre-tape on the Paul Rudd. I think that it, that could have been Pete's last episode. It was the last episode for director Don Roy King and Anna Dresden. Um, it could have been Pete's last episode. And I think we all would have been like, wow, that was like the perfect send off for Pete meta as hell. Totally got some, you know, last jabs in at the show and, you know, Colin Jost and really acknowledged it was like, you know, uh, Citizen Kane, Raging Bull, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, like all, all in one. It was the longest pre-tape of the season. It really felt like an intentional move. Like I can't imagine that being cut, but it was such a long pre-tape. I mean, I would love an oral history someday of the Paul Rudd episode because the pre-tapes were long in that episode. So I don't, I, I'm curious if they normally cut them down and. In this case, they were, you know, just unedited because it needed more content. Um, but then we obviously they used the pre-tapes because they needed content. Um, they couldn't do live. But um, Pete Davidson had, I think, a fantastic season 46. Um, we were talking a lot about him and his live work that season. Um, of course, he had his rap pre-tapes and you know, with Chris Red, like Nicole mentioned. But I think he really had a strong um, live season last year. and. Um, his screen time and power ranking reflected that he had a thousand point season last year. Um, this season, not so much, but, um, I'm giving Pete Davidson a five. I think he, um, is loses two points for his absences, but gains two points for the impact he had in the season, I think was positive. I don't think it was negative. I, I think, him missing time did not hurt the show. Maybe it hurt his legacy a little bit, but I, I mean, I personally, I don't think so. And I think that uh, we look back, we'll be thankful that Pete gave us a couple more things. I mean, his, his last sketch appearance is him as the beast and Beauty and the beast and the Willem Dafoe sketch, which I think is just kind of like a, just so a, a weird way for Pete Davidson to leave SNL. I mean, he did come back in the update desk once um, again on uh, the finale and, had his uh, Netflix short move, short ass movies. Um, but like, you know, really went out with a fizzle. But I think if you consider the Paul Rudd um, evening with Pete pre-tape, it was just like, I, I, Pete Davidson for sure knew that he was leaving then. I mean, that's not, I mean, that's a, I mean up for debate. I think that you, you don't make that kind of sketch without your goodbye in mind. And it's not canon, but I mean, he did make a final pre-tape about Lorne Michaels for the finale, which I think is like a complete crime that it wasn't included for his last episode. Um, so just have to mention that since no one else did. 
Yeah, that's fair. Um, so Nicole goes with a six. Mike goes with a five. I think for me, I mean, like, look, let me make the comparison to last season, which last season, I do think, and I've said this before, was Pete Davidson's best season on the show. He was tapped in. Every sketch appearance he had, he had impactful moments on the show. And that's really what I talk about. The word impactful, it's not just to uh, glorify my opinions on the show. It's really to say, like, what makes what resonates with the audience. And I felt like last season, there were so many times where everyone's like, wow, Pete Davidson was the best part of that particular sketch. I think it was rare when we actually got that this season while he was on screen. There were some pre-tapes that I think he had some really good moments in. Three Sad Virgins, I think was a really good one. I think Walking in Staten, you know, some people liked it, some people didn't, but I felt like that was a big moment for him uh, this season. So he had some moments on the show, but I just, I don't think we could talk about his season uh, without counting the fact that he was absent, not simply just to film another project, but also without us understanding what the actual reason was that he was absent for so many episodes this season. So, I mean, taking to taking into account everything I saw this season from Pete Davidson on Saturday Night Live, I would probably lean towards a five or a six, but I think that just based on everything that came together for Pete's season 47, I would probably go with a four. I think that was probably where I feel, you know, most comfortable ranking Pete's final season. I think last season was closer to me of, you know, an eight or maybe even a nine for Pete, but this season I sort of felt like was a four. And um, yeah, that's where, that's where I feel. And I will say had he left at Christmas, my rating would be much, much higher for Pete Davidson. I think that that would have changed my perspective on his season 47. Okay, let's uh, let's get the rating from the patrons as well. And the patrons went down the board a perfect five for Pete Davidson. So he finishes up at a five out of 10. Mike, did you want to say anything else about Pete? Yeah, I just thought it was an interesting uh, stat uh, that he was absent for seven episodes. Out of the 21 episodes, only 20 of them had a traditional cold open. And Pete appeared in nine cold opens. So it's pretty, pretty uh, good, good hit rate. That's a good stat. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Okay, so our ratings so far, four cast members in. Aristotle at a 3, 80 at an 8, Jay at a 6, and then Pete at a 5. Let's talk about Mikey Day on the cast this season. And Mikey comes in in his sixth season on the show, ends up being in the top five of total screen time, over 93 minutes of screen time, also ends up in the top five in appearances with 69 sketch appearances this season season i mean there were some moments but you know uh, i think long-term boyfriends that was in a selena gomez episode to me that was the standout sketch for mikey day from this season something that the pre-tape that everybody seemed to love but mostly just fit in as a strong utility player obviously the writing factor is something you have to consider as well when he's consistently writing with streeter and they wrote a lot of fun sketches this season so let's talk about mikey day's season at the show and get some ratings over to our Mike, Mike Murray. What is your rating for Mikey Day? This is, I think, might might be the toughest one. I don't know what you guys think um, about the difficulty of, of ranking. Um, the stats favor Mikey real heavily. Um, so right away, you, you have to give him a high number or you're being unfair. Um, and Mikey Day had like a hot streak of all hot streaks to end the season. Uh, seven minutes, 42 seconds per episode in the last six episodes. So we saw a ton of Mikey at the end of the season. 
um, where Chris Red waned a little bit at the end, where he was like real hot in the in the middle. Um, you know, we saw a little less Chris Red, and we saw a lot more Mikey. Um, I think Mikey Day. It's it's modern SNL would be hard to imagine without him. Um, as strange as that seems, because you know the uh, SNL does a great job at finding like every man cast members, whether it's you know. Jason Sudeikis or Phil Hartman or people like that that are just beloved because they can be anything. Um, Mikey Day doesn't have that shine that those cast members do. Um, but I think he's incredibly invaluable of what he brings as a writer and as a utility player. And I've you know, mentioned the long-term boyfriend sketch. Like Mikey Day doesn't have to be like the reactor. You know, he can just carry a sketch on his shoulders. You know, that sketch didn't need anybody else in it. Um, it was really just him getting every single punchline and every laugh in that sketch. So I, I think that, um, you know, Mikey Day is, you know, more than capable of being the not just a straight man. He can definitely carry the laughs in a sketch. No problem at all. Um, I'm going to give him a seven because he actually um, dipped a little bit this year, statistically from last year, even with the additional episode. Um and I just think that that's, I mean, I see Mikey Day, I'm like, that that's a seven if I've ever seen one. That's really just like, I don't really know what your comedic identity is versus a Pete Davidson or a Sarah Sherman who's, you know, in the show way less than you. Um, whereas like, you know, Mikey Day, I don't think has the character chops that even like a Heidi Gardner brings um, to an update desk. Or um, when you think of Mikey Day, what's the first thing you think of? It's like, I don't know. So it's not an eight for me. Um, whereas statistically, I think I, you know, I think he's more of an eight statistically, but I'm going to put him at a seven because of the body of work of this season. And I think if we went through most seasons of Mikey Day, he'd probably be a seven as well. Well, I sort of think that, and, and Mike does give a seven to Mikey. So I, I think that for this, you know, when Mike asked the question, what do you think of Mikey Day? I would think that traditionally his sketches are like lots of craziness happening around him. And he's the guy that's like, why is this craziness happening? And why is nobody else noticing this craziness? But I didn't really feel like that he did that that much this season, which was a little bit refreshing to me. So I felt that there was some added juice to the things that he was doing on SNL this season. And, um, you know, everybody knows I like it a juice. And I think that, you know, for me, I would probably have gone somewhere closer to the six range if this was, you know, my evaluation prior to these last stretch of episodes. But this hot streak really bumped him up for me. I would probably lean more towards an eight, but because there wasn't these standout impactful moments that I feel like we're going to walk away from season 47 saying these are the great Mikey sketches, and there's only a couple at most, I think I have to also land on a seven like Mike. Nicole, where are you on Mikey Day? Yeah, um, all all great points. I I think it it, it is that that reactor that what I mean I, I I saw somebody on TikTok. I I attempted to do the impression of the impression, um, and I realized I have to drink some water. <laughs> it didn't work, but um, I yeah I, I do think that he's getting a little bit trapped in the the reputation of that that one note thing that he does of being the one the reactor exactly as as you both said um and i think he, he's so integral in this way this understated way like every time i go back through 
through sketches to compile. Like when we did our, our pride compilation a few days ago on social media, or when we were doing some stuff to acknowledge the departing cast members this season, every time I'm going through old sketches for, for social media stuff, um, I'm like shocked at how many sketches he's in, even though we, we talk about it all the time. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, he was in that one and that one and that one. And that was still true this season. That It's always true with Mikey is he's, he, you often don't even realize that he's in a sketch that he's in because he just blends into it. Um, and he kind of can be an audience surrogate in that way of reacting to the insanity. So he just feels like he's one of us watching more than even being in the, the, the sketch sometimes. So yeah, I, I think like, I don't think we even realize how much the show would lack without him because of that seamlessness that he brings to it. Um, so we can't even, it's hard to, to picture what it would be like without him in that way. Um, but with that said, I, I, I do favor people who are going to give me more things that I remember and that I want to talk about on the Monday morning. Like he's not so much that person of like when after an episode airs, it's like, I'm not really thinking about his performance. Maybe it's like his performance makes something work, but it's not the performance that I want to be talking about and that, that inspires me and that I'm remembering so much. Um, but I mean, I think, yeah, I think he's giving more to the show than any of us could really articulate because it's just, it's just seamless. It's, it's like, it's like he makes the fabric work. He makes the machine run. Um, and the fact that he has had such a strong writing presence on the show for a long time, like that, you know, before he was a cast member, like that stuff and his partnership with Streeter. I just think there's, he, he is a bigger part of the show. I mean, comparing, I know, like I might get some flack for giving Pete a six and I, I'm fully with anyone who thinks that we shouldn't reward someone who is not putting in the work. It's just the reality is like, Pete's influence gives him that number. And I think um, with Mikey, it's the opposite. I have to, like, we have no choice but to reward someone who's just putting in so much and is so present. And, and, you know, he has, he has, is it cake on Netflix? And that's, you know, people are loving that. And I, I, I am, and it has season two, it's renewed everything, but he's still very present um, and doing a lot. So I, I think he, he's a seven, like there's, I just don't even see any other number to give him. He's like, he is a seven. For sure. Yeah, definitely. And sevens across the board from all of us. And the patrons also gave him a seven. So I think that the chat really nailed it in the live chat when they're talking about Mikey had a pure seven season. So, uh, you know, we always, you know, I think it's, and being a seven on SNL is having a great SNL career. It's not, you know, you can be sevens for seven years and it could be a very solid run on Saturday Night Live. So nothing against Mikey Day. I just don't know that he had any of those crazy moments that were above a seven. Uh, one that was pointed out in the chat that we didn't talk about, but was his kid from the science room that he did with Cecily and Jason Sudeikis. And of course, that was a really strong sketch from the season as well. So all, all credit to Mikey on that uh, character. Okay. Let's move on to our next cast member we're going to talk about. And we're going to talk about Andrew Dismukes, who comes in in his second season at the show. And we talked about this a little bit earlier about how his stats didn't necessarily reflect a lot of the community's opinions on Andrew Dismukes. He came in about exactly 58 minutes of screen time, which was 15th out of 21st. He came in at 56 sketches for the season, which is really in the upper half of the season. But let's talk about some notable moments from the season. And there were some really fun ones, including Andy's Amazing Animals, which we saw on Weekend Update with the octopus that said that Andrew Dismukes uh, would be dead for the next week. There's also the Beanie Babies 
um, sketch where uh, he did that voiceover for that ended off one of the episodes we saw recently. And um, for me, it's just every single week I watched the show, I looked out for Andrew Dismukes. And the week that he was not there, I really felt like I missed him more than any other cast member that missed episodes this season between, you know, Kate or Adia, Cecily, like Andrew Dismukes, I felt his absence. So for me, um, I would say that he had pretty much as good as a season as you're going to see from a featured player. So I'm going to give him an eight out of 10 for this season on the show, even though the statistics don't necessarily reflect the most amazing season. I think this is an eye test situation where I think he definitely deserves the score of eight out of 10. Nicole, where would you put Andrew Dismukes? Yeah, he had a very memorable season and, and he escaped something that a lot of people might have predicted he would fall into, which is being the Pete Davidson replacement. It's especially we, we had a, a time kind of a test run to see if that would happen in the spring when Pete wasn't around for the majority of, of the episodes. If anything, that was a good thing because it, it, it showed us kind of, okay, where will people fit in to these roles if it's not Pete, who is it? And um, I'm, I'm happy that Dismukes isn't the just, oh, that the young kid um, who's going to be like the, the Pete role. Like, I, I think that he is so different than Pete and, and people who including I think all of us at different points have put him into that Pete role. Like we see him, we have seen him in the Pete role in certain ways. And like, he's one, he's someone else who joined the cast really young. Just, they have a lot in common at that surface level, but Dismukes this season proved that he's very much his own. He's not just going to replace someone who leaves. Um, I think that prom sketch at the the finale last year um, really was like the catalyst for um the just showing that he his humor is a lot darker than he kind of comes across as and and gets credit for he seems like this kind of cheery happy-go-lucky kind of person and then we get to see more and more of his writing and it's like it's kind of dark um and it's different and it's edgy and he has like not an edgy vibe so it's it's kind of cool to to just to see that It, it, it feels different and refreshing and um yeah I think also his leap from having a kind of m- like middle of the road first season to a very standout second season is a great storyline. Like it's okay if you don't have like, if you don't knock it out of the park your first season, like he, he was a writer first. Like he's, he's been gearing up gradually having his voice heard more at the show doing more. Like, I think it's a great case study and like it's, you, you can have a few memorable moments in your first season, but not like really be all anyone's talking about. And then gear up in this gradual way to become one of the stars of the show, which I think we all have mentioned at at some point tonight that that's where he's headed. And I think also points for the excitement that I have as I talk about it. It's like the upward trend that I feel in terms of heading into next season. I think we're about to see more from him and it's, it's an exciting thing. It's, it's optimistic. And so all that said, I, it's an eight for me as well. Nice. Yeah. And I I mean, I just think the other thing that Nicole, that you kind of inspired in what I was thinking about it just really is like, I didn't feel at all like Andrew Dismukes was a featured player on the show this season. And like, I think when you watch the show, you're supposed to sort of feel like the first and second year cast members are featured on some sketches because there's so many repertory players. And, um, you know, that feeling was not felt at all. I felt like Andrew was very much a part of things. There was never really nights where he was absent and even just behind the scenes writing as well. So I think that sort of justifies where I feel like I have to give him that high score. 
Mike would love your opinion as well. Are you with us where you're closer to an eight or do you have a different sense of evaluating Andrew Dismuke's second season on the show? I think he's uh, my favorite um, to evaluate this season because there's just like so much to talk about and I'm glad you guys covered a lot that I don't have to. Um, but I think if I were to like t- tell someone about the show, I'd be like, if there's like, you know, one to watch, it would be Andrew Dismukes for sure. I just think like, I don't know. I, I, I put a lot of value as a fan on having a comedic voice. Like, you know, maybe I took a point away from, you know, Mikey or other, other people tonight because they're just like very good at what they do, but I don't really know exactly like, you know, I, I mean, uh, I mean, for sure we, we know this is a Mikey Streeter sketch. I'm not saying that, but I mean that when Dismukes is front and center, I think that w- I'm a little bit more excited to see what we're going to see um, because I know we, we're now getting more, more familiar with his voice. Um, so I, I mentioned earlier um, tonight, his uh his biggest appearances that have been up, appeared later in the show and you know that's you know it's not is the mikey streeter sketch that we normally see you know monologue uh first commercial break we come back and a lot of times we see that type of mikey day sketch where we you know i think we can see in the future we will might see the dismuke sketch there um him and sarah sherman might have a budding chemistry that to, to look forward to i mean the first episode, they had the mail and testing, and then they eventually had, I, I think, the winter formal with Andrew Dismukes, who was not the lead in the sketch. It was Pete and Sarah, but he, you know, shout out Scotty and Gavin, like you know, with the with the weird stuff in his mouth. Like to me, that's Andrew Dismukes. He like twice this season, he was like wearing a diaper. He was like, in like the throne room with Lizzo sketch, and you know, being you know spanked by Lizzo, and he was like. And then activity sketches with Billie Eilish. I just think that when you come in and it's like, all right, this guy is a former writer. You know, SNL has a history of like, you know, top loading, you know, random white dudes. And you're like, what does this guy bring to the show? He did not have a strong start to last season. I really didn't know what he was about. I, you know, he was in the Kristen Stewart monologue and he's in 45. He's like, what do you want from me, Kristen Stewart? Like, that was like, you know, his tone, which was, you know, uh, did foretell maybe his tone on the, on the, on the show because he does have a distinct voice, like actual voice, not just comedic voice. Um, I'm going to give him a seven. I think that's a really, he had a really strong season and I, I just don't think he's peaked yet. So I, I, I want to hold my judgment till, um, his third and fourth season because I, he's not going anywhere. I'm really excited to see what he does. And um, I just think, yeah, if you're going to buy stock in any cast member, it's Andrew Dismukes. He um, had the, yeah, I guess the biggest boom of anyone. Um, Power ranking up 42%. Screen time up 55.6%. So like totally off the charts from rookie to sophomore season. And, you know, way more than a Punky Johnson of his same class. And, you know, I I think that we're going to see him front and center doing a lot of stuff next season that we can't even, you know, comprehend this season because the cast, he'll, he'll now be in his third year. And so I can see him being in more cold opens or popping up more in that first sketch that uh, he didn't get this season. 
Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of things you're saying. I think that it's easier to be harder on the cast members the more years that they're on the show. So I think that even though the trajectory will go up, I think we'll be even, you know, have a finer, um, you know, look at the things that he's doing next year and evaluate how he's doing as a repertory player. Uh, the patrons also really loved his season on the show. They gave him a very high rating and their average actually came out to an eight for Andrew Dismukes as well. So we have three eights and a seven for Andrew Dismukes who comes in at an eight for the season. The highest score we have along with AD Bryant for the season. Okay. Next up, we got Chloe Feynman, who had a very interesting season. And I think there was a lot of hype about Chloe. There's obviously a lot of talk about Chloe outside of the show as well. Statistically, in terms of screen time, she was near the bottom of the list at only about 48 minutes of screen time, about 16th out of 21. Uh, she was about halfway, uh, 11th out of 21st in terms of sketch appearances at 52. But there was these two pre-tapes near the end of the season, the Inventing Chloe, uh, the Inventing Anna parody that we saw. We also saw the understudy where she played a lot of the cast members, a lot of the female cast members on the show. So, And those were you know really well-regarded and strong and maybe, um, you know, a future thing that we're going to see from Chloe Feynman. Nicole would love to start with you on Chloe to get your opinion on her third season at the show. Yeah. So I feel like the way we were talking about Chloe's season in the first half is radically different from the way we're talking about it now. We were, um, we were kind of baffled at her lack of, and I'm, I'm saying we, you know, generally like most of the voices on the SNL network on our by the numbers shows, um, I know I, I was, I'll speak for myself, just I, I felt like there was all this hype and momentum around her. And then in the fall, we just weren't having as many memorable moments from her. Not just, it wasn't just a lack of screen time, but more so just a lack of like that Monday morning moment that everyone's talking about. And I know she, we were all talking about how she like has great press. She's doing cool things. I feel like I was more excited to see her on like, like the Kelly Clarkson show or Drew Barrymore show than I was sometimes to see what she was doing at SNL. It felt like that was more um, kind of exciting to see for, from her. And I had wished we were getting more from her at the show. Um, and then that really changed in the spring. I mean, the two notable moments that we have on the screen here, Inventing Chloe and The Understudy, are two of the defining pre-tapes of the season, um, you know, like f by anybody's account, like really memorable, exactly that, like, water cooler moment that doesn't so exist in this very remote world, you know, but the, the term still applies. It's like, it's like everybody's talking about these things. Um, inventing Chloe. I just loved the way that it took, it fused the pop culture moment of the moment and it turned it into like this, this SNL thing. And literally the way, I mean, any, any like backstage kind of behind the scenes sketch, it's, it's always fun to see like these random catered lunch events that are thrown, you know, for, for people to for, for Chloe Feynman to tell Oscar Isaac that he looks poor even right over this like prosciutto display like in, in the in the studio like things like that it's just it, it's this beautiful combination of like appreciating the show and getting that backstage moment for the audience and also like really fusing pop culture into it and the understudy was the same thing it was like this this undeniable appreciation of the show and its history and its and its 
present and its future of like honoring all these cast members, many of whom we now know were on their way out the door. Um, but also like fusing the pop culture stuff, having Elizabeth Olsen cameo. I know I have been hoping for, for her to host for a long time. She, when we did our Marvel poll of who from the MCU do you want to see host, Elizabeth Olsen was top of the list. So to pull her in, in that context, specifically for the Benedict episode was just perfect. So I mean, I I, I want to kind of take points away for because I was so underwhelmed in the fall, but I'd rather be underwhelmed in the fall than in the spring. You know, it's it's or yeah, exactly. I'd, I'd rather like have the positive momentum at the end of the, the season, which we do. Um, but with that said, I think I I I was impressed with her in ways that I didn't uh, kind of expect. I I would have liked to see more of her impression work on the show. Um, She's such a great impressionist. And every time we saw it, it was great. Um, And I I think her impressions in less so than Melissa, I I, I think the way she does impressions has more potential to fuse into the show and to the fabric of various sketches. So um, I want to see more from her but not in the dismukes way of I I feel like she's on the brink of of that. I feel like I'm heading into the next season. I, I, I'm hesitant. Like, am I going to be more likely to see her on the Drew Barrymore show than SNL? And not in the Pete way of like being off the grid, you know, like in the way of like having a lot going on and not being as like immersed in the fabric of the show on a week to week basis. And then having these some standout moments. I think like Chloe and Pete are similar in that way, but um yeah, Chloe, I think, gave a little bit more to the show um, on an objective level than Pete did this season. So I will give Chloe a 7. Okay. Nicole gives Chloe a 7 out of 10. Mike, how are you feeling about Chloe's third season at the show? Uh, big Chloe fan, but I think this was a disappointing season for her. I, I would have loved to see more um, range and have her break out more, especially in the absence of um, some of the female vets, I think that was there was a vacuum there that I really don't think she took advantage of. I don't know what she was writing that week or, you know, if it was she got passed over for something um, else. But I, I think that like I, I was um, big on Bowen and Chloe going in the season. I thought it was like this is going to be a boom season for our, you know, junior year cast members, our third year cast members. Um you know, Bowen and Chloe coming in together and just having, you know, I think they just have gone completely different routes. I mean, I, I feel like I don't see them work together very often, but they're linked by their, um, you know, entry into the cast. And, you know, for a third season, Chloe, you know, dipped statistically. I would have thought she would have been, you know, rising up the, up, the, up the rankings a little more. She always stayed down in the 30s, which I thought was unfortunate. I think the... Uh, the um, what was it called? The the, the impressions, the uh, understudy. I that was a you know yeah, my top three of the season. I I loved that sketch. I thought it was so great. I'm glad that was not cut. That was like a great showcase for her for her, and it was also like a great addition to that uh, Cumberbatch episode. And you know, just showed off that like Chloe Feynman's like crazy talented and is should definitely be part of this cast. Um. I had uh, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was gonna say maybe my hottest take of the entire season is that I actually really liked her Elmo update piece. Uh, that definitely got, like, your hottest take of the night. Yes, yeah, I know, I know. I'm aware, and I'm. I'll, I'll take the hate for sure because I rewatched it like a couple times, and I was like, there was like a lot of good jokes in there. I don't know. I, I 
I that I think that got the most hate of any SNL piece of the entire season. <laughs> that was her one update um uh appearance and um she didn't anchor a cold open like she did twice last season, which, you know, I don't think it's a bad sign. It's just like not trending upwards, which we'd like to see because we've seen Kate McKinnon updates. I'm sorry. Um, anchor so many cold open cold opens. Um, this season, obviously we had a lot more, uh, you know, Biden and Trump because we were able to with JAJ. Um, but yeah, I, her quality appearances like metric is like 30%. Like out of her appearances, only like, um, 30% of them have been a minute or longer and a lot of them have not been memorable. Like, you know, they've kind of been like a street role, like the girl in the baby monitor sketch or bell and Beauty and the beast or the March of the suitors sketch with Jonathan majors, the tenant meeting, um, things like that, that you don't really remember, like who was the anchor of that sketch. Um, so Chloe Feynman, I still want to hold her stock. I still want to, you know, be on the sweepstakes of Chloe Feynman going into season her her fourth season. Um, but for me, I think that this was an easy five. I think that there's a lot left to be desired for her this season. Um, definitely can go up, and you know, I think she was around mid thirties for the for the power ranking, um, and that's due to the fact that you know, didn't get a lot of those front heavy roles and or recurring characters. But I think next season, I think she'll probably average about a 50. So I'm still high on Chloe, but so I'm going to put, put her at a five this season. Mm-hmm. Nicole, did you want to jump in on anything before I go with my rating? Um, I want to hear yours first. And then this is the first time I might change mine upon um, being persuaded, which is the fun of what we're doing. I, but, but yeah, something, something to be known is my, my seven is hanging on by a thread. So John, give yours and then uh, stay tuned for my seven. Okay. So, I mean, look, uh, I am a huge fan of Chloe Feynman. I mean, I really loved what I saw from her in my second, in her second season on the show. I was utterly disappointed at certain times not to see her get things on the show and i think look i mean i gave you know nicole talked about the comparison between pete and chloe like i'm not sure that chloe had more impactful moments on the show than pete davidson this season which is kind of crazy to think about i mean these two pre-tapes were fantastic they were the high highs that i wanted to see from chloe but again i also think you know they were pre-tapes and where was this amazing live sketch material that i sort of expected from chloe this season that i didn't get to see um you know i always reference back to these britney spears cold opens that i in particular really enjoyed in season 46 but i was looking for things in season 47 with her anchoring sketches that i just didn't get to see um so for me i mean i don't think it was like a a really horrible season at the show by any means. Um, But I just felt that this season was going to be like a seven or an eight season for Chloe Feynman. And I have to agree with Mike here. I cannot justify giving her more than a five as much. I think she has the potential of being a crazy great through my pen. I think she has the potential of being a crazy great SNL cast member, but I just can't see how I can support my ratings and be fair without saying that I don't think that she brought it every single week, maybe through no fault of her own, but whatever we saw on screen wasn't there beyond 
a couple pre-tapes, maybe some moments. I think the Jennifer Coolidge impression that we saw at the beginning of the season was fantastic. That was something that everybody talked about. But beyond that, was there other really big moments in the first half of the season? I don't know. So I think I have to go with the five as well. Nicole. Yep. So my seven is going to turn into a six. And I think it's kind of apt that Pete and Chloe for me ended up being the same. I'm sure that Chloe put in more hours at 8H than Pete did, but their outputs are actually extremely comparable. Their most memorable moments each on the season have similar vibes like pre-tapes, pre-tapes and yeah, so I think it, it makes sense for me um, to, to have them be the same. So, yeah, my seven, I I, I think it's just I, I have the recency bias of, like, she had a lot of great moments, or by a lot, I mean she had two amazing moments towards the end of the season. But when we really look at the bigger picture of the full season, you're both right that there just was not that much else. And more so than not being much else, there were so many opportunities and where there nothing resulted from them where we're like chloe could have been here or there or there um and so yeah so i a six feels more more apt yeah and the patrons were with you nicole they also gave chloe Feynman a six for the season which puts her total score for the season at a six which is in line with michael che that we saw this season still ahead of aristotle and pete mike anything else you want to say about chloe before we move on uh just that she was one of seven cast members who had uh, perfect attendance this season so you know we had 43 cast absences this year and seven cast members out of 21 appeared in some part in all 21 episodes and chloe is one of them okay all right let's talk about another cast member which i think will be a lot of fun to talk about let's talk about heidi gardner's season on the cast and i think that a lot of people seem to have especially in our fan community different opinions about heidi gardner's season at the show her total screen time was 11th out of 21 uh, over a little bit over 70 minutes throughout the season she actually was in the fifth most sketches this season 66 so she was in a lot of sketches and really the reason is is because i sort of feel like she became this utility player and i know this that some people would prefer characters from her but i still felt like we got moments this season including this pimp walk sketch that she did with billy eilish there was uh, the blue bunny sketch that we saw with benedict cumberbatch that a lot of people seemed to enjoy so let's talk about heidi gardner's season at the show mike how are you feeling about heidi's season um i'm a huge heidi fan uh i just love her character work i think she's a really gifted actress um so when i see her get to flex I'm like really psyched because um, out of the entire cast, maybe one of the few, if not the the top actress or actor that gets to uh, like really dig into a character, which I think SNL could do more of because it is, you know, a very like, you know, quick, you know, quick changes, quick writing, quick editing, um, you know, rewrites, costume changes, pre-tape live sketch there's a lot going on i mean it's the most hectic show on television and so when we get to have heidi gardner do the blue bunny um character and have some silence in the show for a moment and have her you know actually deliver lines the way that she wants to i think it's like a a huge breath of fresh air in the show and so Heidi Gardner brings something to the show that I don't, just don't see from anyone else. Um, unfortunately, uh, trending downward um, for her own metrics because 
Season 45 averaged 3 minutes 55 seconds an episode. Season 46 averaged 3 minutes 46 se- uh, seconds per episode. And then season 47 averaged 3 minutes 21 seconds per episode. So Heidi Gardner is, has dipped um, the past three seasons in average screen time, which I'd like to see um, people like her and Ego kind of um, ramping up as the 80 and Kate's and potentially Cecily leave um, as the uh, you know featured women of the cast, which I, I think there's plenty of room for that to happen. Obviously, with Kate and 80 leaving, it's a no-brainer. But um, as far as um, ranking this season, I think it was a weaker season um, in 47 and 46 for Heidi. I mean, I, I, we can't not mention the uh, Michael Jordan last dance last season was like, I think, absolutely incredible and showed that Heidi Gardner can literally do anything on the show live or otherwise. Um, so I think I would have given Heidi an eight or a nine last season just from the memorable moments alone. She was missing at the update this um, desk this season. I think the Kelly party um, early on the season was one of her weaker update appearances. Um, I think she tried to bring it back and it was cut and we didn't see her again. I mean, Heidi Gardner, I I see her, I think of like, wow, like maybe one of the best update correspondents like of all time. She has so much range and then we didn't see that. So I have to, you know, her score is definitely lower. Um, But again, don't, don't don't sleep on Heidi. I think next season, season uh, 48 is going to be a huge season for her. Um, this season, I'm going to give her a six. I think that's really fair for um, for the memorable moments category and of what you know what we look back on this season. I just don't think it was you know Heidi trended downward from the past two seasons, and that has to count for something. So that's where I'm going to go on that. Okay, so Mike is going to go with a six for Heidi, and I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm somebody who sort of looks at Heidi as the same way I look at Mikey. I mean, I think she had some moments on the screen. I think that she's, you know, going into this utility role. I don't need her to have these characters that pop because I think she's so good in any sketch, really. I think she always has one line that gets me. And I think that she's um, also, you know, every now and then she comes out with these like really well-written sketches, um, you know, would you know, for her to get an eight or a nine or even a 10 from me, I think would require at least a couple appearances on weekend update, which is her bread and butter that we saw in the first few seasons on the show. And she comes out and she crushes it there. I think in that case, I'm going with like, this is a great season for Heidi without that. And with the number of sketches she's in, I think I have to lean towards a seven, which goes in line with my score for Mikey as being, you know, the female utility player of the cast this season. So I'm a little bit above Mike. I'm going to go with a seven for Heidi Gardner. Nicole, how are you feeling about Heidi this season? Yeah, I mean, what 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 when Mike brought up that that Michael Jordan sketch, like that was just so standout and so so amazing and um and when you said I I agree with you Mike I think last year I would have given Heidi an eight or nine I think last year she had an amazing season um showing her range in like that pre-tape capacity and then also on weekend update you're talking about these really dramatic roles that require and invite a performer to kind of just go in deeper like when you're in a a sketch that has a lot of like quick quippy comedy and is more of an ensemble thing. Nobody like there isn't room to go deeper with that and showcase this talent that Heidi has of being like a really good actress instead in addition to like 
being able to do that quick, like quippy fun physical stuff. Like she's a really, really strong actress. And and I think even more than that pre-tape, I just think Weekend Update was the perfect vehicle for her to show this character work and to show like the depth as well of just like digging into something for like three or so three minutes and 17 seconds or whatever it was at each time. Um, and it was a huge loss this season to me. Um, I actually think one of the bigger storylines of, of the season that we're talking about is when we think of Heidi. I think even now when we think of Heidi, pe- like people think of, of update characters and um, that's not, that wasn't a storyline this season. So it's, it was definitely disappointing. Um, and I would disagree, John, when you said that Heidi is kind of the the female equivalent of Mikey. I don't think she quite is um, just because I know um, so much of Mikey's work is also like the the writing and the partnership with Streeter. Um, and I, I think that Heidi is maybe more of a dynamic performer than Mikey, but I, I think that Mikey um, had more of an impact this season than Heidi did um, for just in, in kind of being in having these very anchoring roles in so many sketches and, and like supporting other people to being the, the comic relief. Um, and I think that I would have liked to see more of that from Heidi, but if I'm being honest, I don't really want Heidi to be a utility player. I really, really miss her being like a weekend update star. That's like, like, as you said, Mike, there's like, she's, she's one of the best to ever do that. And I really missed it this season. And I hope we get more of that next season. It's my favorite place to see Heidi. Um, and then like the, the pre-tape stuff too, like the Michael Jordan, I'd like to see more of that. Um, so with all of that said, I am going to give Heidi a six and I, I hope that it goes up next season. Cause like she's delivered an eight or nine season before. And I, I want to see that again. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think you're wrong. I just also think that maybe she's an underrated writer. Like I just don't think, I think we don't talk enough about how sometimes she ends up writing these really unique sketches. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not as much as Mikey Day or not as established as Mikey Day has a certain spot on the show. Okay. Uh, the patrons gave Heidi Gardner a 7 out of 10 for this season on the show. So they're actually more in line with me for this particular uh, rating. So Heidi will come to a 7 out of 10 between the four of us. Let's talk about this next cast member. And this is somebody who is there for his first season on the show. And that is James Austin Johnson. And I just remember being with Mike and Nicole in the preseason for our By the Numbers show and just saying, okay, this is our expectations for Aristotle. These are our expectations for Sarah. We don't know anything about James Austin Johnson and what he is going to bring to the show. And um, wow. I mean, just from the start came out crushing it, hitting home runs. Um, you know, he ends up finishing 12 out of 21, both for sketch appearances and screen time. So statistically, it's not like he came out and ended up being like Dana Carvey, where in his first season, his first episode, he's just like all over the place. Um, but I just think he had a fantastic season, obviously dominating the cold opens, um, and, uh, you know, ended up showing his chops as being like a weird guy in a bunch of sketches. So I was so utterly impressed with J.I.J. Um, I think for me, uh, he probably deserves a nine, but I'm going to go with an eight out of 10 just because I do feel maybe like towards the end of the season, there was a little bit of a slowdown, like the J.I.J. hype train probably stopped a little bit. I don't think he 
took over the cast, but I think he, in his first season, established himself as being a huge part of SNL's future. So I think I'm going to go with an 8 out of 10 season. And I think in his second season, he could be at a 9 or a 10 for me. Like, that's how good his first season was. So I think I'm going to have to start off with an 8 over here. Nicole, where are you on JJ? Yeah, so this is a case where what is amazing about him is also kind of something I resent about him through no fault of his own. I think that when we got this amazing and i mean you know i think we'd all agree like the the best trump impression that has ever been on television um it's just it's incredible and so it was so startling it was impressive it was exciting to see it but i will say i have to kind of take points off for the fact that if we did not have the amazing talent of james austin johnson this season we would have moved so much further away from the Trump content than we did. Um, maybe we wouldn't have even had him at all on the season. Um, if Alec Baldwin was still our resident Trump, I, I don't know that we would have uh, gotten any of that this season. So I, I think that this isn't his fault. You know, we maybe yeah, like would have been great if we got this guy on a few years earlier. That would have been legendary. That would have been Emmy Award winning easily. Um, but, you know, timing is timing. And I think that his, his Biden is great. His Trump is great, but we were for most of the season, we were flip-flopping every cold open was going to be Trump or Biden, Trump or Biden, Trump or Biden. And, and when we broke free of that structure, like when we did the Roe v. Wade one, um, the, the final encounter cold open doing something different that felt more nostalgic for older times, it was just, it, it was, it was very refreshing and made me kind of resentful of like, oh, wow, if, if we didn't have this amazing impressionist, um, maybe we would have thought outside the box a little bit more earlier in the season. And um, all, and also, as we did think out, you know, as, as the show went outside the box more in the spring, we got to see more of James Austin Johnson, which I really enjoyed. I thought that his his appearance in the, um, the Natasha Leone sketch, like the old-timey one, I, I just thought New York City is loud today. I just thought um, he he did such a great job. He, he was so good at that, like old timey, like that that precision that he had with that that character was fantastic. Um, his Simpson one was good. Like he he has so much more to offer, and I I'm, I'm glad that we started to see more of it in the second half. Um, and going forward, like I don't need to see his Trump ever again. I, I I'm I feel bad for him that he didn't do it in an Emmy winning capacity. Like if he if he had been around earlier, a few, five, six, seven years ago, like Emmy for that. Um, but I don't need to see it anymore. I want to see his his Biden when it's necessary. And I think he has so much more to offer that we started to see. And I, I'm excited for his future at the show. He's so talented beyond the Trump. And um, so all of that said, it's going to be an eight for me. Okay. Nicole also goes with an eight. Mike, how are you feeling about JAJ's first season at SNL? I'm feeling great about JAJ. I mean, uh, low expectations coming in. Um, didn't know what he would bring to the show other than we knew he did a, a Trump. Um, and in a world of, of everyone doing Trump, like literally everybody has a Trump. To be the best at it is, I think, no small feat. Um, when we had a big Trump fatigue from um, Baldwin. And to actually bring Trump to the show and make it funny I think it's like just a crazy ask of a rookie. Um, he's just that good at it. And, um, you know, let's, 
a lot has happened this season, but let's not forget, like, first episode, cold open, it opens, Steve Higgins is, is a voiceover, and we cut to someone we've never seen on the show before. I mean, it, I think that was, like, a, the moment of the season was opening with Joe Biden played by rookie James Austin Johnson in the very first episode. He absolutely crushed that episode beyond that. He played Joe Buck in the NFL um, sketch later. Um, he was he was like he had a, over a hundred uh, power ranking score that episode. He crushed the cast, and so like like wow, episode one a rookie wins. I just you know who saw that coming? Like literally nobody. Um, if, whether it's a benefit or a detriment to him, it's sixty two percent of his time on the show was in the cold open. Um, so that's that's obviously very large um, chunk of his time um, where he was in 19 live sketches and 16 pre-tapes, um, but 15 of the 20 traditional cold opens, again, not including uh, Paul Rudd's, he was in 15 out of 20. So um, obviously relied on heavily with Biden and Trump. But I mean, if you can come to the show and do the current president and the former president right away, your resume is going to carry you on this show. And he, you know, crushed his two um, classmates um, in screen time. 42 minutes, 39 seconds. I mean, that's that's huge. I'm going to give him an eight for this season. Uh, I think it's well-earned, well-deserved. He also had a perfect attendance um, for this season, uh, appearing in all 21 episodes. A couple of them were in very small capacities. He did, um, you know, as John said, the train did slow down at the end for sure um he was on track for like literally like a nine or ten season if you ask me um right before the billy alish episode when we were like on the first um stretch of seven um the four and three we got at the beginning of the season um so he's gonna get a solid eight from me um i think that it's harder it's it's hard to have a better rookie season than than jaj did and also shout out like his impressions are incredible beyond that. Like his Louis CK is so good. His Adam driver, he got to show off for like five seconds in that celeb school um, sketch, which was great. Um, and I'm, I'm like super excited to see more impressions from him that aren't just um, the two presidents we've seen because his like vocal impressions are incredible. Um, check him out on the fly on the wall podcast. He did live with uh um, Spade and Carvey because he gets to talk a lot about that. Um, but yeah, he he made a huge fan out of me. Um, I'm excited to see him next season. I think he probably has a huge burden on him to um, have a better sophomore season than rookie where if Aristotle and Sarah are back, which I hope they both are, then I think they have a lot more you know room to spread their wings where JAJ has like maybe the burden of playing the sitting president for the rest of his term. And going into the next election season, which we might see Trump and Biden. Um, so he has a, a, a huge burden on his shoulders. Um, but uh, having an eight season as a rookie is, I think, incredible. So shout out to JAJ. I think he impressed everyone. Every SNL fan should be impressed and happy. He's part of the cast. For sure. I'm also impressed with the patrons who also gave JAJ an eight for his score for the season. And uh, yeah, just really, uh, really great season for JAJ. Would not have expected that he would have done so well prior to the season. And he just blew our expectations. And I cannot wait to see what he does in season two. 
Okay, from one Johnson to another Johnson, let's talk about Punky Johnson's time on the show in her second season. And statistically, not the best. Uh, 20th out of 21 for total screen time. Uh, only ahead of Aristotle, 29 minutes and 53 seconds. Um, she It was only in 31 sketches, which is 18th out of 21. Like I said, only ahead of Aristotle, Jost, and Che. Uh, she did have a couple things pop up at the end of the season, though, that we talked about a lot, like a little bit of a stronger finish to the season with the couples counselor sketch that she tried to get on earlier and then was uh, then done during the Jake Gyllenhaal episode also that intuition pre-tape that we saw in the selena gomez episode i would say that is another notable moment for her nicole where are you on punky johnson in her second season on the show yeah punky is someone who i i definitely wish had done better than she did i think she has so much potential i think that she really has this ability to light up a screen when she's on and when she's in a situation that like what we you know just where she where she has an opportunity to shine she usually does um, I just don't think I don't think she's as seamlessly gotten her you know her work onto the show as say Dismukes, who is the obvious comparison as they enter the show together as cast members. Dismukes had been on as a writer, pre, you know, prior to that, and then Lauren Holt is not on the show anymore. So just when you compare the two, I I think that Dismukes had such an advantage of coming in after having already been yeah having his voice heard, um, and and being a writer and contributing at the table. So just th- that comparison, it's been harder for Punky to to kind of get her stuff weaved into the the fabric of the show. Um, but with all of that said, I think she's had memorable moments. I would also add her her bit in the Selena Gomez monologue. That's just a great way when someone is is pretty much playing a version of themselves in talking to the hosts like that. It's it's just that's like really when SNL is at its best is when we we know who these cast members are. They're kind of playing themselves. And um, she just, she really like sold that those couple seconds and it was funny and charming and like, and endearing. And um, that, that really stands out to me is also just when someone is, is put into the monologue to talk to the host as themselves or as a version of themselves, that's like, kind of saying that this person is in the fabric of the show. I know last year there was something where the joke was that these rookies like were kind of nobodies that's been done before. Um, But in this case, it was so specific one person talking at a time that it did feel like everyone who was there kind of was, it felt like a part of the show, you know, like Aristotle, I think would not, it's in some parallel situation wouldn't have been like put into the monologue like that. And, And I think that Punky and Aristotle are at the bottom of the the screen time list and and the the, ra- the rankings and things power rankings, um, but I, I think Punky's Punky Punky's like presence can be felt a lot more in in the show and in her collaborations. I think that her collaborative spirit is more apparent. Um, she's she is she works with a variety of the writers on a consistent basis. Um, so yeah, Punky, it's it's a four for me, and it's it's a hopeful four. I, I hope that. Um, we see her next season, and I hope that it's like a seven next year. I think there's the potential for that. Okay, so a four from Nicole. Mike, how are you feeling about Punky in her second season on the show? I think like textbook danger watch um, for Punky. I mean, the stats are just they're just so bad. I mean, she had six absences and four episodes that she was in had a score of under ten, which means that like blink and you miss her i think punky uh is uh a good part of the cast so 
Um, I was going to bring up the Selena Gomez monologue as well that Nicole did because it just shows that like Punky can walk into a sketch and like get a laugh. Like she's more than capable. Uh, I think she's really funny. I really wish we got the Brittany Griner update piece because I, I it, it just it's 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 perfect. It's like it's so topical that like I don't think we can do it next season. So like I I wish we got it when we did um, when she was um, performing it at dress. Um, because it probably won't be as relevant next season. Um, but yeah, um, Punky's was an easy four for me, um, you know, above Aristotle uh, because of the little uptick at the end, the couple's therapist and intuition, because, I mean, if she didn't get those, I, I she wouldn't have had a lead all season. Um, you know, we got we did get one update piece from her. Um, uh, you know, JAJ actually... It was last slide. Only uh, only cast member who did not appear in update. So um, his screen time was actually, um, you know, even more impressive because he didn't get a solo update piece. Um, but we're on to Punky. Um, I think Punky will be back. So um, you know, she's actually one of the older cast members for for being uh, one of the newer cast members, and has has a comedic voice, great stand up. Um, we got the uh, the pineapple. The, um, her last update piece from season 46, uh, which I thought was great. Uh, I, I think that uh, Punky can definitely benefit from a Kate and 80 list Kate, sorry, Kate and 80 list cast, as as I said, same thing with, with, uh, with Heidi. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think Punky Johnson is probably a classic case of like maybe SNL is not the correct vehicle for you um, just because it's like, all right, second season and you're not getting in much. So may, I don't know how our sketch writing is. That could be a huge factor. I mean, if you're not writing sketch comedy, but you're, you know, but you're a great stand up. I mean, we've seen Planet Cast members. Melissa Villasenor is a classic example of that, of like, I, I don't know if you're writing great sketch, you know, pieces. So that's going to hurt you and not get you on the show. But, um, I would like to see more from Punky. Uh, we talked about how Andrew really took off. I think Punky probably had plenty of opportunity this season, um, but unfortunately, uh, we didn't get there. So, I mean, Punky Johnson this season was a twenty-one point five five. She was a, a little ahead of Lauren last season, um, so it was like, all right, makes sense that we dropped Lauren and not Punky. Um, but then this season, it's like uh, we. We got really nothing to uh, really make us feel confident. So I, I again, danger watch on Punky, but I just don't think uh, going from year after year two that they would drop her unless she wanted to leave. Um, and I don't get that indication. So I would like to see more of Punky. I think I just think she's a, a ton of fun. So next season, um, I don't expect her to be in the top ten or eleven, but. I expect her to be higher than like a 21, but to be more of like a Chloe score this year, like a 35. So what was your rating for uh, Punky? Four. Four. Okay. So Mike gives a four. Nicole gives a four. I mean, I have to admit, I'm having a really hard time justifying giving Punky Johnson more than a two. I, th- <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's tough. I mean, I think that I'm going to settle on giving Punky Johnson a three for the season, but I just statistically, she didn't have a great season. Those two sketches, I mean, like 
we're giving her credit for getting couples counselor on the show. But the reason that it was given so much credit was because we're not used to Punky Johnson getting a vehicle on the show. So I think that, you know, when we talk about impactful moments, impactful appearances, the fact that Punky was there was impactful in itself. So I think you have to talk about what scale you're looking at when you're evaluating these cast members. And I'm only going to bump it up to a three because I think she had like a really, uh, you know, for her standards, a much stronger end to the season. But overall, I mean, there's been nothing, you know, in her first season was okay. Her second season, I really didn't get much more from her that really made me feel like she's meant to be on Saturday Night Live. And I think that she is so talented. I mean, I think that she's uh, like I saw her personality. If you watch, uh, there's cl- there's videos of her at the uh, Kim Kardashian episode after party where she has the microphone and she's pumping up everybody. And I love that as like a host. I, I think that she's so cool. I just wish that I would get to see more of that on the show. So I just have to be, you know, fair in my evaluation, comparing her to some of the other cast members and some of the other cast members in the history of the show. If we were doing rankings every single season. I think Punky Johnson had a three season out of 10, to be honest with you guys. And that's sort of where uh, I'm landing. And for me, just barely a three, um, as much as I do like Punky. Uh, So the patrons of the SNL Network also sent in their votes for Punky Johnson. And they came in as well at a four. So they agreed with Mike and Nicole. So Punky will end up as an average four for the season. Okay. Let's talk about somebody else who is the host of Weekend Update, and that would be Colin Jost in his ninth or really eight and a half season season on the show. And um, yeah, I mean, screen time, obviously a major factor here when you have to talk about Colin's experience on the show. And, um, you know, every single week we get to see him a lot more than Shay. That's what we talk about a lot of times on these by the number shows. Uh, as far as sketch appearances were concerned, I mean, he was only in a couple things otherwise than update, but Colin Jost is now the longest running weekend update anchor in the history of the show. And that was a big statistic him passing Seth Meyers this year. So Mike, how are you feeling about Colin's season this year, season 47? Um, it's going to be a, a quicker review from me. Um, a much like Michael Che, I think it was a, more of a down season for Weekend Update. It ended up being uh, 87 seconds uh, on average shorter than last season. So Update was a little tighter this season, which I give them credit for because it, it opened up more um, lanes for other you know, comedic ventures. But um, I, I think... Um, by nature of being, you know, one of the head writers, Colin Jost's fingerprints are on the season. So if you like the season, you like Colin Jost generally. Um, I, again, like Michael Che, I, I just, I, I love when he pops up. I mean, when he came up and said, let's, let's do some, let's drink some Hennessy in the PDD uh, Martin's friend sketch. I'm like, this is the perfect thing for Colin Jost to do. I, I don't need to see him play Roger Goodell or P. Buttigieg or anything like I, I he's not a good impressionist I, I'm not like excited to see him other than it just like oh hey Colin Jost is there he's not usually there but when he pops up as like you know he is like you know he's uh just turned 40 I think um like he's like the elder statesman of SNL other than Keenan so like he really has like been at the show knows everything about the show he could be the next Steve Higgins or Lauren Michaels someday um and it's like i mean he dominates screen time so you can't fault him for that i mean 
you can't watch SNL and not see Colin Jost and laugh at some of his jokes. I mean, it's like he's as much a part of the show as literally anybody on the show. Um, so I gave Michael a five. So I have to give Colin a six. Um, nothing I saw from Jost this season was like really got me excited. But I mean, he's Colin Jost. He's um, second in screen time. He's a huge part of the show. Again, quick review from me. He's a six. Okay. We get a six from Mike Murray for Colin Jost. I think for me, I'm sort of with Mike here. I sort of feel like he's probably a little bit above Jay analytically. Um, I think that, you know, maybe Nicole will get into a little bit more about his writing and stuff like that, like she did with Michael Che. But I, I think that he had a, you know, a very solid season on Weekend Update. It wasn't the best season of Jost and Che, but I think that Jost, you know, was game and was there. And um, I didn't get the feeling like he was uh, punting every single week or that he didn't want to be there. Um, I felt like he brought the jokes and he was there. Um, There's not much more to say besides the fact that I think that I have to evaluate the analytics when it comes to looking him versus Jay. And I just think uh, based on that and the fact that he had this, you know, monumental historic occasion of him being the longest running weekend update anchor in the season, I feel comfortable giving Colin also a six for the season. Nicole, how are you feeling? Yeah. I mean, I, again, definitely I can attest also like people are always in our DMs asking like, wait, Colin has so much more screen time than, than Che. Like that must be a mistake. What, like, you know, I think Mike gets it way more than, than we do on the SNL network, Instagram account DMs, like on his personals. But like, it's, it's just like every time I think people discover these stats, um, that we're putting out all the time. It's like, I think that's the first thing that, that most people notice is is the stark difference between the two. And then once you become a part of this community where we're analyzing it week to week, you start to realize, oh yeah, that does add up. It makes sense. Um, but it's, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's very different. Um, and I wish it weren't like that, but the reality is that it is, you know, it's like it, Colin gets so much more screen time. Um, but for me, uh, completely screen time aside, the fact that, that Colin, is paired with more of the guests and he tells more of the jokes. Um, the two things that, that separate him um, from Che for me that, that I can speak to more um, are, I, I mean, this, the Sarah combination. I, I think that he, like, he is just the, the butt of so many jokes at that show, like the, a very punchable face, the title of his memoir. Like he, he, the fact like him, him being a punching bag and a, a joke and like the, the, the white man who went to Harvard, who's just like, an easy target. Um, you know, like I-, I love that stuff. And I also think it's, um, it's easy to give everyone else who's making the jokes all the credit for that. And I think everyone who's making the jokes deserves more of the credit than he does. But I, I think that he could, he deserves slightly more credit than he gets for just, um, you know, being the, the perfect punching bag and, and taking it in a way that is comedic to the audience. Um, a, a moment that really stood out to me was when Sarah did her third update uh, appearance when she did the the backstage stuff and she had the the mistake you know which she we, she then posted about on social media that she like dropped this this picture that was supposed to be a line um and it was so endearing and funny and um something that really stood out to me if you go rewatch the sketch um this this very live tv moment is that colin um so so when when she dropped the thing and had to improv the line um the camera panned back to Colin and he was laughing so hard and I think it's it was genuinely because he found it funny but I also think he was reacting to the situation of oh like very quickly of I I need to 
save Sarah some time and give her a second here to like to recalibrate. So he laughed harder than I have probably ever seen him in a way that was genuine, but also calculated to help Sarah look better and to help Sarah, a first year cast member, be her best and give her the time to to recover and recover she did in an amazing way. So things like that, I think, go unnoticed with Colin. Like as minor as that was, it was really like in in pursuit of of helping Sarah look her best and and be the best, you know, do, do the best in that role that she could have. And she really did. It was like one of the biggest highlights of the season for me. And um, the other thing about Colin is the writing. So um, Colin Jost writes the majority of the cold opens. He there are cold opens for the finale. He wrote what the day of, right, John? The, the finale that ended up being totally scrapped. Um, and I saw it, or not the, the yeah, the cold open of the finale that ended up being scrapped in favor of the final encounter, which was in, then put in the cold open spot. Um, but I saw it at dress rehearsal and I loved it. I, I was impressed. And I'm sure that other people contributed, but he was the main person writing it with just very little, like such short notice. And, um, it was great. It was witty and it felt like so personalized to all the cast members. Um, and just, yeah, just thoughtful and empathetic and like, so it was like a culmination of really like being present and paying attention to all of these people and knowing how to, how to write for them. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that Colin, it's like on one hand he gets too much credit and on the other, he doesn't get enough credit because of getting so, you know, it's, it's, it's this interesting thing, but um, Colin definitely pointed upwards for me comparing how I felt at the start of the season to now. I'd say Sarah Sherman has a lot to do with that. So we could thank her for that in an ironic way. She actually made Colin look a lot better to me. Um, but all that said, I'm going to give Colin a seven. Okay. So seven for Colin, which is higher than Mike and I, and yeah, I mean, I just have to say one more thing about Colin, which is really just that he you know, a lot of people don't give him enough credit. I mean, we often detract from Colin for his contributions to some of the cold opens that have felt we have, we've seen them so many times. But Colin Jost, really behind the scenes working on the show as one of the head writers, he's actually one of the last people to leave the building every single night of the show. Like for people who know and, you know, their stuff, like he is working so hard every single week on the episode. So, um, you know, he he's a, a major reason why a certain things happen on the show. And I want to give him credit for that as well um the audience the patrons that we did ask to fill out their rings as well also gave colin jost a seven so they agreed with nicole nicole being the voice of the people in this case okay next up we're going to talk about somebody who did leave the show after this season and that would be kate mckinnon who was really uh what a season uh missed the first part but came back in the billy eilish episode and just had an all-time episode for kate mckinnon and uh she ended up being sixth in total screen time even though she missed those first seven episodes of the season filming the uh in australia um her sketch appearances um she was lower on that end of things but really when she was in a sketch she did make a very strong impression. Uh, I think notable moments, you have to talk about the Lonely Christmas pre-tape, which was in that Billie Eilish episode. Uh, the Weekend Update, uh, Don't Say Gay um, moment that she had on Weekend Update, that was certainly powerful and, and definitely uh, something that a lot of people felt very strongly about uh, her 
commentary. And then, of course, you know, the cold open to finish out her career on the show, the final encounter sketch that we got. Uh, what a moment that was. I have to say, like, Lonely Christmas and the final encounter will probably be on the best of Kate McKinnon, um, you know, for the season. So um, really, in I think it was like really her 10 and a half season, season on the show. She came in right at the end of her first season. Um, so for me, uh, I don't think that this was the best Kate McKinnon season in her entire career. I think that she had moments, but she didn't dominate the show like she has in the past. So I think this was a very good season for Kate to wrap up her career. I'm probably going to go with a 7 out of 10 for Kate McKinnon in her final season at the show. Nicole, where are you on Kate McKinnon? Okay, so I would say, I'm going to preface this by saying Kate is the only person on this list who with certainty I can tell you in the past has had a 10 season. Um, there probably are others, but there is no one else who I am so certain if we had done this in years past that I would have given her a 10 in at least a handful of seasons that she's been a part of. So I want to preface with that. Um, I, so, okay. So, I mean, we have to talk about, she wasn't present for a third of the season, uh, exactly a third. She, she was, she was gone. And then she came back and just dominated the Billie Eilish episode. Like they, they were really a dynamic duo. Um, and she, she had some great stuff in there. I, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, the lonely Christmas was great. Um, her weekend update bit, um, on the, the Florida don't say gay bill, um, her Amy Coney Barrett on weekend update, I actually really liked, I thought it was like, it had that like Kate McKinnon precision about it, which I like, as I said earlier, I, I really think she might be the most precise cast member of all time. And I, 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 I mentioned Bill Hader in that competition, but upon reflection, I, I think Kate is, is far above him in, in that kind of precision category. Um, and respect to him, but I, I think that that's like, that's the word I would use to describe Kate is like precise and empathetic as well. And, um, yeah, so she had so much amazing stuff, but I, I gave 80 a nine and I'm going to give Kate an eight, which, which is nice. It rhymes. Kate eight, eight was her most iconic episode. The Billie Eilish was number eight. So eight feels right. I will add that, um, the, the difference for me with Kate and 80, um, while I said, I'm more, saddened that 80 is leaving than Kate because of what I think 80 had not yet done on the show. Um, whereas I feel like Kate had done, she had accomplished more on the show than 80. And I think she had done more of what we could see of her. Whereas 80, I think had more to offer that we hadn't seen yet. Um, so that's, that's kind of what it comes down to. We saw more fresh stuff from, from 80 that was different and new and felt like if she were to continue her trajectory, we would have got continued to get something new. Whereas if Kate, who is one of the I think if, if you're talking best cast members of all time, whatever that list is, to me, she's the highest of the current, of the as the season 47 cast, she's the highest of all of them on whatever that all-timer list is for me, hands down. But I think that by now, at this point, we had seen um, the best of Kate McKinnon on SNL. I don't think that we were in store for something better than what we've already seen. And I think that I'm excited to see what she does next. Um, I think we have the best, I hope, is yet to come from Kate. But I think that the best of SNL, of Kate on SNL, um, you know, we have seen. And I just, she's like one of the most talented people in the world. And I, I just, I want to see something different. And I think the only way we can see something different from her is if she pushes herself to be in a different environment. So it's an eight. Okay. So Kate with an eight from Nicole. Mike, where are you on Kate McKinnon? Tough one to evaluate. Um, 
full disclosure, I'm between a seven and an eight right now um, with Kate. Uh, clearly, the um, like the darling of statistics for me um, of all that uh, episodes I've done analysis on um, has over five thousand points over three seasons. Um, missed seven episodes, still put up in a thousand point season this this year. And I think when we, uh, you know, uh, keep looking back and look at look at you know the Will Farrells or look at you know um, g- going back to you know Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, like you know Gilda Radner, like having in a thousand point season is like you know what gets you in the Hall of Fame and puts your jersey in the rafters is like you know you got a, a thousand points. It means that you consistently scored high. So Kate McKinnon put up a thousand point season um, under our metrics while as Nicole said, missing a third of the season. I mean, it just shows that if there's any statistical anomaly in SNL history, it, it could be Kate McKinnon. Um, so if you're not a fan of her, then that's really bad. And if you're a fan of her, then that's great because when she's on SNL, she dominates SNL um, more so than Keenan or Cecily. So if we didn't count the uh, seven absences, Kate McKinnon's average would be 93.36. So put her first in the cast. So I have to consider that when I'm doing my ranking. So I'm between a seven and an eight because I also want to give her a ton of credit because um, I think she probably would have been better off leaving last season. Um, you know, maybe knowing that she was going to go in this season and miss some time and then she could come back with a bang might have factored in. And she knew that Cecily and Adie were coming back or, you know, her friends and was going to have you know could have a fun last season so i don't fault her for it but you know i i think she probably had given us all she had in the tank before the season and so i want to give her a huge compliment by saying that she came back and like really brought some stuff to the show like i i don't care if kate's playing an old lady if it's funny it's funny i mean the the dream home cousins and the lonely christmas i mean she both played like a crazy old lady and it was, I think two of the funniest sketches of the season, um, both pre tapes. And, um, so I'm again, I wait. So, uh, Nicole, you're an eight, John, you're a seven. Yeah. All right. I mean, I'd say 7.5 if I can. Um, but I think I, I, I know I can't, I know I can't. Um, you've sided with I, me more times than you've sided with him. If that helps. It does not help. Um, (laughs) but I, I think due to the fact that when she came back, um, the numbers that she posted were so incredible. I have to go eight. Um, just because I don't, I I can't think of a cast member in history who, who could do that. Um, I remember posting the power rankings after seven and, Kate's sitting there at zero, you know, she's posted zero over seven episodes. And I, I just knew I'm like, she's going to like make top eight, top seven when she comes back. I don't know what she's going to do. I don't even know how many episodes she's going to miss. I just know that she's is going to just crawl back. And the fact that, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm considering it in my score. I'm holding it against her, but I'm also saying that the fact that, she posted like 173, 144, 141. Like these, I mean, these are like low host scores almost. Like Kate McKinnon is a statistical beast of SNL. 
So if I go lower than an eight, I feel like it would be unfair because I think Kate McKinnon also had a great send off and is like an SNL legend. So I'm happy to see her go because I think she gave everything she could give us. But I mean, Kate McKinnon going out on top at an eight, missing one third of the season. So I, I, I feel good about the eight. Okay. And our patrons actually averaged out to about a 7.56. So really, they just, they just, they just, that was my answer. So, yeah. So they bumped that up to an eight. So, um, really, uh, Kate McKinnon finishes with an eight across the board, except I did give her a seven. Uh, but yeah. So we are going to keep going. Let's talk about Alex Moffitt's season next. And Nicole, I will start with you. How are you feeling about Alex's season, who was in a sixth season at the show? Um, finished about 13th place in both screen time and sketch appearances. Notable moments. This was a tougher one. I mean, we put Guy Who Just Bought a Boat was on there a couple times, but I don't know if I could necessarily think of too many notable moments for Alex this season. How do you feel, Nicole, about his season at the show? I agree with that. I think he yeah the other one i mean when he when he was paired with pete to to do the the kind of different version of of it that on object that was really fun and in reference to the like again weaving like the headlines and when cast members are generating headlines like that was so fun the whole like buying a boat um colin and pete thing like it was just just a a smart a, a little on the nose but also smart way to handle that news story and i liked that but again a theme for me is like for people, when I talk about a good moment is, was it because of him or was it because of something else? It was, you know, um, Alex is someone who I will say, uh, I, I, I think I'm a little harsher on him. I, I, he just hasn't had as many moments that like really capture me that have kind of made me want to buy in all the way, you know, whereas Kate, 80, even Sarah, just this, this one season, like there are a lot of people on the cast who I could list out several moments that not only made me laugh but made me really like invest in them as performers as as cast members who I just am like oh I'm like I'm on this ride like I'm I want to like believe in you and I'm like I'm really here um and I just I haven't ever had that with Alex Moffat I I um I think that his stuff is it's really funny and quippy and smart um but I think it's it's not as like it's, I guess it's not as like emotionally driven, um, which for me makes it harder to buy in. So guy who just bought a boat, the, the wordplay is really fun. I'm like a big nerd for that type of thing. Um, but I've never, I mean, I guess the, the content of it kind of loses me. Um, it's not like anything that makes me really laugh so hard is, is that kind of humor. I feel like we've, in a way, we've kind of graduated past that and people can, there are a lot other of other creative topics than what guy who just bought a boat always has to say, and so it doesn't just doesn't make me laugh that much. Um, but all that said, like any anytime he's on the screen, you know he's talented, he's capable, he he brings it. Um, I think just for me, I've never like emotionally bought into things. And um, again, going back to Kate for a second, like she she really fuses empathy into everything, like that empathy and precision. When you combine those two things in a comedy setting, it's just instant gold and instant investment like Kate isn't so famous just because she's talented she's famous because like her impressions carry this weight that people like want to talk about um another thing with Alex Moffat and not just want to talk about but want to like buy into and 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 have um his Tucker Carlson I think is like really precise and really good um um his Terry Fink Monette in the chat mentioned um 
uh, yeah, I, I think his, his style just isn't, I've never connected so much. Um, so I'm a little harsher. Um, and I think he hasn't, he hasn't done as much collaboratively. Like he's had his update moments. Um, his Tucker Carlson is never particularly collaborative. Um, I'm starting to regret. I feel like I could have started lower so that I'd have more range within my, uh, my one through 10. Um, but it's, it's, that's, that's, what's fun about doing this live is it's, it's really like an interesting experiment. Um, okay. I'm going to give him a five. Okay. So Nicole goes with a five. Mike, how do you feel about Alex's sixth season at the show? I think Alex had a really interesting season. I think we haven't talked about it enough. Um, you know, it's hard to cover everything, but Alex Moffat started off this season. We didn't know what was going to happen. Is he going to play Biden? Is he going to be the new Beck Bennett? I mean, sixth season, you know, coming in with Mikey and Melissa, um, Alex Moffat, again, someone who like, you know, like what's their identity on the show? Like Mikey, I think, and Melissa, I think have more of an identity than Alex Moffat, but Alex Moffat can do a lot. And then, um, he, he had a really strong start appearing in a, a ton of cold opens, um, due in part to the Tucker Carlson. Um, but I'm looking at Alex Moffat's averages over the last three seasons and like, Season 45 averaged 2 minutes 33 seconds. Season 46 averaged 2 minutes 23 seconds. Season 47, he missed one episode due to COVID. 3 minutes 16 seconds. So, like, Alex Moffat blew up as far as percentage-wise. I mean, he went up 37.7% in screen time. That's no small uh, margin. That's um, uh, fifth in the cast. Uh, as far as increase, and that includes um, Cecil and Eighty, who missed time last year. So Andrew, Melissa, and Alex were the big um, um, percentage winners of this season. And uh, yeah, I, I think um, he behind uh, Bo and Yang had five update appearances. Alex had four, but um, and besides Pete coming in at the end as a guy who bought a boat, um, as you know the the Colin and Pete joke. Um, you know, they were basically four solo updates. They were, you know, two Terry Finks, two guy who just bought a boat. So um, I, I think that's shows that Alex Moffat is like a, a very competent and confident um, solo performer and not just a utility guy, not just a Mikey Day or uh, on, a, on a better day, like a great, you know, Beck Bennett surrogate. Um, he was in, yeah, he was a, a cold open and a weekend update hero. Um, he was also had a large appearance in the fainting couch, um, sketch and, um, uh, you know, he led the, uh, school board meeting sketch, uh, in the Owen Wilson episode and the Nickelodeon show and the Mulaney episode. Um, so Alex Moffat, somebody you can put in anything. Um, I'm giving him a six. I think he's definitely above average, um, better, better than a five. Um, for his standards. So I have to consider that I did with the other cast members. So I will, I'll do that with Alex as well. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm looking at his appearance list and I see 21 appearances of a minute or more. And I've been using that more and more because screen time is very unforgiving. You know, there's, you can be, you can ha- make an impact in a sketch and be in there for 10 seconds. So if you're there for a minute or longer, it means that you're, 
you're like reading a lot of cue cards and really dictating the tempo of the sketch, which I, 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 I place a lot of value on someone who can just like do the heavy lifting. I think it's like a, you know, it's an unsexy metric for SNL um, that the Mikey's and the eighties and the Keenan's um, score high on, but it's like really important to the success of the episode. And Alex Moffat did very well um, this season with that. So I'm going to him a six. Okay, so Mike goes with a six. Nicole goes with a five. I sort of feel I'm leaning a little bit towards a five for Alex Moffat as well as Nicole did. Because truth be told, I mean, how many seasons in a row have we been waiting to say, when is Alex Moffat going to take over the show? And then he gets this role as president, which gets taken away from him this season. Uh, so, I mean, I think that that's, you know, a part of what you have to consider. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, again, there was moments and I enjoy him every single time he's on the screen, but I have to think about the 200 something cast members that have been on the show. And when I watch every single season, what makes a great season on the show, I can't justify giving Alex more than a five out of 10. I just don't think he had these moments in the season where I look back and I'm like, wow, like at least for me, a six has to have a couple of very, you know, interesting moments, big moments, maybe moments that we're going to talk about as a best of the week. I don't think we ever had a moment for Alex that was really like best of the week this particular year. So I think I'm going to settle on a five out of 10 for Alex Moffat for this season. And that will bring his average to a five. But we also have the score from the patrons for Alex Moffat. And I would say this is probably the biggest discrepancy we had between our ratings and the patrons because the patrons actually gave Alex Moffat a seven out of 10 for this season. So the patrons were the highest on Alex this season, which will bump him up to a six to be more in line with Mike's score for the season. Okay, so good for Alex, and I'm sure we will see him back on the show next year. Somebody we won't see back on the show next year is Kyle Mooney, who finished up his career on Saturday Night Live in his ninth season at the show. He actually was in a lot of sketches this season This season of the show. He was in 65 sketches. Very surprising how many sketches he was in. He was really used as a utility player a lot now that he wasn't with Beck Bennett on the show. Um, obviously, we have to talk about Baby Yoda. I mean, we don't really have to talk about it, but you know that was Kyle's thing, and he did get it on the show at the end. Um, I think Kyle's holiday pre-tape that he did in the Billie Eilish episode was sort of the last moment that we saw of Kyle Mooney's traditional uh, thing that he did for so many seasons on the show. Screen time, it didn't necessarily fully connect, but sketch appearances definitely did. So, um, Mike, I will start with you on Kyle Mooney. Um, I, I think uh, I, I mentioned this in our interview with, uh, with, with uh, Matt at Cracked, but I think uh, Kyle Mooney's goodbye episode was the penultimate episode to Selena Gomez because it was the first time he finished um, top in the power rankings in his career. So I think that that should be mentioned because, you know, if, if you're disappointed that Kyle Mooney didn't get a, a good send off, I think it just already happened. It, you know, they didn't have time for it. They wanted to give more to AD, Kate and Pete um, and not Kyle in that final episode. I think that's, that's fine. I mean, you know, Beck Bennett's goodbye. We didn't even know, and I think, in retrospect, it's it's fitting. Um, Kyle Mooney was pretty much down the middle. I think he did give great performances this season. I, you know, in in hindsight, I think I will be glad he did. He, he came back for one more. I don't think he needed to. Um, 
but like you know so if if you're if you're into his comedy i think that you know you'll like the story sketch with Gerard carmichael um that was like had kyle all over it um i mean i'm not even going to mention his update pieces i think they were you know not the best with the um dan bulldozer and uh baby yoda so i won't speak on those but i think the maid of honors uh sketch with zoe kravitz he actually um like gave a lot to i thought he was funny in that and um the dream guy with kim kardashian i think is one of the sketches that we'll look back on and go like oh i'm glad we had kyle mooney in the cast for that because he i think he was one of the writers on it and just had a vision and it was like all right this is a perfect kyle sketch load up with the cameos let kim kardashian play kim kardashian and Kyle Mooney play Kyle Mooney and let's just laugh at it. I mean, it was a bloated long sketch, but it had Kyle all over it. Um, and then this is a complete benefit of, of Omicron for Kyle Mooney. The Christmas sock sketch would never have made air, but I mean, I think it's just, again, one of those fitting things that like, like, wow. I mean, this is I, for the amount of things that Kyle gets cut that I think are worthy of air. And then we get the Christmas sock sketch, which is uh, was a almost a five minute pre tape that was just like it went nowhere. But I, as as someone who's watched Kyle since pre SNL and watched him grow on the show with without Beck, um, I would have liked to see more of him in Dismukes. Maybe um, I would have liked to see him and some of the new cast members in general. Um, I'm going to give Kyle a five. I don't think there's anything in this season that makes me go like, wow, or he had a bad or good season. I think it's a five season. I'll always love Kyle. Um, I'm glad he got in that last sketch with 80 and Kate. Cause that was fun. Um, and if they, we're, we're still waiting, right guys. I mean, about the, the Kyle pre-tape that might've been cut. Oh yes. yeah. yeah. All right. Sure. So, I mean, I can't wait to see it. I hope it's out there. Um, that we will see it, but I, I think Kyle brought, all his energy this season. Um, so I will give him credit for that. Um, but it's going to be a five. I think I'm going to go towards a six for Kyle. And I think that was like based on expectation. I mean, I was, I was so fascinated to see what Kyle would do in this season. Why did he come back to the show and what moments he would have? And I just felt like, you know, he was in so many sketches and given episodes. Like he had, there was a sketch, there was an episode where he was in seven sketches. I mean, he was all over certain episodes and not necessarily for doing the traditional Kyle roles. I think he had a good season at Saturday Night Live. The moments, you know, I don't think there's necessarily like crazy best of moments of Kyle Mooney on this season of the show, though I do really loved uh, that episode where he played a Jared Leto or Jesus as Jared Leto. I think that was a very funny moment in the cold open. Um, So he had like little moments here and there for me that popped. I think I'm going to go to a six out of 10 for Kyle this season to wrap up his run on the show. I think throughout his career, he's probably been on the lower end of having, you know, great seasons on the show. But I think that this was a very solid final season for Kyle Mooney, even though there was things that we didn't, you know, love as a community that got on the show. I mean, they still got on the show and you have to credit him for getting them on the show. So I'm going to go with a six. Nicole, how do you feel about Kyle Mooney's last season at SNL? What I disagreed the most with was Mike, when you said um, 
I guess it was just, I, I really set that up. I think all you said was, I, I don't think he needed to stay one more season. Um, and I think of anyone, all these people who we've been kind of wondering how long are they going to stay? I think that him staying one more season was really important for him. Um, I mean, I, I think we'd all agree that Beck was more of like the utility player between the two. If, if there was like a Venn diagram of what they do separately versus what they do together, Kyle's chunk of what he does, ch- Kyle's chunk of what he does total a larger you know, part of the Venn diagram would be with Beck, whereas Beck has a lot outside of what he does with Kyle. Um, And that's why I think it was important that Kyle was the one who had the extra year because he got to spread his wings and show us things without Beck. Whereas I think Beck, if he had stayed another year, we would have been like, yeah, Beck has all this stuff to do without Kyle. We wouldn't think about it as much. But Kyle really walked into the season with a tall order to kind of prove to us that he was more his own. Like they've, they've been really, I think when you think of Kyle, you think of Beck and Kyle more so than when you think of Beck, you think of Beck and Kyle, you know? So I, I mean, he was the, not only he had an, an episode where he made seven sketch appearances, but he was the first cast member this season to have a seven sketch episode. Right. Um, so that yeah. was big at the time. And and since then we've had four, I believe episodes um, with seven sketch appearances um, for, for, for people or for that has happened four times this season. And Kyle is one of those four. So I think it's more symbolic to me than anything. I'm, I'm a huge Kyle fan. And I think that him staying this, this season and really pushing himself outside of what he's done historically and what we expected of him, it's more of a symbolic win than anything. I mean, when I go back and if we do a best of Kyle video that, you know, we, we use that as kind of a litmus test, like there's not going to be that much from the season in it. I think that the Kim Kardashian thing, like a little bit of it might be there. Um, we're not going to see much from the season in that kind of thing. But to me, Kyle has had such an indelible mark on the show that um, I think sometimes it's okay to have like a high score. And I'm, I'm saying this because I'm going to give him a higher score than either of you did. I think it's okay if it's more symbolic than anything. Um, and again, a comparison, when I said earlier that Kate McKinnon, I want to see, I, I think she can only grow if she like spreads her wings and is in a different environment outside of SNL. I would compare Kyle being at SNL without Beck to Kate being somewhere other than SNL. It's, it's a similar thing for me. And I think he definitely delivered. He, he had some hits and misses, but most importantly, someone who we're all emotionally invested in. Speaking of, of that, that I've lacked with Alex Moffat, I think it's very hard to not feel that with Kyle. He's so cringe um, and intimate and awkward that he kind of he forces you to to kind of connect with him emotionally because you're you just have no choice but to like be right there with the guy. Like when he's doing kind of as versions of himself. One of my favorites was when he talked about the Oscars at the update desk, and it was really just himself, a version of himself being upset that he wasn't invited to the party. Like he 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 gives us no choice but to empathize with him. Like at nobody doesn't connect with Kyle, you know, the most socially on comfortable, confident, like non-anxious, non-neurotic people, even like you have to connect with Kyle. Everybody does. Everybody does. So, um, I think you just have to be proud of him for the season. Um, and I don't mean that in like a patronizing way, you know, like, I feel like he also, he makes it to like his, his kind of MO is that like, people are like, oh, Kyle, you know, like that's his brand of comedy. So that's kind of why I have the tone that I have. Um, But I I think he's also like one of the most talented and individual people the show has ever seen. Like he, um, after the Lonely Island era, Beck and Kyle kind of were the closest thing in terms of like 
very pre-tape heavy, very digital, very like YouTube vibe. Um, but he, he was so distinct within that. And um, I, I really think he's one of the most talented and singular people that has ever walked through those doors. And I, I think it's going to be a big loss. But I also think that Kyle's kind of library of content is just going to age so well on YouTube. I think people who are not even born yet are going to enjoy Kyle Mooney stuff on YouTube or on whatever platform, you know, holograms on their, their windows or whatever, however people watch stuff. Um, I just, I think it's going to age well. So all that said, it's a seven. Hey, okay. So Nicole gives uh, Kyle Mooney a seven, which is higher than Mike and I, which will put the average for Kyle Mooney right now to a six. But let's take a look at what the patrons said about Kyle Mooney and the patrons, like I said, Nicole being the voice of the people, patrons gave Kyle Mooney a 6.63, which will average up to a seven as well. So they believe Kyle Mooney had a seven season on the show. And that will put the total average at six for the season. But the patrons agreed with Nicole. Okay, so that is Kyle Mooney in his last season at the show. So we'll have, uh, you know, hopefully more talks about Kyle Mooney coming up during the summer. But let's go to our next uh, next cast member that we want to talk about. And that will be Ego Wodem. And I will start here on Ego, who had a very interesting fourth season on the show. I sort of felt a little similar to Chloe that I was expecting a little bit more from Ego for me personally. But when you look at the statistics, I mean, she was very high up in the season. 7 out of 10 in sketch appearance, 7 out of 10 in total screen time, over 87 minutes of screen time. Um, she had some really notable moments where in the Jason Sudeikis episode, that parent-teacher conference sketch, which we believe was the number one live sketch of the season how great and amazing was she in there that's like probably an all-time sketch of this generation um the Dion warwick moment earlier in the season where Dion warwick herself actually appears on saturday night live that's a moment that for sure stands out to me as well as a uh, weary mother in her darkest hour that moment on weekend update so there are you know there were some moments for ego on the season i wouldn't say that uh this season was amazing but for me this felt like a very solid season on the show um, and it turned out better than I felt like it was going at certain points. So I think for me, I'm going to go with a 7 out of 10 for Ego Wodem in her fourth season at the show. Nicole, how are you feeling about Ego? I feel very similarly about Ego as I do Chloe and Heidi. And um, I'm kind of putting them all together because I think that is in some ways like an 80 Kate Cecily. Like these are people who have been like it on the up for a long time or for a couple of years now and are like have been seen as the future of the show in a way um but then they're kind of in this middle era where like it's almost they're, they're like in, in between a, an era that went on longer than most eras that had ever gone on on the show and then these newer cast members who are kind of in their in, in a new era of their own so i think ego and heidi especially are are kind of like caught in the middle of that and um i think that like Ego last year had an amazing season. Like we we were just all of us. We were we were just so excited about the trajectory. And then I think that she um, took kind of a, a downward turn this season. I, I think she can definitely like bring it back up, and that's what I really want to see. Um, but I feel like like she it, it, her her kind of overall like what what she brought it it felt very much very much the same as Heidi and Chloe. Um, like there were singular moments that stood out that I loved that are going to be like iconic. 
Um, but I just feel like on a week to week basis, I would have wanted more from her. I think she's one of the most talented people um, at the show. And I like anytime she has a moment, it's so just awesome. Also, something that was lacking for me was the Ego and Bowen duo. I, I feel like um, last season we were that was really on the up and it was something I was so excited about. And I just think um, it was kind of a, a letdown this season, just that we didn't see it as much. I think next season, um, I, I really want to see it more. Um, so, all of that said, it's going to be a six for me, but with an upward uh, kind of hope that I, I it's she's she's a six who I really want to say like eight nine next season. Okay, Nicole goes with a six for Ego. Mike, how are you feeling about Ego Odom's fourth season at the show? Uh, Ego last year, I think I might have been the biggest like trumpeter of her stats because I just thought there was a clear indication in the data that Ego Odom was becoming a star of SNL. And I think she's achieved that. So I don't think that, I, I think that um, that mountain she's already climbed. So I, I don't think she's still climbing it. I think she's already got there. Um, one indication is um, that she's uh, eighth highest in average screen time or appearance. So of the time she's on screen, she's on there for a while. I think it's just an indicator of a leader in the cast and she just eats minutes live sketch so like a keenan like a beck bennett like a mikey day kate mckinnon ego Wodum consistently is up there she's fourth highest in live sketch minutes at over an over an hour this season um so mentioning Dion warwick or mentioning um the parent teacher conference like you know just i i can't help but put a premium on actors who are at 8h reading cue cards in front of a live audience you know, and it kills that dress and they do it live and it kills live. And I mean, like, I just think that's the mark of the best SNL players is uh, people who do that on a consistent basis. And uh, Ego has um, for a while. So, and she's also trending upwards. So I consider her to be in the Heidi, um, you know, category of up and coming people, um, you know, waiting their turn for the veteran female customers to leave so they can, really spread their wings but ego Wodum season 45 three minutes one second average season 46 four minutes one one second average so that's why i was so big on her last last year because she really like added an entire minute an episode which is um not small at all this season a little more modest increase um four minutes 10 seconds is her average this season um so she went up about a little over three percent um but again there's a lot of factors um missed the rut episode big cast PDD, all these different things, less pre-taped time for Ego. Um, but um, I'm, I'm very easy giving uh, Ego a seven, um, like no brainer for me, um, just because um, if, if Cecily weren't there, Ego would be the number one woman in the cast easily. I mean, with the, with the Kate absence, of course. Um, but Ego Odom is like, is totally in in the name of the of the cast in everyday player so can be in any part of the show um played uh katanji brown jackson in the cold open Mm -hmm. um you know what was um did two update pieces just like i i just love asking customers who, who who participate all night um so you know sometimes the pete davidson and chris reds get the best youtube next day 
or even you know we mentioned Kyle was you know did that and people like that. But I, I mean, like I, I lo- I'm always a huge fan of people like Ego who just are in there all night and just like you know just posting numbers. So that goes a seven for me. Okay. I'm going to change mine. I'm sorry. She, she's a seven for me too. I, I think what let me down is like, she, I think I'm, I'm grading her harshly because like she's delivered some of the best all time performances in the, on the show. Um, like she was in my favorite sketch of the season, parent teacher conference. Dionne Warwick was an, an amazing moment. Katanji Brown Jackson. Um, I think just what was, what I what was having me on the edge of six and seven was I feel like all these moments we're talking about, with the exception of Katanji Brown Jackson, were earlier on in the season. And so I feel like she has trended downwards in the season for me. So that was my hesitation. Um, but again, the recency bias, it's on one hand, we're saying we're like it's easier to weigh the second half because it's recent and it's also like because it's a reflection of what's to come more so than the first season. Um but with that said, like, you know, we, we can't, I, I, I'm, I want to value the first half more than I am in my mind. Um, and yeah, I mean, a lot of the all time moments of the season were her. I just wish, I re- I really wish that there were more in the second half, um, but I am going to change mine to a seven. Okay. No problem. Also a uh, so, big consistency ahead, stat to um, Ego first half of the season, four minutes, eight seconds average. Second half of the season, four minutes, 10 seconds average. So one of the okay. more consistent screen time um, players that we've seen mm-hmm. um, for statistically. Okay. Well, Ego will end up with a seven overall because the patrons were also very high on Ego. They actually gave Ego an eight for this season. So they were very pleased with her season at the show. All right. Next up, we let's talk about Chris Red, who is coming in for his fifth season at the show. And in terms of sketch appearances... Wow, totally unexpected. 72 appearances for Chris Red, good for second in the season. Uh, screen time, about ninth in the season, but he just had some very notable moments. Uh, the Eric Adams moment, obviously, that was huge to start off 2022. Um, the one-liners that he had, I mean, I just put those in because he could just say one line in a sketch and we were quoting it all week long and dominating some pre-tapes. So very impressive season for Chris Red, Nicole. How would you rate Chris Red's fifth season at the show? Yeah, he had a really good season and just like in so many ways, you know, like for him to be so much with the Pete Davidson pre-tape stuff, which is reflective of like one very specific part of the show. Um, and then for him also to be all over the place night of um, on many nights, like doing both of those things, I, I think definitely one of maybe the most dynamic cast member of the season, just in terms of like, like hitting all the bases, covering everything, um, doing tons of things like like having so much variety in a single night. I mean, his the Ariana DeBose episode for him, like if we're talking, I feel like I, I've been bringing up the Emmys a lot, but like, I mean, that's the Emmy submission episode for Chris Red right there. He was amazing. So much, so much going on in that episode and uh, just a lot of, a lot of fun, a lot of range, a lot of energy, enthusiasm. So I I think he had a great season. I think it's it's trending up. I think that he, in terms of our pure data, he is kind of finding himself in the ranks of like the people who have been there the longest. You know, like he's he's well, he's two out of twenty one in sketch appearances, so only above the longest tenured cast member of all time. Can't do much better than that. And then nine out of twenty one on total screen time is also above average and, and really solid. So I think 
um, I think he had a great season. Um, I think that definitely if we're talking Emmy contenders, I, I hope that he's in the conversation. I, I think that when SNL cast members are, are nominated for Emmys, it, it can be a little bit of like the, the muscle memory of it. So I, I'm not, I, I hope that more people are considered who have not been nominated before. I, I think that he's, he really deserves it for, for what he's, what he's brought. Um, and I'm going to grade him a little bit harshly just because I, I want, this momentum to continue. Um, and I think it will, but I just want to see it. So with that said, it's going to be an eight for me. Okay. Nicole goes for an eight out of 10 for Chris red. Mike, how you feeling about Chris's fifth season on the show? Feeling so good about Chris red. I, I don't know how you could do more. Um, if you're Chris red, I just think, um, again, all, all, um, phases of the game. We say in sports a lot, you know, offense defense special teams and football most notably but you know just like again i I love players in snl who do it all um i'm going a hard nine for chris red very easy for me to give him um one of my highest scores of the night um he had a, a 173 um he scored in the ariana debose episode which was the highest of the season of any cast member of any episode um he just is was dominant next episode zero i mean that was i think just a little bit of an anomaly um because it was uh will forte right yes okay so yeah that was that was a weird episode as we discussed earlier um that he uh was was cut from he was there for um so chris red i think is I, I don't I don't know how he could do much better. I mean, I, I think he will because, again, more more openings and, um, you know, this we lost um, Pete and Kyle. There's two more male you know, cast members. He's, he's not really competing too much with. I mean, I guess you could say Pete because of the uh, more musical pre tapes. But um, Chris Red, I think, was probably the star of the season. If he's not number one in the power rankings or number one in screen time or any of the other metrics we do. Um, but, um, you know, I just, I, I, I have probably 10 sets about Chris Red. I could say, um, I can't say all of them. Um, but he had his career high, um, screen time. And then Ariana DeBose episode, um, Ego Odom, as we mentioned earlier, um, she had her career high this season, the Joan Hall episode. Um, so if, if you're having a career high in your season, I, I that's only can point up um and just yeah raw appearances which is a stat that you just can't argue with um he, he's second behind keenan thompson i mean keenan's a legend he's the backbone of the cast if chris red is number two then that just shows that if keenan you know steps aside completely or he steps aside for an episode chris red is more than capable of taking that mantle so uh chris red easy nine um you know I'd probably even lean like 9.3 if we were doing a decimal point. So I'm going to give him a nine. I agree. I think this is a very easy nine for me this season. Uh, I was just so utterly impressed with Chris. I mean, I think the only, it's hard for me to justify why not giving him a 10. I just have a hard time giving somebody a 10 unless I just find their season, like I said, transcendent. I think in modern day times, we're going to talk about this being a great season for Chris. Um, you know, it, 10 years down the road, will we look back at season 47 and say this was Chris Red's season? Potentially, in which case I probably should give him a 10, but uh, I don't necessarily feel 
that you know every single episode was Chris Red's episode or something like that, or that he just became this like all time legend this year. But I feel like he broke out of being just another cast member on the show into being a star of Saturday Night Live. And that's good enough for me to give him a nine in his fifth season on the show. So I will go with the nine. Mike will go with the nine and Nicole people gave him an eight. We also had our patrons vote and this was the highest score that our patrons gave out so far. And that was also a nine for Chris Red. So that will bring him to a nine, which is our highest score so far that we've given out on the ratings from this season. Okay, let's talk about a first year cast member that we haven't talked about yet. And that would be Sarah Sherman, or as we knew her in the preseason, Sarah Squirm. And Sarah came in as a featured player and a little bit of a slow start for Sarah. She had these moments on update, which I think really you know, defined her first season, the fun that she was having with Colin Jost. And then we got to see her do these, you know, weird pre-tapes with meatballs and the Chucky thing later on in the season. And we started to see how Sarah Sherman could work on Saturday Night Live. So it was a very interesting season for Sarah. I think at times we talked about her having, you know, just as good or as strong moments as James Austin Johnson. The analytics don't necessarily reflect it, but as far as the eye test is concerned, I think it's an interesting discussion to have. So, Mike, I'll start with you. Where is your vote for Sarah Sherman's rating? I had a hard time with Sarah because I feel like her impact is so, like palpable i mean it's like i you know our mvp votes suggest sarah um i think she has like a really strong fan base which bodes so well for her you know three four five years down the road in snl because you build that fan base now they're gonna love everything you do no matter what which is you know some snl customers have a hard time with that because they have to, they, they get a fight for the laughs and i don't think sarah will um i think she you know will have a fan base um, no matter what, uh, way more, way, way outweighing the haters. Um, because you know, he will get those. So I, yeah, I had a hard time with Sarah because I think the analytics, um, paint a good picture of her impact this season. Um, statistically, uh, her like impactful appearances, like I said, a minute or more, 36.6. Um, you know, they were again, later in the show, um, I'm a fan of her. I, I liked, I think she's building something really great on the show. Um, and I was really impressed by her. Um, I loved seeing her play straight because it was just like way more fun. Like the Bratz dolls, um, the, uh, new governess, I mean, the um, bug assembly, hip hop nativity, but just like, you know, I, I, I don't really want her to become the next Leslie Jones who just has one thing and does one thing really well. I mean, Hey, I I will always laugh at people who do something really well. Um, but I don't want her to become that because I think it's just way more dynamic to see her play straight in one sketch and then be completely crazy in another, another. Um, so, um, I'm disappointed she had that surgery sketch cut because, I'm just like really interested in like what it was about. If it was like too much for the show and like, you know, she pushed the envelope because I think it, I think it was pretty safe. I mean, I, I think she did a good job showing her style without being too crazy, um, which is, which is great for her for a rookie season. 
Um, so I'm between a six and a seven because I think the stats don't lie. Um, I think I could be very easily convinced by John and Nicole on this one, whether I go down to a six or up to a seven. Um, I think for a rookie, it wasn't as great as James Austin Johnson. Um, it, she wasn't as impactful as an ego or a Heidi, which I, you know, I ranked higher. Um, so I want to be consistent. Um, but I think that again, Sarah Sherman stock is red hot right now. Please buy all of it because she's not going anywhere and she's hilarious. Um, so I think I'm going to lean six right now as a rookie. And I think next year I can see her being an easy eight. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys take the floor and see what you guys think. Mike, I think you nailed it. I mean, there's not much more to say beyond the fact that I loved Sarah Sherman on the show. I feel like, like I said, the eye test is so much stronger than the analytics for Sarah. I think every single time she was on the screen, she really made an impact. Uh, Will, you know, you know, we're going to see a lot more of her coming up and her style of things. I wonder, you know, five or six seasons down the road, if we're going to look for, you know, different range from Sarah, maybe, you know, if she's not always playing Sarah. But I think that for now, um, I'm eating up every single moment that I get to see of her on the show. Uh, But the analytics do tell a different story. I think, you know, counting in her entire season where it took a while to get things going, which is totally normal for a first year cast member, but she ended up having a very strong finish taking all of those things into account. I feel like I have to also go with a six out of 10 for Sarah Sherman in her first season. Nicole, how do you feel about Sarah? Yeah. Couldn't be me with a six out of 10 here. So that's not, that's, that's very far from what I'm going to say. So I, as we said, I'm like I'm I'm as big on the analytics as you know any of our audience. Like I I it, I I love what we do so much with these numbers and the screen time and things. But I think what is like the only thing more interesting than painting a picture with numbers and screen time and data is when we get a story that is so contradictory to the data. Like it's the only thing cooler than the data itself, you know. And like that's. That's what we got from Sarah. I mean, our MVP polls, we tracked it every single episode throughout the year. And she got first place more than anyone, twice, more than twice as much as anybody. And it wasn't like a Selena Gomez situation where we did MVP polls on Twitter and they, you know, her her fans who maybe had never seen another episode of SNL other than Selena's, you know, bombarded and skewed us. It wasn't like that. It was like very much the SNL audience, our audience, our people who really follow the screen time and, and honor that, consider that. All of those people, it was it was very concentrated. That audience was voting Sarah so much, way more than anybody else that they voted for. Um, and that's actually like more, um, more of a high scoring thing to me than if you get a lot of screen time and and you are an MVP. It's like to 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 be making so much of an impact with like making the most of every single thing that that you have on um james austin johnson is an insanely talented impressionist but as far as changing the tone of the show james austin johnson changed the show the tone of the show in a way that i didn't like through no fault of his own he had this amazing trump impression we had to use it we found this guy like of course gotta write this trump into things but it changed the tone of the show in a way that i think um, what made the show, you know, less 
fun and less entertaining. Um, whereas Sarah, I think, changed the tone of the show way more than James Austin Johnson said, and not and not just way more in a neutral way, but way more and in a way more positive way. I think that she represents so much of what's to come. Um, and I, I like I just can't say enough of of like the excitement that I have every time I see her on screen. We've never seen anything like it. Um, whereas we have people, you know, people in my seven range. I'd say I'd say a lot of people in my six range are people who I wish we saw more of, but who had like two or three extremely memorable things, um, but are otherwise kind of utility players. People in my seven range are very much of the utility players who I'd say also are doing a lot more than it seems behind the scenes, like a Mikey and a Colin are in my seven, Ego's in my seven. The eights are people who like surprised me and did something different um, and are on this upward trajectory, but who I like... I'm not like, oh my God, no one else could have done that. You know, it's not that. My eights are just people who I'm like, that was amazing and special and deserved and exciting. Um, and then this is my second nine. And my other nine was someone who it was more of like kind of the opposite of someone on their way out the door who I think just couldn't have gone out in a more like graceful and poised and uh, way and in, in, in more of a way where I wish that she was staying actually. Um, and this is someone who, um, I just think like could not have had more of an impact given the stats, given the data. Whereas James Austin Johnson, like you look at the numbers and you look at the impact and it's like, of course that makes sense. But when someone can change fundamentally what you see, when you look at, st- at, at statistics, like, I mean, we, we've never seen that before on this show. Like no one else could, could have the, like the ratio of the, the screen time and the, the MVP, like that's insane. Um, I really don't think anybody in recent memory has radically changed what is possible on Saturday Night Live more than Sarah. I really don't. And I think that um, the way that she can play with a live element and yet be very composed and and professional at the same time, it's like, it's unbelievable. It's so like, I, whenever she's on on screen, I feel like on one hand, anything could happen because she's crazy in her words. But also I just, I have this comfort of like, actually she's such a professional and like, like the audience is in good hands. And um, that's a rare duality. And it's, 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 I think it's just rare. I I could go on. Um, I feel like Sarah's just the future. Um, And, and it's, it's a nine for me. So Nicole goes with a nine for Sarah Sherman and we get our final ratings for Sarah. So Mike and I went with a six. The patrons were closer to Nicole. They actually went with an eight for Sarah in our first season of the show. So Sarah averages out to a seven rating at the show. Okay. For season 47. All right, let's talk about another cast member who a lot of people thought would depart this season, but ended up staying on board so far, at least, and that would be Cecily Strong. And Cecily Strong comes in in her 10th season on the show, and she did miss a few episodes along the way, but statistically had a great season on the show. Third in appearances, third in screen time. Uh, Obviously, you know, some notable moments throughout the season. Uh, Definitely played some Republican figures, both on Update and in Cold Opens. Uh, Had this incredible moment as Goober the Clown earlier on this season where, you know, she was able to be very vulnerable on the show and talk about her experiences. And, you know... I just I think is a very very solid season for Cecily on the show. Um, I wouldn't say transcended season. I would say it had its moments. Um, and Cecily was a great cast member for season forty seven. 
I think I have to go with an 8 out of 10 for Cecily Strong for her 10th season on the show. I think that's probably where she deserves to land from this season. And I'm going to be very curious to see what she does next year if she does come back without a Kate and without an 80 on the show. I think that'll be one of the most interesting storylines in our preseason next year. Okay, Nicole, what is your rating for Cecily Strong? My rating um, for Cecily is a seven. I would put her in this category of people I've, I've, I see as a seven, um, which are people who are really reliable and really giving a lot, uh, doing a lot. But I, I don't think that Cecily did anything that surprised me, given what we had seen from her before. Gooper the Clown was amazing and and like a must see moment from the season. Um, but it was very much in. Um, you know, just it, it it was reflective of what we had seen from her before. Um, same with all of all of her Republicans that, that she played. Um, there, she's she's very good at that. She's really good at the, the satire of all all those people. Um, but I would say she there there weren't there wasn't much from her that like if she if she had left last season. Um, I don't think there's much that I'm like. Oh, I'm so happy she stayed this extra season so that I could have seen this. Um, and, and I think that that's, it's, it's kind of starting to feel like Keenan to me with, with Cecily, if she does, especially if she does stay another full season, um, which is that I'm never, like, if Cecily stays another season, I'm going to look at her the way I look at Keenan, which is I'm never expecting um, kind of like the, the oh my gosh moment, um, with the exception of, of more of the politically charged things that are really profound. In a general sense with Cecily, it would be more of the Keenan now, which is like, like really holding it down and and helping just make the show really solid. Um, but I can't say that she did much that surprised me this season. That's kind of my main takeaway with, with with Cecily is I I I think she did kind of exactly the things I would have kind of expected her to do. Um, and so yeah, that's 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 it for me. I mean, again, I she's she's very talented. I loved a lot of what she did. I just think there wasn't there wasn't so much. Um, that felt different, I'll say. So a seven for me. Okay, Nicole goes with a seven for Cecily Strong. Mike, how are you feeling about Cecily season? Uh, I'll lead off with my score. Cecily's a, a easy eight for me. Um, did so much lifting this season. Um, her, her and Keenan together. Um, I think Cecily, like Kate or like Pete or others, um, might have had a better and more apropos send off last season. Um, but when Cecily came back, I was like, I think of anyone I had my eye on her the most because I think she did have like the best send off. I mean, she did the Janine Pirro la- last season finale. Uh, Pete had a really great um, last update talking about growing up on the show. And I was like, all right, Pete and Cecily. I can feel good about them leaving as like two titans of the of this era, and then they both come back. Uh, Cecily is like again just like dominating her episodes. Um, I mentioned it earlier, but her um, average would have been ninety one point five eight if she didn't miss four episodes, and that includes the uh, Billy Eilish cold open that she just appeared in quick um, and then dipped out. So, um, you know, when Cecily's on the screen, she's on screen a lot. Um, she had uh, 37 appearances of a minute or more. Um, I think 
Cecily's small work is underrated, like the science room, um, like things like that. Or um, I-, I loved seeing her in with Ego and Heidi in the Mr. Dooley uh, Natasha Leone sketch because, uh, you know, it just showed her being more of an ensemble member. Um, obviously, we know what she can do on her own. Um, updated, um, cold open um, at all. But um, I, I, Cecily Strong uh, can save a sketch. I mentioned A.D. Bryant earlier in the Black Eyed Peas sketch, but I mean, her as Fergie might have been the funniest part of that sketch. Um, the Irish play um, with Selena Gomez was probably like a, a doomed to fail sketch that she really, I think, saved. Um, the the truck stop CD with Jake Gyllenhaal, um, just like you pre-tape um, with uh, Chloe and Kate uh, and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, she did a lot, and her her voice work is great. I just think it's hard to not look at all the data and all the contributions of uh, Cecily and not give her lower than an eight. I mean, has she overstayed her welcome? Possibly. Same with Keenan, Kate, others, but like Cecily Strong is by far the most dominant female cast member. I gotta get over an eight. Okay, and the patrons also gave Cecily Strong an eight. So we do have a total score of eight for Cecily Strong from Mike, uh, myself, and the patrons, and Nicole gave Cecily a seven. All right, let's talk about this next guy. And yeah, you can't talk about season 47 without talking about Keenan Thompson. So, uh, you know, Keenan Thompson uh, dominating the show statistically, uh, most screen time this season, over 121 minutes of screen time, most sketches this season at 81. Obviously, a big moment on earlier this season when Jason Sudeikis hosted the return of What Up with That. And then also his 1500th sketch this season, which continues to break, uh, you know, continues to expand extend this record that he has for most sketches all time in his 19th season on the show just incredible stuff nicole how would you rate his season overall yeah i mean as far as pure stats go you cannot do better than this like i mean one out of 21 one out of 21 like i think I don't think it always happens that the total screen time winner is also the total sketch appearances winner. Like it seems like they would be in line. Um, but if you compare the two, like there is a lot of, of differences. Some people like Kate McKinnon really high on screen time below average on sketch appearances. So to be number one and number one is just wild. Um, and with that said, I, I think it's wild in a good way and wild in a, we might start to have that conversation of, you know, that's 121 minutes is, is a lot when you have somebody like Aristotle who gets a very small fraction of that in the entire season. When when Aristotle gets in the whole season a little bit more than what Kate got in one episode um, and, you know, a fraction of what Kina got all season, it's you just you kind of have to mention that, you know, um, it is a lot. But with that said, it's not like Keenan is in all of these roles where he is like, taking every laugh if anything like he he what he's always been best at and always will be is like making everybody else around him look better and and make everybody else funnier and like if for such a long tenured cast member that's the most important trait to have like nobody could be as as long of a cast member as as keenan without being like very very giving and generous and um and all these things that that make him who he is 
Um, so for me, he's he's a seven in the exact same way that, that Cecily's a seven. I think that they both really held it down and really anchored the show and made it um, professional and relatable and predict like predictable in, in the comforting sense of longtime fans of like what we just just taking comfort in in the familiar. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, for me, that, that is a seven. That's a very much a seven. It's, it's not like Keenan didn't surprise me this season. He gave me kind of everything I would have thought he would. And, um, that was amazing. But I think that like, there are other people who I, I would, I would just score higher for someone who like was keeping me guessing a little bit. And, and I think that it's, it's a little more thankless on my kind of rubric to be a seven. It's, it's people who I think work a lot harder than, um, than it seems like again, the Colin and the Mikey, um, and the Cecily and the Ego, like my, I think I've given the most sevens of anything. And it's, it's people who are just so rock solid, um, but maybe are not transcending that rock solid by shocking me. That's, that's the seven description for me. So it's a seven. Okay. So Nicole gives a seven to Keenan Thompson. Mike, what is your rating for Keenan in his 19th season at the show? I mean, what can you say about Keenan Thompson that hasn't already been said? I mean, I have, I, I think this season has has been a great opportunity for SNL super fans, such as such as ourselves, to evaluate Keenan and his contribution to the show. I mean, look at the fifteen hundred sketch that we you know that we pointed out and got traction on the show, which is awesome. It's like, I mean, it, it's a perfect stat to encapsulate Keenan because. He has given more to this show than arguably any human on earth other than maybe Lorne Michaels. So I think there's arguments to be made that he is, you know, one of the greatest cast members of all time because of his longevity and his um, stamp on the show. So looking at this season, um, I think it's it's really hard to separate that um, in your head when evaluating Keenan. And uh, I think he had um, some some like striking good moments this season. I mean, I I, I think you can't be a, a fan of the show in this era and not like Keenan. I mean, if you don't like Keenan, you probably don't like the show. Um, so I I am Keenan fan. I last by the number show I brought up. I'm like, he seems to be the one guy immune to criticism. And so I have a critique of Keenan um, right now that I you know I need to talk about, which is. Um, his sketch in the finale, I thought was like, so, so poor, um, to include. Uh, and I was like, I, I'm like, I've like never criticized Keenan in my life as a fan. And I was like, Keenan, like, I, I trust you as like an, uh, as a shepherd of the show to understand like what the show means People talk about him as a as a as a uh, uh, heir to the the Lorne Michaels throne, um, and the fact that they had that uh, Treese sketch in the finale, I was just I was shocked. I mean, I don't I don't blame Keenan. His performance was great. I mean, he delivered the lines well. He, the sketch I thought was pretty bad, but I thought he did a great job. And I was like. I, I guess I can't blame him for doing his job, but at the same time, it's like, how does that sketch get in and not a goodbye to Kyle or Pete if they actually had already been filmed? I was like, so that to me, 
docked Keenan some points. Um, I will say the good things about Keenan this season, which were which were the home videos sketch on the Zilly Kravitz episode, the casino proposal I mentioned earlier, I thought he was like phenomenal in. I just love that in season 19, Keenan is like finding new ways to make me laugh. I mean, we already know the classic ways that he makes us laugh. Um, and he's, he's like a complete glue guy in the cast. Um, so I, you know, Keenan stay as long as you want. But at the same time, I was like that, in, that inclusion, I was like that, that's pretty bad to me. I'm like, you got four big veterans leaving and we're going to include this sketch. I thought I was like, I was disappointed that that was in, when that could easily be in any episode this season or next. Um, mm-hmm. So I have, I have to do my one critique there. Um, but other than that, I mean, I, you, you can't give Keenan lower than an eight, in my opinion, for this season. He literally carried the show when it needed, when he, when it needed him most. He was the only cast member with Michael Che in the Paul Rudd episode. And I don't think you can trust anyone more than Keenan. Um, in the show, I mean, Jonathan Majors got some heat for maybe not being the best of hosts, and I thought he brought out the best in him in the Strange Kid Tales talk show, um, and in the uh, the the preacher um, sketch at the end of the show with Jonathan Majors, I thought Keenan was was great to go to for some laughs. Um, always hosting the game shows, Republican or not, the trivia game show with Lizzo. Um, karaoke all-stars he hosted with chloe the home repair show um obviously what up with that great laughs and the blue bunny sketch so i mean keenan thompson easy eight i i you know i'm i'm between an eight and a nine but i don't think he was as good as chris red or eddie bryant this season so i'm gonna give keenan an eight okay so mike is gonna go with an eight nicole went with a seven and I just sort of think like in his 19th season, if you look at season 47, this was Keenan Thompson's season. I think you can make arguments for Chris Redd, who had a fantastic season. But to me, this was Keenan's season. And it was one of the better Keenan seasons in his entire career. And statistically, dominated the screen time, dominated the sketch appearances, he had moments, he probably had a moment of every episode pretty much where he was just had, you know, a role that was significant. Um, when it comes, you know, Mike brought up the sketch, the old home movies, we were just raving over the talent that Keenan was putting on display. And I think when Keenan wants to, he could turn it on like nobody else in the cast. He could run circles around everybody, just how talented a performer he is in, sen- in a sense, not to say that, you know, other people can't eventually catch up to him or whatever but keenan thompson is so seasoned and i think he dials it back a little bit sometimes because he wants other people to shine despite what mike said in the finale and i just have to say i came into the season you know 19 years in i wouldn't be surprised if keenan wanted to take a little bit of a step back and let other people get their shine I am so impressed that he continues to dominate. This is like, you know, LeBron James, like continuing to go out there and just crush it on the basketball floor. I'm giving Keenan Thompson a 10 for his 19th season on the show. It's the only 10 I'm giving out for this 
you know, ratings that we're doing. I think he deserves it. I wouldn't say that every single season I would give the top screen time or sketch performer a 10 out of 10, but I do think that this is a 10 season. It's maybe not 10 out of 10 in terms of greatest seasons in the history of the show, but I think that, you know, based on the standard of what we've seen over the last decade, I think this isn't a, you know, as, as this is a transcendent season for Keenan. I think it's one that we're going to talk about. If he retires after his 20th season, I still think we're going to go back to the 19th season and say about how fantastic that season was. So for me, um, it is a 10 out of 10 for Keenan Thompson for season 47. And let's talk about what the patrons voted on. And the patrons gave Keenan Thompson the other nine for the season. So they also gave Chris Red a nine. They gave Keenan Thompson a nine for this season, which will bump Keenan Thompson up to a nine. So we have Chris Red and Keenan Thompson with nine ratings for season 47. Okay, let's talk about Melissa Villasenor next on the show. And Melissa, very interesting season, uh, her sixth season on the show. Um, pretty low in terms of analytics as far as screen time is concerned. 39 minutes of screen time, almost 40 minutes. Uh, sketch appearances, uh, 14 out of 21, which isn't uh, bad you know, for Melissa standards. I think what we've seen, um, she did this crazy good Kristen Wiig impression that people could not stop talking about at the beginning of the season. But then as far as moments for Melissa, I think it was the same story of when are we going to get the moments that we're looking for from her. She had this Cesar Perez on Weekend Update. That was something she wanted to get on the show. She had the talk show with Selena Gomez that we saw. So there were some moments for Melissa. Did it click fully? We'll find out with our ratings. Mike Murray, I will start with you. Where will you go with Melissa? I I wish I could say this was a little tougher. Um, I, I expected good things out of Melissa this season. I think that she gave us a good effort. Um, I'm looking at the her screen time growth. Um, and, you know, she did improve, which is good because, um, you know, before there was Aristotle Atari, there was Melissa Villasenor as the underdog Casimir. And I think that she still is deserving of that uh, moniker because I think she is super talented, but is, is a kind of a head scratcher going, you know, I think when she's, when we're, when she's long gone off the show, we'll say like, "Oh, I yeah, I wish we saw more from Melissa." You know, that that'll be kind of her her thing. But you know, last year she had a really bad season. This year she improved four to three percent screen time. Um, so you know, definitely brought it more. She's known for her impressions, known for update pieces. Didn't really get that this season. Uh, got that got that one great update piece as Colin Joe's driver Cesar. That was a great piece, um, but she got it to include um, a new writer in, which is you know a good sign. Um, so she's more in line with her season forty-five average. Um, as far as impressions, yeah, she did have the slub school. Um, she had the Kristen Wiig impression, and uh, I think that was it for her impressions this season. Um, so as a known impressionist, didn't really get much on air. Um, I would, I just, you know, I, I expect more. I mean, it, it's her sixth season, so I'm, I'm, I'm a little harsher on um, Aristotle and uh, Sarah as, as in, like, I think they have room to grow. Where I, I think I might have to be harsher on Melissa because it's, I mean, it's time. It's, it's time to establish yourself on the show or leave. Um, I would love. I, I, I'm a fan of hers, so 
I hope she stays stays for next year. Um, thirty nine minutes forty six seconds is not not terrible, but it, you know she's down with Punky and Aristotle, <laughs> and and the and the lower tiers, and Sarah is way ahead of her, and Pete's ahead of her, who missed half the show. Kate's way 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 ahead of her. So I mean, for I I, I gave Aristotle you know a, a three. I, I got to give um I got to give Melissa a four. Um, I think that's kind of generous of me. Um, I don't think she, I, I can't go higher than a four, but that's, that's, uh, that's where we land with Melissa. I, I think she's back next season and I, I just don't think that we, I don't think we've seen anything from Melissa that we we're, we're going to, I don't think we're going to see anything from Melissa next season that we haven't already seen, which I think is a bummer. So. But I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. So let's go, Melissa. Let's, let's do it next season. Yeah, I, I sort of agree with you, Mike. I think a four seems like the appropriate rating for Melissa Villasenor, who I don't think had a bad season. But I just, you know, for her standards, really, it was a, it was an okay season on the show. Um, you know, as far as the appearances were concerned, I mean. Uh, 14 out of 21, really 14 out of 19 if you take away Che and Jost. And then she's only above Aristotle, Punky, Pete, Sarah, and Kate. So a bunch of featured players. And then Kate McKinnon, who hadn't been on the show for seven episodes. So, you know, she's that next tier up. And I think when we start talking about the Punkies and the Aristotles of the world, I think then you get to these uh, points where, um, you know, you're talking about pretty low uh, ratings. So I feel like she's probably that next tier up, like, you know, the, the bottom of the, you know, okay cast members on the show for this season. Um, and again, just, you know, objectively, the statistics don't aren't great subjectively. Um, I enjoy some things we get to see from Melissa, but I still haven't found this moment where I'm like, oh my God, this was Melissa's moment on the show. And I don't think that she had that throughout the season. So for me, I'm going to agree with you, Mike. I'm going to go with a four. Nicole, where are you on Melissa? Yeah, so I think this was a great season for Melissa, for her standards. And I don't like the fact that we all kind of have to talk about her in terms of Melissa's standards. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Um, but that just kind of is the way that it is. I, I think if you look at the numbers compared to the standout moments, it's it's a lot like Sarah in the way of like low on the screen time and the sketch appearances numbers. And then when she does have screen time, it's always very memorable. I mean, per like if you did, you know, a ratio of like uh how you know like screen time, how how memorable like memorability per minute or whatever, you know, we could make some ratio for that. Like Melissa's is above average. We'd all agree on that, you know, whereas more of like utility players would rank lower on that type of thing. Um, And that's why I gave Sarah such a high score because that's an amazing type of ratio to have when you're a first year cast member who's trying to find your way and who needs to make the most of every second you get so that next season you get more seconds but when it's your sixth season and you have to have a good memorability to minute ratio, that's bad. That's just like, there's no way around it. It's like, and it's not that she's not getting a lot of screen time because she's making headlines like Pete or because she's in a hit show like Kate or because she's in a play like Cecily. Like, I think that the, the, just the, the variables all involved, it's just, it's too much of an anomaly to be like a sustainably 
good thing. I feel like her role on the show leaves a lot of people, myself included, a little bit anxious all the time. It's like when Melissa doesn't have a super strong episode, I'm kind of wondering like, you know, it's a little, it's, it leaves you a little on edge in, in a way. And, and you're like, and you, you know that she might kind of throw some shade on online. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think that Melissa walked so that Aristotle could also walk, um, walk a little slower or whatever. Um, I don't mean that as mean as it sounded, but that's just what the reality of it. I think that Melissa benefited a lot from Aristotle being on the cast because we weren't talking about the Melissa thing as much. We were more just saying, oh, she had a great moment here or there. Um, and I, I think that the the pressure was a little bit lifted off of her shoulders. So she could certainly thank Aristotle for kind of filling her shoes there so that she could just more, um, I, I think people were a little less preoccupied than they ever had been on the Melissa thing um, of the screen time thing. Um, with that said, I have to give her points for one of the more provocative sketches of the season. And um, I, as I say that, it really wasn't that provocative, but um, the, the peak at Pico did get some flack online. Um, some people found it a little bit offensive in stereotypes um, when I think Melissa had every right to write it and perform it the way that she did. I, I thought it was really like, it felt personal and specific and um, creative and, and like, and, and true to her identity and true to things she had experienced and, and consumed and, and been a part of and things like that. And so um, I really liked it. I also thought that it was a great vehicle for Selena. I think that Selena showed more like range and fun and, and comedy there than, than she did in any other part of the night. And so for Melissa to be usually such an individual and for her really to usually only shine when she's shining on her own. I, I thought it was great that one of her better moments of the season was actually making the host look better and, and, and doing a good thing with the host. Her wig impression agreed with John. I think you said really good, underrated. Um, the Collins driver thing, super good and, and creative. So um, I think she had a way better season than she did last year. Um, and, a lot of things worked in her favor. Um, I, honestly, I'm right in the middle of a four and five for her. Um, honestly, I'm I'm going to give her a five, and it's because um, all of what I said aside, everyone else I've given fives to, I think that Melissa had more memorable moments than everyone else who I gave a five. Um, everyone else who I gave a five was more consistent than Melissa, but Melissa was more memorable. And so I think it evens out for me to give her a five. That makes sense. Uh, the patrons also decided to give Melissa a five. So they were with you, Nicole. So uh, Nicole, uh, Nicole and the patrons went with a five. Mike and I went with a four. And that will bring Melissa's rating to a five for the season. All right, one more cast member to talk about in this record-smashing show that we're doing here at the SNL Network, and that would be the great Bowen Yang, who comes into his third season at the show. And of course, we talked earlier about the trend forecasters. I think he can't talk about the season without talking about the Simu and Bowen pre-tape, which was a big moment earlier on in the season. Uh, for me personally, I'll start off with Bowen. Um, you know, in a little bit of the Chloe, you know, thing where the, in their third seasons on the show, I sort of expected a little bit of a higher step 
up from Bowen even more, but he was very much a part of the cast. Um, 10 out of 21 for both sketch appearances and total screen time, about almost 75 minutes of screen time, 55 um, in sketch appearances. I think he was a very solid member of the cast this season. Nothing, you know, I didn't walk away from the season feeling like, oh, Bowen Yang, like really just had these incredible moments all season long. But I never also walked away from the season worried about Bowen's screen time. I never felt like Bowen never appeared in an episode and I was just dying uh, to find him. He was always there. He was always solid. So I think for me, this is your traditional 7 out of 10 rating for the season. Um, I think this is a good season for Bowen Yang in his third season. Um, I probably say seven out of 10 might be like slightly gen on the generous side um, because I think that he could have, you know, I was looking for a little bit more, a little bit higher expectations um, because I think Bowen has an eight or a nine season in him. Like Bowen Yang next year could be Chris Red this year. That's how I feel. That's how good I feel about Bowen Yang. But he didn't do that yet for me. So because of that, I'm going to go with a seven for Bowen. Nicole, let's get your final rating this time for Bowen. All right. Whew. So yeah, Bowen, I expected, I think if we had done this exactly a year ago, I probably would have given Bowen like a seven and then been like, and it's a nine next year. Like I, I'm looking forward to it. And um, that was like a transatlantic uh, accent I just did. Um, where it's, it's been a long one. I, um, anyways, I'm getting into like my British accent. I didn't mean to do that. Anyway. Right, what's this right now? <laughs> Sorry. This is, this, this is, it's been a long one. Anyway. Okay. So Bowen, I really, I think if we were here a year ago, I would have been like, can't wait for his nine season next year. Let's go. I'm so excited. Um, and you know, to be a trend forecaster as, as Bowen is, um, I, I was a little wrong. I think that Bowen, um, wasn't as much of a like standout as he was last year. And, and in a recent interview, he, he said, you know, and to paraphrase, like, I think I knew going into the season that I wasn't going to have another iceberg. Um, and he, he mentioned that he, he wanted to kind of fit in a little bit more in terms of like stepping aside to have like leaving room, knowing that some people were going to be leaving, um, wanting to give shine to other people. Also, I think he, he, it sounded like he wanted to um, like, play some of those like like smaller roles in addition to the bigger roles and 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 I think kind of challenge himself in that way to to do more because last season he was so like I, I think last season he felt a lot the way that Sarah feels to me now like that he maybe wasn't at the top of the screen time but it felt like he was because every time he was on screen he was the moment um and this year that wasn't as true and I think that's a good thing because he's he he kind of was I think what um, you were describing Heidi as kind of becoming of a little bit more utility than maybe we had imagined. Um, I think that that also became true for Bowen. And like how I feel for Heidi, I also feel the way of Bowen is these, they're two people who I don't want as much to be utility players. I, I like um, both of them to be more of like, we can update people. And, and Bowen Yang excelled at that. He was the top cast member in uh, weekend update time, aside from uh, the the anchors, he he was the highest in in updates features with five live appearances, and then also more screen time than anybody else. Keenan technically had five if you count his two RBs pre recorded uh, voiceovers, but in terms of live update 
Bowen owned it. He also owned the promos, which is not a canon part of the show, um, but he was in five promos more than anybody else and um, killed the promos. All the best promos were were with Bowen. Like uh, I, I think all, all the memorable ones, he just killed the promo game this year. And um, yeah, I mean, Chen, Chen Biao was, was up there. I think the most that I like screamed in the season, um, like gasped, um, was was when Chen Biao walked up uh, at the update desk and and said Che Diaz and said what's up Che Diaz and um, if you don't get the reference then I feel sorry for you. Um, it was just fantastic and I, I screamed. I'm not going to explain the reference. Uh, Google it if you don't get it. Then you're going to have to take that time for yourself to figure it out. Anyways, um, I love Bowen and I think that he is doing amazing stuff at the show. Um, and I think that the way that he made room for 80 and and had like just just this like amazing partnership with her. Um, as I mentioned when we talked about Ego, I, I wish we had seen more Bowen and Ego, but it just shows um kind of his flexibility that he really made the most of this partnership with 80 in her last season. And um and now when she's not there, I, I think that he's gonna go back um and, and hopefully do some more fun stuff with Ego that that we kind of had been hoping for this season. Um, I, I think he's just very adaptable and flexible and works well with a lot of people. Um, I'm going to bring up Celestium again. I think that Bowen and Celeste have done so much amazing stuff together. And I'm really excited for that partnership to to continue blossoming. And um, yeah, so this is someone who I, heading into the season, I would have pre- predicted to be a nine, um, but it's going to be an eight for me. Okay, so an eight for Bowen Yang from Nicole. Mike, take us home. What is your rating for Bowen? All right, this is another one. I'm between two numbers. I I made up my mind. Um, I'm assuming with, with my gut on Bowen, and I just grabbed some stats um, while Nicole was talking about Bowen. And I'm, you know, I'm like, but Bowen's numbers back up um, the praise. Because his first half, um, he was barely in Owen Wilson, Kim Kardashian, and Sudeikis. So his first half of the season, he was uh, 2 minutes 34 seconds average. Second half of the season, 4 minutes 29 seconds average. So like really turned it on at the end. Um, he might not have had his moments um, like the iceberg last year, which I think people who didn't ha- had never heard of Bowen Yang last year, I think did um, due to the iceberg um, appearance. And that was like his, you know, his SNL moment that he needed as a um, second year. And now as the third year, he might not have had that, but eighth most um, screen time and live sketch. Um, I think he works well with hosts. I mean, uh, the Cumber, Cumberbatch Chuck, Chuck E. Cheese sketch, I think, is a good example of like, all right, like, you know, you, you can trust Bo and Yang to just be alongside a host for four minutes and it's funny. And I just think that's like, I, I feel like as long as Lorne Michaels is running the show, he's not going to relinquish that um, responsibility to just anybody. I just, I fully believe that as a fan of the show. That he trusts, he trusts Kate, he trusts Aidy, Cecily Keen, and these veterans. Trust Mikey Day, and um, I, you know, I, I think he trusts Sarah to be next to Pete or Andrew. I think he trusts 
James Austin Johnson to lead a cold open as a president. But like, I, I feel like Bowen Yang next to a host for a sketch more than okay with the show. Um, so he had a slow start, but um, he's, he was 15th in power rankings at mid season. And we were like, wow, I feel like Bowen Yang is in more than the data showing. And he really wasn't. And now he's 11th. So uh, he's the biggest climber in the, in the rankings. I got to give him credit for that. Um, so Bowen Yang is going to be an eight for me. I think that he had a solid season, um, more so than Chloe, Ego, or Heidi. He's showing a, a, a steady trajectory upwards and not flatlining. So season 45 is rookie season, two minutes, 13. Sophomore season last last year, season 46, 2 minutes 47. This year, 3 minutes 34 seconds. That's a big jump. He missed the rut episode. Like I said, he was barely in three of the first four episodes. So the fact that he went up 28% from last year, that's no small um, feat. So I, I got to lean on the numbers um, with my guy Bowen and go 8 because I think he earned it. I think it could have been a stronger season for him a higher eight, a lower nine, um, like Chris Red had. But I think that's uh I think it's a very fair score for Bowen and he's not going anywhere and we're gonna look forward to um I think a a, a better season next year for him and Chloe. Okay, so in his third season, Mike Murray gives Bowen Yang an eight. The patrons just gave Bowen an eight. It came out to about a 7.6, which rounds up to an eight for Bowen. So the patrons, Nicole and Mike, all gave Bowen an eight. I gave Bowen a seven for this season. And we have our final season 47 ratings. And this has been a fun journey. I'm going to read them out in, I guess I'll try ascending order. So at the bottom, we have Aristotle with a three. We have Punky Johnson coming in with a four. Our fives are Pete Davidson and Melissa Villasenor. At a six, we have Michael Che, Chloe Feynman, Alex Moffat, Kyle Mooney. Our sevens from the season are Mikey Day, Heidi Gardner, Colin Jost, Ego Wodem, and Sarah Sherman. Coming in at eights are A.D. Bryant, Andrew Dismukes, James Austin Johnson, Kate McKinnon, and Cecily Strong. Oh, and Bowen Yang as well. Uh, at nines, Chris Red and Keenan Thompson. So, wow, great seasons for them on the show. And um, yeah, I mean, almost four and a half hours into this exercise. I hope that you guys enjoy this because this is something that we are testing out for the future. Obviously, we can try and speed up the process just a little bit, but I thought this was a good way to evaluate the cast members and give them all their due as we talked about the season. So, um, you know, it's just been so much fun all season long to talk about the analytics of Saturday Night Live. And I've enjoyed getting to do that. Um, you know, I, like I said, longest podcast ever on the SNL network could potentially be, and maybe somebody can correct me if they're an SNL podcast completist, might be the longest podcast ever about Saturday Night Live. So uh, wouldn't be surprised if that was us. So um, that, that would be uh, very fun to take a look at. Okay. Let's talk about what's coming up here on the SNL Network. So if you didn't get enough of us tonight, we will be back here. This is the Monday night spot to find the SNL Network this summer. And next week, we will be back. We have closed the book on season 47 coverage. And now we're going to be talking about career retrospectives. So what does that mean? 
We're going to go back and talk about the cast members that have left the show after season 47 and talk about their careers. We'll talk about the seasons that they were on the show, the important episodes, sketches, characters, moments, and how they will be remembered as SNL cast members. And we are kicking it off next Monday night with our discussion of Kate McKinnon. So I hope you will join us next Monday night at 8 p.m. Eastern live on the SNL Network to find that show. And then the following week, we will be back with another one right after that. We are also working on some SNL stories for the summer, which is our interview podcast we do with alumni of the show that our patrons get to join in and ask questions to the alumni as well. Okay. Mike, thank you so much for all your data collection all season long and joining us every single month to talk about the analytics of Saturday Night Live. Where can the listeners find all the great work that you are doing? Thanks, John. It was a, it was a blast. I feel like this season was just more intense than last, so it was really fun to do uh, to these shows and uh, bring Nicole in. It was a great addition. Um, and yeah, we just, a ton of fun. So you can find me at SNL Mike Murray. Um, I post tons of stats on Twitter. Um, Power rankings on Instagram as well. Same handle. Um, yeah, and and thanks thanks uh, to John and Nicole. Thanks to all the fans. Um, I wouldn't do uh, all these all this uh, data and stats if you guys weren't interested. So um, appreciate it. For sure. Yeah, we definitely appreciate you, Mike. And I can't wait to talk about season 48 with you. All right. Uh, Nicole, thank you for joining us tonight on this extra long by the number show. Always great to get to hear your thoughts and opinions about the season. Where can the listeners reach out to you and see all the wonderful things you're doing? Thank you. You know, now that we've made it this far, like there's this part of me that wants to like stall and then just like, I'm like, we could do this for like eight or nine hours like now that we've you know so um i think this we proved to ourselves now now that i said i'm not stalling i'm I'm saying genuine thoughts but you know there's a part of me that wants to stall just for fun um you don't have to edit the show so yeah okay fair enough um but i think this proved to us especially like everyone in the chat it was anyone who, who joined in even for a few minutes live just made the experience way more fun um so we really appreciate that also and yeah, this just this just proved to me that we every time we break our record, I'm like, oh, there's like we we could do this. We have the the stamina. I have my 200 milligrams of caffeine, as I promised. That I have. Uh, I wish I had another 200 because uh, this can has been empty for a while. Um, anyway, all that's to say, this was very fun and I enjoyed it a lot. And you could find me at Nicole Rovine everywhere on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, um, and then everything we're doing on social media at the SNL Network. Always DM us whether there you could talk to me and John or on my personal. Um, let us know what you thought of this. I, I we want to, as John said, we want to do a version of this in the fall, and um, definitely we want to make it collaborative and um, hear from everyone what you think. So um, reach out to us there. Keep up with all our social media stuff. We have so much planned for the summer, and yeah, thank you everyone for for being here. For sure. And I just also want to make a quick plug. Uh, well, you can find me at John Schneier 24 if you want to talk to me about anything SNL related or follow me and uh, get my thoughts. Uh, I had a really fun experience where I got to go on one of our friends' uh, podcasts, the SNL Nerds. They are a great group of, uh, they're a great couple of guys, uh, John Trouble and Darren Patterson, who have been on our show before. I got to go on their show and talk about the new Kids in the Hall documentary that's out now on Amazon Prime. Obviously, there's a new season of Kids in the Hall. It was really fun to talk about the SNL connections to Kids in the Hall. And 
and that came out today. So if you wanted to get my thoughts on that, check out the SNL Nerds show over there. Uh, but as far as everything here on the SNL Network, obviously find us on all these social platforms where you can dive even deeper to the statistics and see all the fun things we're doing this summer. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and leave a star rating and review if you're really enjoying the shows you get. Uh, we always appreciate getting some feedback from everybody. Okay, for everyone who stayed with us for four and a half hours to break down the season 47 cast, I thank you, I appreciate you, and on behalf of Mike Murray, Nicole Rovine, and myself, John Schneider, from the SNL Network, we will see you next time, everybody. Have a great rest of your week. We're here for the numbers as well. So let's get statistical, so unpredictable, here on SNL Stats.